So for me, if my mom gets it, I'm happy. Like, yeah. I, uh, but when my mom, the asks mom me questions, test is second yeah. to none. Like, if I can send her that, I she, and there, I I don't even Dropbox them. I like I actually I airdrop it to my phone and then send it to them so they actually get it instead of like them trying to watch it. Oh uh, no, on I, the my mom Dropbox see it, my browser. See it don't airs. Oh okay. So right, like yeah, right. I'm like you know, then I'll get like a text or a phone call. You know, I really liked it, but what about this? I'm like, oh shit, she has a question. Like that means I didn't do something right. Yeah, I didn't catch. She's something. curious about this, and you know. 70% of the time, it's like something that's like really fringe. And I'm like, okay. But then there's a story. That's a style like, choice, mom. Yeah. Or, or, <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, all right, damn, I, I may have, yeah, I missed that. Like I should have told that part better. But again, so mom didn't have that question. That tunnel vision, you get too close to it sometimes. Yeah, it's hard to pick no, those. It sometimes it's hard to pick some of those little. In- sometimes I'm like, hey, that's also his fault. He didn't pick up on that either. Like, yeah. boss is like, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because a lot of the stuff, especially ESPN, it goes through layers of people. Yep. You know, and legal and, and, and everything. Yeah. And then, like, you know, all your executive producer, senior producer, all these other people. And, and you know, like, and then you get the phone call from mom and like, I didn't quite understand or what happened there. And I'm like, Yeah, dude. Thanks for coming on the podcast. No, I'm glad my you're pleasure. able to make time. We kind of bump into each other. We see each other every like six months, and it's uh, it's always like good catching up and seeing what you're doing creatively. Well, because we used to see each other weekly, which was great, yep. and and or more depending on you know how often you were there at WPSU, and you know always had good times. And of course, you know, pandemic happens and everyone goes their separate ways for a while, and then I left uh, to go and you know go back to the freelance world. Yeah, you're actually the last producer that I worked with before the the furlough, right before everything. We worked on some like spring camp, I think, video or something like that that was going out. Sounds right. And uh, I just remember being like getting pumped that I was going to be working with you for the season. And then and then it just didn't happen. I was like, wow, that glad I got fucking excited about nothing. Although I will say this, that pandemic year was actually a fun year to do football at Penn State because there was no, um, you know, tailgating. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, for us, remember when we had like those noon games, we had to be there at six in the morning. Yeah. You know, to film and get all our stuff together. I rolled in like an hour before kickoff, you know, parked right in front of Beaver, <laughs> go right in the media entrance and right through. I mean, that, I mean, and then there's no one in the, in, in all of Beaver. It was awesome. So from, from a logistical standpoint, I really enjoyed that, what, eight game season they had late in uh, 2020. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, even though our record was not very oh, yeah, stellar. Oh, record was awful. Yeah, but a, but it was it was it was a it was a fun season to be a part of in that aspect from just a producing logistical standpoint because didn't have to deal with all the other BS of you know having to wake up at zero dark thirty and going and you know filming all the fans and tailgating. It was nice just to be able to roll up, roll in, and do your job. Yeah, and then inadvertently though you lose like the uh, <laughs> the initial establishing shots that oh, you yeah. need to set up your episodes that you're like oh here we are at the tailgate you're like oh yeah nobody's doing that. But that's the thing that the show went away now. We didn't have unravel yeah. the, the actual. We weren't doing a linear show anymore. We were doing kind of a, you know, a digital version of it, but it wasn't nearly what it More was twenty nineteen, which was part of the reason I came here. Was yeah. you know the idea of taking the show that you know needed, from my standpoint, a lot of work, and I think a lot of the people would agree with that, and you know, molding it into something that you know myself as the producer and the people I work with, as well as the audience, would be proud of. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, it's hard whenever your higher ups are the ones that are kind of like pushing you in a certain direction and that direction is aimless and you can tell you're just kind of like, okay, but you did hire me to do this thing that you want me to do. And you seem to not mind that you're bottlenecking me from being able to do that in the first place. And that was one thing, like when I came here, when, when I interviewed for this position at, you know, WPSU to, to, 
you know, run uh, and, and be the, you know, lead producer for Unrivaled and everything. Um, you know, I sat down and had interviews with, you know, one of the ADs of at, you know, Penn State for their broadcasting and, and communications, one of the higher ups at WPSU and, and one of the uh, higher ups within the, the football staff. And one of the first things, you know, as we were talking, I said to him was like, are you OK with constructive criticism? And they're like, yeah, well, I was like, your show is unwatchable. <laughs> and they're like, what? I was like, it's just it's not a, like I, I have no reason to be invested. Why should I tune into this show? And so having those conversations, them listening uh, and then, you know, talking about, you know, the changes I think to be, need to be made. And, you know, will they give me and this team and everyone the freedom to do that? Uh, you know, we ended up, you know, creating a show that we were really proud of. Um, that ended up getting, you know, a lot of recognition, both internally, externally, and then, you know, uh, garnishing, uh, two Emmy nominations and one Emmy win. Yeah. So those are all great things. And then all of a sudden, you know, four months after that all happens, it kind of goes away. Yeah. And they want to get into this whole more social digital space and we're repackaging shows, doing other things. And we got away from what I'm passionate about, just storytelling. Yeah. And so that that's definitely the thing that I think you're really, really good at. Like for me, I had been spending, I, I was given a lot of creative free reign for everything that ever I, I had to do beyond the A1 block, like the intro. And I was really glad that they just kind of let me run with the intro because it was like, I'm a Penn State fan. That's yeah. why I came back was to kind of do some service for my alma mater. It certainly wasn't for the pay. That's certainly <laughs> for sure. And when I was trying to like basically put my best foot forward, I was like, okay, like this is the story I would think that people that are in this area still want to hear and you could find the snippets of audio and everything in it to make that happen. And when they gave me free reign, it was great. Uh, and then when they started wanting to put in more of like the, Hey, make sure you use this play because we want to yeah. do this feature on this player or whatever. It was like, yeah, but that play was, it was good, but it wasn't top five. I wouldn't say, or like, you know, in, in an intro of 30, 60 seconds, I've got maybe three to four plays. You can really set up if, if you're going with them from the whole moment building aspect of it. And and that was my ability. I love telling short form storytelling is like, that's like one of my favorites. But like I used to watch uh, 60 second docs on Facebook. Yeah. Fucking love them. And you'd be like, man, that's so crazy. You just packed all that in 60 seconds and I'm invested. I would watch the other 30 minute episode mini series or whatever. And yeah, I don't know. I just feel like whenever you came in, I remember sitting in the booth with you. It was <laughs> very different because you immediately had this like clear direction of where you were trying to go with what you were doing. And like you said, you know, I didn't have to pick out music for you to cut to. But sometimes you would if you had something you already had. You were like rolling with it and you're like, I got an idea. Let's go with this. Yeah. But sitting in a room with you and having somebody – that's usually – an armchair editor is usually the biggest pain in the ass ever. But it's not when somebody comes in they've got a clear vision and you know that what they're going to have you execute on is going to get cleared as soon as it goes through the ropes. You know, like it's – okay, it's done. Once it's done off my plate, I didn't have to worry about coming back for edits really. Or if I did, they were like two minuscule ones. You'd be like, I can, I can get somebody to pop in for that because I keep really limited hours. They wanted me for like 31. Yeah. But I was like – because I didn't want to go full time because I didn't want to be union. And I didn't, uh, you know, so I was basically relinquished to like 15 bucks an hour to do work that they're banking Emmys on, but not, uh, you know, really fully utilizing, I think, everybody's creative talents in the pool that they Did had. they put your name on that? Um, I did, yes, one of the years, yes. Okay. But it, it was for a segment that I like barely touched. And But I'm saying for when we won series, were you a part of? Did you get a trophy or no? I don't know whose name. I know they only allowed ten names. Ten names, yeah. And, I and so I got the yeah, I got the clearance to go get my like Emmy statue. Yeah. But like I, I was like, so when I they didn't this, buy it for you? No, because I'm not full time. Oh, that's horseshit. <laughs> so I was just like, I, which is fine. So I'll I'll pay for my own Emmy eventually. I'll go buy my trophies so I have it. But 
Uh, it's not at the top of my list. And like, yeah. honestly, like what does having an Emmy ultimately do for you other than give you like the social cloud amongst people that give a shit about it, which is good if you're trying you to get something in. cool for your background. For your yeah, podcast. certainly true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe I should. Now I got the podcast. I should, I shouldn't fuck around. I should order it. But yeah, so, uh, I got to, uh, that was what was crazy to me. I was like, oh, you win an Emmy and they make you pay for your own trophy. And I thought everybody had to pay for their own trophy. They were like, and, like literally you, I think you told me like six months ago, you're like, no, like. They just, they yeah. just give me and you give me time. It's like you lose or whatever. Like I don't know what they cost, but I think it's a couple hundred bucks. It's like three three hundred something. Yeah, right. so you can write and get. Like I actually, so I've been fortunate to. That was the second one I've won. I've been nominated for a few others, and you know, it's one of those things where, you know, everyone says it's an honor to be nominated, and it is. Don't get me wrong, it, it really is. It's cool, yeah. But like losing sucks. Yeah, just like yeah, everybody yeah. else. You, know, you made me give a shit about this thing, and then now all of a sudden it's not. A, you, you dangled the carrot in front of my face, yeah. and then I didn't get the award. So I lost. You know. I, two or three times before I won one and it got to the point where I actually stopped telling like family and friends that I was even nominated because right. it sucks having to be like, Oh yeah, by the way, I lost. Yeah. yeah it was yeah. like your mom or whoever's excited. They want to hear about it after like, they know you're all dressed up. Cause like for at least the national sports Emmys, cause we didn't get to do the one for this because of the pandemic. They didn't yeah. have it. I think yep. it was like online or something. Yeah. So, you know, for the national ones they have, you know, it's a big to do in New York city and you know, all the sports people there and yep. you know, all these big presenters and, Everyone's dressed up and there's, you know, cocktails before and after, and it, it's a great time. But you sit there for like three or four hours as they go through all these, you know, other categories. categories and they finally get to yours, which is the only one you kind of care about, except for other ones your friends might be up for. Right, right, right. And then it's like they say someone else's name, you're like, oh. <laughs> Yeah. And then like two uh, hours later, you get like a phone call or, you know, from your mom or the next morning when you're, you know, hungover. Did you get it's it? It's like, yeah, so, you know, how'd it go? Did you win? I was like, no. And lucky you, it's usually she's told a shit ton of your family members right before the holidays because you yeah. go home around Thanksgiving and you're like, oh, we heard you were up for it. You're like, I didn't get it. And they're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> the walk down their excitement. Well, for the national ones, it's like March or April. So you got, yeah, you yeah, got yeah. this like, you know, there's, there's nothing really. Yeah. Uh, I don't know when regionals are. I can't remember when that was. That was. I think it's like October, September. October. Yeah, I think so. Because I remember when we won for, for the Penn State one, I was at my buddy's lake house in Raystown Lake and uh, we were celebrating their my, my friend and his wife's anniversary. And so there's like a dozen of us up there, like, you know, having a good old time. And, you know, I got the call or the text or email, whatever that we won. And it was kind of cool because I was able to share that with a bunch of friends right away. Right. Yeah. yeah as and, soon as it happened. And that was, no, no, and no one even knew that I was, you know, nominated for that. I didn't say anything, but like after the first two or three with, you know, when I was with ESPN and stuff, they, you know, I stopped telling people. And, um, finally like the, the year I won, I think I only told like my big brother, he forgot, which is nice. <laughs> Um, and so then, uh, I was like, what am I going to do this thing? Cause it's big. It's cool. It's, yeah, it's an yeah. awesome looking statue. And, um, you know, I, I was, you know, extremely proud of it, but I was like, what am I going to do this? Like, am I going to put it on my mantle or anything? I'm, <laughs> right. You know, how many years is it cool to keep this around yeah. before it starts to look like I haven't won one in a while? <laughs> Cause that, yeah, it's not like, yeah. You know, do, can I put next to it? Like, you know, lost previous, you know, so kind of, you know, yeah, yeah. little, little paper ones that, you know, represent the lo losses. But, um, you know, it's one of those things where I wouldn't be where I'm at. And I think a lot of people can probably, you know, kind of agree with this or, or I, I wouldn't be around without like my parents and, yeah, and the support yeah. they gave me and everything. You know, I fell in love with this industry and everything when I was like 13. Um, Damn one, young. Yeah, exactly. Well, so here's the thing. My, so my, one of my, I've got two older brothers. So one of my brothers was going to, he was like a senior in high school and he was going on his like spring break trip with the senior class to like the Bahamas or something. And then my other brother that summer was like part of the French club and he was going to like France and Switzerland and stuff to go do that. So for like spring break, I think I was in seventh grade. They were like, well, we got to do something for Mikey so he doesn't feel like left out. So right. they like shipped me off down to Miami where my uncle live. And my uncle's in the industry. He's, uh, you know, with, with ABC News. 
And while I'm with him, you know, kind of a story breaks and I get to go be a part of this with him and see him like interviewing and then see, you know, uh, you know, what the producer's doing, what the camera is doing. And this was back in the day and, you know, it was being, they had to edit it right away to hit the satellite. And then the satellite had to feed it to New York for Good Man America the next morning. Then also for like, I think it was also on World News Tonight with Peter Jennings that night. And so the next morning, wake up and here I am on the couch, you know, between my uncle and I'm watching him on TV. I'm like, that's kind of cool. Yeah, and of course you uh, I can mess with that. Yeah, and I, like I got to see what everyone else did, and I really fell in love with it. You know, compared to like, you know, these other office jobs, like you know, my father and other relatives and people I've seen, other friends' dads are doing. And I was like, this, you know. So I started, you know, asking and learning more. And then anytime he had to come to, you know, the Metro DC area where I grew up, I would get to go. I, you know, my even when I was in school, my parents would let me, you know, go to school and go do like the day with him and yeah, yeah. see him interviewing other people. And so it just took off from there. And so going into college, like you know, most people are like. I don't know what to do, or like they changed their majors five times. Like I knew I wanted to do broadcast journalism. Um, and you know, at first also because of seeing, you know, my uncle's on air and all these things, I was like, I want to be on air, you know, maybe not necessarily hard news like he was doing, but like sports or right. that, you know, you're seeing, you know, sports center. And then you start to realize how hard it is to do that, to take that path. Yeah, you know, it's a whole other rabbit hole. It's a yeah. whole other thing. It's just like when I was a kid, I wanted to, when I was a kid, yeah. Around the same time, I also had like this dream because my grandfather was a colonel in the Air Force and flew in World War II and Korean Vietnam and, you know, amazing stories and friendships. And I, you know, love the idea of flying. And so like up until I was probably about 14, 15, when I realized what it took to get into it, the goal was to go to like the Air Force Academy. Okay. Then you find out how hard it is to get into one of the academies. You're right. like, okay, yeah, I'm going <laughs> to scratch that goal. Yeah, I guess we'll just go back to that yeah, thing yeah. I had in mind. Yeah, it's like that that one's not gonna work out. Like I'll have to, you know, work on maybe getting just a private pilot's license, but I'm not I'm not gonna make it into one of the academies or anything like that. So yeah, it's stuck with the whole uh, broadcast journalism and, and went to school um at Tennessee because they were, you know, a top twenty five program. I'm not sure what they are now, but I mean their video department's phenomenal. Like VFL films, the stuff they put out, you know, rival stuff you see on you know, uh, ESPN, SEC Network, Big Ten Network, things like that. They just do a phenomenal job. So I can only imagine that their program is even higher now than it was when I was there. So uh, when did you start taking your first foray into the actual, like, media creation world? Like, what was, like, your first, like, early career trajectory, like, professional jump into something? Uh, I mean, probably in college. Like, so, you know, I did through, through high school, you know, we didn't really have, like, a media department, like some schools had that. We had an AV club and I remember all my friends were like, they love B horror movies. And yeah. so they were like running around in high school making B movies. Like it was going out of style. And uh, I, I remember being like, oh, that's, I mean, it was cool, but I never really watched any of it get done. So, I, and I wasn't a big fan of like B horror films. So I kind of like fell out with that group and and that they had gone down this rabbit hole that it, if they had maybe done it differently in a way that I would have maybe been more attuned to creatively, I might've jumped into it then. But I mean, your generation, same as my generation, we're raised with media. So basically most of what we do is reverse engineering elements of things that we like and put and you know, helping them manifest in the way that we want to express our creative vision for something. And and like I just never really got the opportunity to do that until I, after college. Honestly, it was music is what brought me to photography. Like you do a couple tours in Europe where there's no Wi-Fi in a bus or in the, you know, sprinter van, and you're just kind of like Hey Maddie, let me see that camera. Like, show me how this thing works. Like, you yeah. walk this, walk me through this. Like, I don't understand this, and uh, and that's how I kind of got my start. Like, I, I didn't have like a, a clear intention of wanting to do it until I realized I was good at it. I was yeah. like, oh shit, because I hate the period of you, when you start in something and you're not good at it. You have oh. to go through the period of suck. Yeah, and I am not good at being like, oh, I'm not good at this thing that I spent a lot of time doing. 
Well, that's one of the things. So, like, we didn't have an AV club, or maybe we did. I th- actually, I think we did, and they weren't the kids I wanted to hang out with. Yep. It, so, like, it was also like I, I played sports and stuff, and all my buddies were in sports, and and so you know, I didn't you know think about trying to join, you know, the AV club or anything like that. Because also, like, it's almost like you know one of those other things. Like, there's those certain groups and cliques, and you look at them I'm like, yeah, I'm not gonna hang out with those people. So <laughs> yeah, this is just not gonna work yeah, for me. But I go, I get to this to University of Tennessee, and I you know go into the the broadcast journalism classes and, you know, start doing this. And then, you know, everyone's talking about the importance of internships, which is one of the things I tell everyone, you know, all the time about this is like, you can't get enough internships, start as early as you can, high school, college, you know, like, yeah. this is still a competitive field and it's a small field. So like the more you can start getting your name out there, starting to make connections, the more important. Well, I thought I had this, you know, or not thought I had this, you know, great connection through my uncle and, you know, reach out to him to get an internship with, you know, ABC news, uh, up in New York. And, um, you know, reach out. And I mean, that was taught a valuable lesson. Like he, uh, you know, puts me in touch with the person in charge of the internship program up there in with ABC news. And I end up getting this like packet to like fill out and I'm going through this thing. I'm like, I don't have any of this. Like, you know, and then they, they want like samples of writing, written work and samples of, uh, you know, anything you've done on radio or TV and stuff like that. And I was like, I don't have any of that. And like, I was, I was expecting a handout because you're my uncle. I've already you're, seen you're it. I've seen how it's done. You're well, like, but you're you're a big wig. Like you're yeah, you know, like, yeah, yeah. You know, just pull the strings. Yeah, like, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like the magic genie. Rub that, and make it happen. And he made me go through the process, and I didn't fill it out because I knew you were going to. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I'm going to waste my time. But I also realized, all right, in order for me to do this, I've got to start showcasing him. You know, the stuff I can do, and you know, ask down the line again. So for the next two years, I end up doing you know. DJing at the local radio station at, you know, I think it was WTK and then working, you know, with our news production teams there on campus, whether I was doing some on air or filming or editing and producing and all that. So that was really my first, like, you know, you know, diving into it and, and jumping in and, and seeing what it was like and really enjoyed. And that was back when it was tape to tape editing, which was frustrating as hell. Like I'm, to totally this day, you, know, you know, yeah, you know, I'm not an editor. Like I can sit there. And so, but we had to sit down and do our own things and that could be, I really enjoyed shooting. And filming, and that was great. But you know, at the end of the day, it was, it was always storytelling yeah. and getting these stories and talking to whether it's you know other athletes on campus or you know the school of business or or whatever it was architecture, um, and and you know getting getting these stories. I still have a few of them, you know, somewhere you know on VHS somewhere. But um, you know, then I was sending my scripts and sending some of this work to my uncle, and it came back. And I mean, it looked like Freddy Krueger. It was just, you know, red slashes everywhere. And, and, you know, I'm like, and it would be like, that was a good phrase or a good turn of phrase or, you know, nice sentence or nice use of whatever, like one or two in between all these just red lines. And I was like, am I cut out for this? Because that's when you start questioning yourself. Like, because now I'm, but, you know, kept at it. And, you know, two years later, went back to him again and said, hey, can, you know, can we, can you put me in touch with that person? Because I, was ready to go through the process. Right, 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 right. You got the credentials. Yep. At this point. And I was like, you know, I'm, I'm ready. It. I'm ready to fill out this, you know, dictionary of, of, you know, packet that I have to do or whatever it was. And he's like, all right, let me get back to you. And so, like a couple days later, he calls me back. He's like, uh, unfortunately, the summer internships are, are full. I was like, all right. Uh, he's like, would you be able to do it in the fall? I said, yeah, why not? Yeah, of course. Uh, he's like, all right, uh, give me another day or two. I was all right. So he gets back and he's like, uh, contact this person. Uh, you'll probably need to be up here August, whatever. I'm like. Okay, um, but what about filling out everything? He's like, no, you're good. So, I mean, be- but because I, you know, he saw everything I did. Now he's got no problem, you know, yeah, using his name. Yeah, it's true. And putting his name out there because he's, you know, 
fairly certain I'm not going to embarrass him. Yeah, certainly. It also helped we don't have the same last name. So at the same time, right. you, don't, you know. He had added a degree yeah, of protection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, both, which works good for both of us. <laughs> yeah, he was sequestered like, from any uh, incurring damage he, that he could have gotten. He doesn't have to worry about, like, or doesn't, like, that's not true. He, like, getting in there, I was able to make a name for myself without it being associated with that name because no one knew I we forgot. were we were the you I'm know related slacking in sorry i gotta that's all I just right gotta that's fucking get you set and up so here. so i get up there and this was fall of 2000 and I'm, I'm doing this internship with you know primetime live in 2020 and you know for i don't know how that that age group or demographic for your viewers but fall of 2000 was a big political scene that was the bush gore election yeah yeah, yeah. you know we had hanging chads, hanging had supreme, chads. you know supreme uh court you know decisions and all these things like it, it went on and on and so it seemed like Every night, something else is happening, and like Diane Sawyer, Sam Donaldson, or someone's breaking into like NYPD Blue or something, and giving an update about like hanging chads in Florida or Supreme Court yeah. rulings or all these other stuff. So, I really got to dive into the deep end and and you know experience a lot because of what was going on at that time in news. And trial by fire in that regard can be really good for you because it puts you like, hey, here's what an influx of data looks like. How you how are you going to manipulate this and funnel this into storytelling and narrative? Like, go ahead, go. Yep. And then when Michael came up, like he didn't live in, in New York proper. So he'd come in when he had to do assignments. And then, you know, so one of the first times he came up, like, you know, comes over and I'm in my little cubicle and I'm kind of working on whatever. And, you know, gives me a big hug and this, that. And there's always other producers in AP. They're like, why is he hugging that guy? Right. And like, again, you know, it, it still took weeks for people to figure it out. But by that time, I'd already made a name you know, for, for myself. And it was funny because they had a loudspeaker system. And so when people needed something, it was like, Mike, the intern, come to floor three, Mike, the intern, floor <laughs> seven. Or so it was always Mike, the intern, which was awesome. So actually on the outside of my cubicle, I just little thing said, Mike, the intern. Um, but like that, because of that, you know, again, it, it all came down to, you know, working your butt off um, and, and making connections. And so there was a guy that was an AP there. His name was, uh, Terry and he, you know, took me under his wing and, you know, get guided me in, in more ways than one, uh, with, you know, the, the news world and, and sports. Cause he was at ESPN earlier and, and gave me a lot of, you know, useful, um, tidbits and things along the line and just a real mentor. And to this day he still is. Um, and, you know, fast forward, I, you know, finished the internship, I go back to college, I graduate and, you know, you know, the market kind of dries up and I was hoping to get back and get a job there, but they weren't hiring there. Everyone was like on a hiring freeze and stuff. So, you know, make my way out West and like a bartender in, uh, in Park City during the Olympics, which was awesome. Yeah. And a ski bum had like a, a, got a job as like a lift operator also like two days a week to be able to get my lift passes throughout the, the Park City area. But, uh, you know, that goal was to, you know, get in with NBC Sports and like be like a, a runner or a page or something with them during the Olympics. Yeah, like 36 hours and they get in there, I got a job as a bartender. And so never <laughs> even looked back at, you know, trying to find this, you know, and make my way into NBC. Um, and so now, I'm, you know, season's over. I'm kind of making my way back uh, east. And my older brother lives in Chicago. I'm like, all right, you know. You know, we're close, so I'll, I'm going to try, you know, living with him in Chicago for a while. And, you know, there's the Bears, the Cubs, the White Sox, WGN. Right. There's all these, you know, outlets there. I'm going to try to get a job there. So while I'm there, I did. I was the best man at my buddy's wedding back in Maryland. So I go back for that. And while I'm home for that, like I was going to be home for like four or five days, Terry calls me up. And we hadn't spoken in like six, eight months. And he's, you know, asking me what's going on in this and that, you know, kind of fill him in. He's like, would you be interested in moving back to New York? I said, yeah, what's the opportunity? He's like, well, I'm back with ESPN. I'm like, cool. I was like, yeah, I'm with this, you know, group called ESPN Original Entertainment. We do, you know, docs and long form series and all this stuff. And he was basically like, you know, I've got 30 resumes in front of me. I want to hire you. Mine yeah. wasn't one of those 30. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, so like, again, it goes back to the, you know, I made, you know, again, because 
worked my butt off and, and, you know, listened and everything fairly well. Um, the, still, still working on the listening To the part. degree that I can. Yeah. Um, you know, but it, 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 it was a lasting impression with him. And, yeah. you know, he wanted to work with me again and also see me succeed and give me an opportunity. And so, uh, you know, it's funny, basically over the course of the next 24 hours, you kind of went over like salary and things like that. And then he's like, what do you got going on? I was like, well, I'm the best man. And this was like on a Thursday, Friday now. So we come to the agreement on like Thursday. Um, he's like, all right, what do you got going on? I was like, well, I'm the best man in Wednesday on Saturday. He's like, cool. You can be here Monday. I was like, sure. Yeah. If that's what you need me, I guess. Yeah. I guess if I'm, if I'm putting my money where my yeah, mouth is, so I'm going to be there. Now I got to figure out, you know, where I'm going to live in New York city. And I'll also end up getting like a room to rent in Queens. Like, you know, the, uh, what's the show? Like uh, King of Queens. Yeah. I was living in like one of those kind of like row houses. Okay. And there was like four other rooms in it that were all rented out by, you know, individuals. So I got this for, I don't know, 600, $700 a month. And again, parents are helping me because I don't really have any money. So they, you know, thank you, mom and dad. Another reason you know, they get that. <laughs> I wouldn't be here without, I wouldn't yep. be here without them. So get up there and I'm doing, um, you know, any, He's, and here's the good thing. Like, you know, they're good people when they bust your balls in a good way and have a good sense of humor. So I ask him, and this is, it's August now. Or no, it's July. It was like July 13th or 14th. Um, and I was like, you know, what's, what's the attire? He's like, oh, it's, you know, like ABC was like, you know, business casual, you know, slacks, shirt. So I show up, you know, slacks, shirt, tie, like ready to rock and roll my first day and go to this like production house in downtown Manhattan, like right, right in Times Square, pretty much. Um, and roll up and in. And there's Terry and the other guy I'm be, uh, you know, working with and the editor, they're on like shorts and flip-flops and t-shirts, <laughs> like just hanging out. And he's you. just, he just, I walk through the door and he just starts laughing. He's like, he's like, gotcha. I was like, oh, you son of a bitch. <laughs> like, That's a good one. So yeah, I mean, you know, from there. But you're not mad that you're like well-dressed in downtown. <laughs> no, I was just mad because it was hot as hell. I'm like on the subway, the subway, yeah, you know, yeah, you're yeah. like, that's a cattle car. So it's, you know, twice as hot. And I also don't even know where I'm going. So I leave earlier. I still get lost. Like, because when I was interning in New York, I lived either uh, in Brooklyn Heights, which is an easy train up, or I was uh, at a second apartment. The two places I lived, the first was actually like, uh, I guess like Spanish Harlem, like, uh, you know, up in the 120s and like Broadway or Columbia or Columbus Avenue, somewhere in that re region. And so it was an easy shot down to, you know, ABC, which was 66 in Columbus, I think. Uh, now, you know, I'm, you know, out in Queens, not sure how to get in, you know, trying to read the subway map and all this stuff. Right. You know, where do I go? What do I, which well, line it's not do I get spray painted. And, yeah, and then you get off and you're like, okay, and I'm trying to remember, okay, avenues go north, south, streets, east, west. I'm here. All right, so you take, nope, not that way, and go back that way and, you know, walk the four blocks or whatever. And you're just like, pretty much drenched already and then you walk up and you see all your buddies in in shorts and flip-flops you're like okay tomorrow's gonna be different and so, yeah. so this is the start of you at espn this, this is the start of me at espn it was freelance for this project um and you know wasn't sure what it was gonna lead to but you know basically it was guaranteed like six eight months work and it was probably the highest rated show i've ever done now uh because it was a blooper show espn's blunderful world of sports okay uh, which you know me and him and like we like i actually yeah, get a little credit for coming up with the title for that because we can't use the word blooper because that's trademarked by oh, like Dick Hart Productions or something like that. Oh, okay. Because, right, you know, that. he had these blooper shows. So I think we, I, I don't think we could use the word blooper for that reason. I, I mean, this is a while ago, so memory could be a little fuzzy. But, um, yeah, we came up with Blunderful World of Sports to play on, like, Wide World of Sports and all right. that kind of stuff. And, um, yeah, I mean, I you know, those shows just right through the roof because everyone wants to see, you yeah, know, that kind of stuff. Everybody laughing. Yeah, or, you know, the the it's like, you know, uh, was it um, the agony of defeat as well? You know, you want to yeah, see those yeah, things happen yeah. also. So we we did this show and um, it was kind of cool. I ended up working with a guy who 
ended up making it very big uh, about a year later because he was talking a little bit about it. But Morgan Spurlock was our reporter for this show. If you remember Morgan Spurlock for like uh, Super Size Me, that documentary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was like our reporter on the show going around because we had like 10 moments that we went and tried to recreate or interview the people that were a part of these. And some of these happened in various places around the world. So he he was the the reporter for, for that. And so it's kind of funny because, you know, six months, a year later or whatever, he, you know, becomes a big deal with that whole Super Size Me doc. And, you know, I remember him kind of talking about it a little bit, but he was in a hush hush. And uh, so, is you know, again, you just never know who you're going to work with or what's going to happen. Pre-NDA, but you're, like, too afraid to really boast or talk about something because you're yeah. like, if this fucking falls through, I'm going to look like an idiot. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, you definitely get to a point where you stop talking about projects that are maybe down the pipeline because you're like, this doesn't come through. I'm going to be bombed first off. And then second of all, I feel like a dickhead because I didn't get it. Well, and I'm superstitious like that. Like, you know, all you got all these athletes that grow out their beards and stuff for, for playoff right. runs, all these things. And I've had enough of these things, whether, you know, it's a job I wanted or a story or something I wanted that I'm working on. It doesn't come to fruition. And you talk about it and people ask about it and you're like, you know, kind of like losing an enemy. You don't want to say, hey, yeah, I didn't get that. Like it yeah. sucks having to tell people I didn't get stuff. And then you got to get the, oh, well, it's for the best. Like something better is going to yeah, come yeah, along. Yeah. That was the like, way it was supposed to happen. You're like, well, yeah. it sure as hell doesn't feel no, like that. No, it's like, you know, part of my heart's missing out. Like this is something I was passionate about. Like, yeah, yeah. and, and there's still a few projects like that that I'm working on that are in like this ether that I'm hoping come to fruition. And part of them, like some are – I've been shot and I need, you know, some other people to get on board with me and others. But it's one of those things where I don't – I get superstitious talking about certain things because – Yeah, I'm like as soon as I fucking yeah. open my mouth about this, I know it's not going to go through I, I, for some dumb reason or another, dude. Yeah. Dude, cheers. cheers. Thanks for coming on. Yes, Appreciate always. you, bro. Pleasure. But yeah, so that was – was, it was eight months with, with them and then, um, and then I was out of work in New York City for – six, eight weeks. And that sucks. Cause that's an expensive city to live in. Yep. Both real estate wise, rent and all that stuff. Like just to do anything. <laughs> New York city has what I call like a $20 tax. You go out your front door, you're spending $20 on something. Yeah. Not even you don't, you don't know what? I don't, you don't know, know where. I don't, yeah. I've got no idea where it goes, you know, and, and, but you're spending $20 on something. And, you know, so being out of work for six, eight weeks, however long it was. And, uh, that, that was no fun. And I was making so, you know, little money. I was basically almost living check to check. Um, would love it when my uncle would come into town. Cause that mean I wasn't, that means I wasn't eating ramen. I was going to like a good meal yeah, you're getting, and stuff like you're that. Yeah. I'm like, oh yeah. And you know, got to hang out with, you know, some of the other, at this point now I get, I've gotten to know some of the other, you know, uh, talent and reporters and stuff at ABC. So every so often I get invited out with them to have drinks and stuff like that. Um, and you know, it was one of those, I remember one time we were out and it was me and my uncle and, you know, one other reporter and one of their buddies, like five of us. And, you know, I'd, been pretty much a leech for a while now getting you know drinks and, and food and stuff for from uncle and everyone else for a bit so i go i'm gonna get this one round it's like five drinks it was like two beers and like you know three cocktails nothing crazy i remember it came back and it was like 97 dollars and i was or 90 maybe it was 95 whatever it was because you know i put my i barked in it through college and everything right and you're used to like pretty much you know a bucket drink kind of thing you hope you get that with college students right but like a $95 tab for five drinks or something. I was like, are you kidding me? And I think I ended up tipping like $5. Because, hey, it was all I could really afford. Right, right, right. You know, I was already like, pushing yeah. the envelope like, here in the first yeah, place. I'm, I'm already past. Now I'm like, ramen's not even in my sights anymore. <clears throat> I'm like, you know, hoping that I can get whatever's cheaper than ramen. And to live off of now because I spent this. And so, but the the I remember the bartender kind of took offense to this. And one of the guys kind of basically stuck up and was like, all right, well, we've all been taking care of you. Now we're out. 
And so just, you know, left that bar and went someplace yeah, else. Yeah, the tower over yeah, the one dude yeah. who clearly, like, bro, the way you probably approached oh. the bar was like, please, sir, I'd yeah. like these five well, drinks. I mean, I know I'm doing it. was like, hey, and I just wasn't expecting it to be $100. Yeah. 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 I was like, God, are you kidding me? But my, like, my big brother was a huge uh, help because during that time, you know, I would uh, pay my rent and do all these things. And I'd be usually down a couple of dollars and I'd pay him back. And then he'd loan me money again the next month. It was like this vicious cycle. <laughs> um, but the funniest is that I finally get, um, that starving artist thing yeah. real, real. So like a year and a half into living in New York, you know, I'm, I'm now fully employed by ESPN and making, you know, a, you know, decent wage. And, and I go to Chicago to visit him and, uh, go to pay him back. I think I owed him like $500. And so, um, you know, my brother and I, we have a great relationship and, you know, we're always, you know, razzing each other and busting balls and all this stuff. So, I, but I wanted to pay him back in person, you know, not sitting. So that's why it took me like an extra three months because I know I was going to go see him. I yeah, had the yeah. I just wanted to do you know, the last one in person and thank him. So I go to, you know, the bank and go to the teller, you know, hey, I need to take out $500. She goes, how would you like that? I was like, that's a great question. Do you have 500 Sacagaweas? And she's like, I'm sorry. I was like, you know, Sacagaweas, the little gold coins, like <laughs> yeah. that with, you know, the, you know, Native American lady holding the baby. And she's like, no, I know what you're talking about. I was like, yeah. She's like, 500? I was like, yeah, do you have 500 of those? She's like, let me see. <laughs> so she comes back. She's like, uh, I think we only have, uh, we've got 137. I'm like, cool. I'll take those. I'll take all those yeah, and the rest those. in big bills, please. <laughs> no, well, that's the thing. She goes, okay. And how would you like the rest? I'm like, quit asking these dumb questions. So I'm like, singles, of course. Ones. Yeah. So now I'm listening to this machine, you know, just counting all the singles. And right across the street from the bank was a, uh, so I'm, you know, I'm walking out with this bag that's jingling. <laughs> a duffel. Yeah. I mean, it, it's almost like a Scrooge McDuck thing. Because yeah. you get this thing jingling and cash and everything i'm like and heavy yeah exactly so right across the street was a uh, uh like a tj maxx or marshall's so i go in there and get um like little chicago cubs backpack put it on there and shake it up really well so it's not uh organized you know, yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's not banded i don't want anything banded so it's, it's all like that and walk in the house and uh my brother's got uh got triplets and he's sitting there on his couch with these you know three little ones i they were under two next to him and you know i just chuck it mad and it's in one of those perfect shots and he's like, oh i was like we're even man he opens up he's like what the <laughs> yeah. and he's like he just laughed I, I remember hearing i think he ended up was paying pizzas and delivery with sacagaweas for like the next six months or something <laughs> every time they get food delivered he's just like here you go so you call one of the guests who gives you like a two dollar bill or whatever yeah. <laughs> included with your tip you're like thanks those are great for mexico oh, i yeah? like yeah i'll go to the bank and get like fifty dollars and two dollar bills and my brother may have been the one telling me this and give those out like for the, when you're tipping. Oh, yeah. Because they remember you right because they're so rare. Oh, I also yeah, do it at weddings. Nice. Like, they're also great for weddings. Like, you go to, like, because, you know, everyone, first of all, bartenders at weddings suck. Right. You know, they're slow or they don't know what they're doing or, you know, they're just no, there's no rush or speed. Right. And so you, and they're reluctantly working this gig. <laughs> yeah. So I try to, like, you want, you're trying to be memorable. Right. And so I would, a lot of times, I'll take $2 bills and I'll give them a $2 bill on the first thing and make sure they see it, like, not just put it in their jar, like, I'm right, right. going to throw it in a dollar. And they're like, oh, and then they look up and they remember you. Right. So like yeah, two dollar bills are, are good ones to have for certain That's, things. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna implement it. I'm gonna yeah. definitely adopt it. That's a good one. It is. Uh I'm fairly certain that I gotta give credit to, to my brother on that as well. I think he taught me that trick. Um, you know, it's one of those things. Always learning, right? Yeah, man. We were talking last night about how it really kind of comes down to and your story is kind of already kind of testimony. How, wait, 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 before I get into yeah. this, how did you get into what made the jump from ESPN to Penn State? Like, how did that come about? Were you? No, so I would, so uh, end up at, so I'm at ESPN. Uh, I do this, you know, thing for eight months or whatever. Then I'm out for a little bit. Then I go to um, 
working to a show, uh, Jets 24 uh, seven and basically embedded with the New York Jets. And we're doing a linear show that airs, I don't know, an hour before kickoff every week. So did that for uh, a season and then went from there. Were you a Jets fan? No, because I'm from DC. <laughs> I was more of a Jets fan than Giants because I'm a, you know, I grew up being a Redskins fan. Right, right, right. So, you know, living in New York was also rough because, you know, the Giants I didn't like growing up. I didn't like the Yankees growing up. I didn't like uh, the the Rangers. I didn't care about basketball. So, you know, I'm in this area where, you know, I'm surrounded by all these people and who hate my team right. and teams. And so you go to a bar and you're wearing like your ball cap or whatever. And, you know, it's basically constantly being leered at or whatever. <laughs> so... That was handle it well. Yeah, I'm but sure. so yeah, working for the Jets was great because I had no allegiance. Yeah. And they're fun fans because they're like the blue collar fans. The Jets fans are, you know, they they got fireman Ed, you know, who still like leads them in JETS. I, I I assume he's still around. I mean, that guy's an institution. You know, he's yeah. always in the front row. I mean, I haven't been watching enough and seen, but I guarantee if you watch a game on a Sunday, you're gonna see Fireman Ed somewhere in one of the first few rows leading everyone in a JETS chant. He's got his big fireman's hat on, you know, lid and everything. Um, that guy was, he's an institution. There's certain things, you know, that there were certain parts of that Jets culture that were cool like that. Yeah. And that was right when the team was kind of changing, you know, Coach Herman, Herman, Coach Herman Edwards was there. Great guy. Ended up getting to work with him again um, at ESPN and on another shoot I did. Uh, but we had, you know, uh, Chad Pennington was the quarterback who, you know, unfortunately injuries, you know, but he was talented and, and did good. So the team was kind of on this upswing and it was, it was a good time to be there. It was fun. Um, but that, you know, ran, ran its course and another opportunity presented itself. And I went uh, actually to back to ABC News for a short stint for like maybe six months doing like primetime live in 2020. And then an opening came up at ABC Sports, which is, you know, the building over um, and did my one year or six months or whatever of live sports and did. Uh, so in 2004, I was, uh, you know, a PA doing live sports uh, for college football. So every week I was, you know, on the road somewhere. Yeah. But again, it's, you know, who you surround. I was surrounded with some great people. So Terry, and everybody's transitory. Like everybody's kind of in a place where they're at right then, but they're all trying to get yeah. to where they're going too. Unless you find, and you know, when you find somebody who's like, I'm locked in, this is where I am. This is what I want to do. This is like where I belong. But for the most part, most of the people you meet are transients. Like they're going and graduating and migrating from like position oh, yeah. and laterally moving to get to where they want to go. And you got to take the next step or see what's available and things. And this came up in, I didn't know much about live sports production. Like I hadn't done any of that really. So sitting in the truck and, you know, doing some of the, you know, I, I guess the techno was like graphics producing, like, you know, I'd be the guy that, you know, punch up something like a flag happened or change the score when it happened. And, you know, you hope you don't screw up. And, and you know, when, when stuff's coming out and you give those like stats, like, you know, so-and-so, uh, you know, six receptions, 120 yards, two touchdowns, like putting those things up so people can, you know, stay up with what's going on in the game. It was fun, but I didn't enjoy it. Like it's, you know, right. I'm not storytelling. Like some of the fun I had was actually giving our sideline reports and stuff like little nuggets I knew, you know, as I'm doing my research on right. stuff. Right, so they have an extra little yeah. bonus thing to throw in there that makes that part of that broadcast pop a little bit. And then I was fortunate because my team was Terry Gannon, who is now with, you know, I think NBC and Golf Channel and everything. Great guy. Uh, he was, so one of his, beyond just being a great broadcaster, he was on the, I hope I don't get the year wrong, 83 NC State National Championship team. You know, with with um, Jimmy V, Jim Valvano. So he's a beast. so he was, he was well, no, he's a point guard, and uh, you know, those part of that team, and and you know, made history. You know, with with that team that uh, was the you know, survive in advance was one of the better thirty for thirty documentaries that's been out that he was a big part of. 
Um, so it's cool hearing these stories from him about his college days and being a part of that team and everything. And then my, my, our analyst was Jamal Anderson, you know, the dirty bird from Atlanta, the running back. And, oh, oh, the dirty bird. Every time he scored, he did his dirty bird dance. I feel like I would remember it if I saw it. But oh. I'm, not, I'm not like, I went through a large era of my life where it was not any, I didn't have anything to do with sports. After I got out of high school, I was like, I kind of dipped out, but then I did my undergrad. So you're like, you're paying attention to the games for yeah. Penn State football. And that was kind of like one of the only real constants when it came to sports for me and like the Pittsburgh Penguins. And and even then it was which I hate because I'm a Caps fan. <laughs> yeah, of course. Like, so, but like after uh, like when I started touring, it was just hard because you're like always on the road. You yeah. can't predict when you're going to get to see a game. I remember like uh, there was a tour that I did. We were in Europe, and it was like the Giants and I want to say the Steelers were in a Super Bowl, and there were like patrons at this UK bar that were like screaming the TV diehard like they're really into the Super Bowl over there. Yeah, when it's like whenever when it suits them, I think. But it was cool to be like, all right, that's cool. Like I. I don't know any of the players. I don't really know what I'm getting into by watching this, but you can still enjoy. That's what I do like about certain sports is you can just pick up and watch the game if you want to watch the game and chill and relax. Oh, yeah. And just go. Just go. You're fine. If there's a good game, I'll watch it. I don't like, right. you know, I'm, you know, being a graduate of Tennessee, you know, we have a saying, you know, bleed orange. You know, VFL is another one, Vol for Life. Like, all those things are a part of me. Like, and I was there go during the golden era. I was there when Peyton Manning was our quarterback. I was there when we won the national championship with T. Martin and Al Wilson and those great teams. And then, you know, we had one other BCS uh, game right before I left and, you know, had a couple good years in the early 2000s. Then it just started nosediving. And I've had a couple of relatively decent years. This this past year was our best one. So going, you know, 11 and two, yeah. um, you know, ha having that that tough loss to South Carolina and our quarterback going down with a non-contact injury. But I mean, I'll watch no matter what. And right now, like I just went to my first Tennessee baseball game. I was just back in Knoxville, flew into Nashville to see mom and dad. Um, and, and do like Mother's Day early and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And, um, but then me and uh, a couple of buddies from, from the bar I worked at in Knoxville, we, you know, kind of host or co-host this, this crawfish bowl. So I'm one of the guys that goes back and oh, cooks with two yeah. of my other buddies. And so look forward to it every year. Um, and so I'm back for that, but I also see a bunch of friends. My old roommate lives there with his wife and kids. So we ended up, they, they were able to pawn their kids off to their grandparents on Friday night. So <laughs> me and my, my roommate and his wife went, and it was my first Tennessee baseball game. And Tennessee baseball is doing really – last year we were like number one in the country and had a rough loss in the, the Super Regionals. But this year they're, you know, kind of on the upswing. And so we go to a game Friday night, and it's, and it's an awesome environment, great experience. And what makes it even better, and maybe, you know, if they did this when I was in college, I would have gone – but like, you know, now you can buy beer at these events. Like right, back then right, you couldn't right. buy beer at, you know, collegiate events. And now you can. And so, you know, you get a couple of beers. It's like being at, you know, Wrigley Field or something. And we're talking about, you know, getting rid of that tuition. So they're yeah. like, oh, well, we're going to have to find a way to make our money then. And well, we <laughs> That was the best part about the bar I worked at was called Cool Beans. Oh, okay. And so, you know, a lot of these, you know, sorority and fraternity guys, you know, coming in and using mommy and daddy's credit card and everything and paying for stuff. And I kept hearing stories from people that like they told their parents it's a coffee shop. Oh yeah, I, there's literally uh, a Cool Beans in Belfont yeah, that so I used. I don't know if it's still there, but I used to actually work there. Uh, I did my I did community service there. It was like one of my graduation requirements, I think, for high school, and uh, that was the name of the coffee shop that I worked at. It was Cool Beans. I know it's hilarious when like these kids would you know graduate and they're coming in with their parents. They're like, oh, this is Cool Beans. Yeah, I see. Where's the coffee? You know, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's yeah, hilarious. Yeah. Like this is what I've been. I didn't think they were sixty five dollar coffees. Yeah. It's very weird that you were thinking you were getting away with that. But I, you know, being back and and doing those, you know, you know. I get back to Knoxville when I can and see, you know, friends and, and go to games and do that stuff. And it's a, it's a fun environment, but, uh, to get for, for how I got to, to Penn state to backtrack again. Um, 
I was with uh, you know this this group called ESPN Entertainment, and we were doing uh, we did a, a tribute documentary to, to Ralph Wiley, who was uh, the first African American columnist, oh, um, wow. uh, sports columnist with uh, I think it was like the Oakland Tribune, um, and he was actually one of the first three writers for ESPN.com. And right, you know, so there's a story there. Yeah, and he, then he passed away suddenly. Yeah, uh, uh, he had like a heart attack during like game six of the NBA Finals or something like that. And so, you know, the the brass ESPN all, you know, respect and like them want to do something to honor him. So we did this two-hour tribute doc. And, you know, that was one of my first real forays into into long form, like really long form. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you have room to breathe in the documentary yeah. like that. And it that that was I mean, easily a year, year plus. I mean, that was a that was a I remember being like, wow, this really is taking a while. Um, and you know, l- learned a lot from that, doing, you know, not only, you know. The, the, being a part of some of the interviews, I couldn't go into all of them and, and some of the B-roll shoots, but then having to set up like some recreation stuff, like we ended up, you know, having to do stuff because you're trying to cover all these other sound bites. You don't want right. just people talking on camera like time, them. Yeah. yeah, like like us. Yeah. Um, so they, uh, you know, we're, we're covering all this stuff. We're like, all right, how are we going to, you know, showcase this when he was, you know, became the first, you know, African-American sports columnist. And so we ended up, um, you know, I went to like a, um, like a prop house and got like an old school typewriter that I rented. Right. And then like one of my buddies, single source lighting, yeah. <laughs> like real dramatic style. One of my buddies who's, you know, light skin black guy had him come in and we had, uh, we rented like this big suite in, um, it was the Waldorf Astoria. It was awesome. Nice. Um, and like lit everything up in there. And <laughs> this had little shot, place, maybe you've heard you know, of it. <laughs> yeah. And, and like, so then my buddies, you know, typing away and we're getting all these different shots and writing and all this stuff. So everything's soft focus. So you can't see right, right, who right. it is or what it is, but you know, it, you're seeing the action. Yeah. You're showcasing, you know, this is what it was probably like for, for him at this time. And so like, you know, being a part, being able to set up all those things and, and go through that, that was, that was big. And it, it, it was very well received. And, and, you know, more so fun from the bosses because they wanted it, you know, the high right. ESPN. And, and so, you know, hearing how happy they were with it was good. And then ended up doing um, some work, you know, in, in some downtime, we ended up doing some of these who's number one for ESPN Classic. So those were a lot of fun. Um, and so one of them was who's number one um, boxing's greatest knockouts. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we had another one who's number one, um, like, Greatest postseason performances in the NFL, you know, so like, you know, John Elway drive and stuff like that. But um, we, uh, for the boxing greatest knockouts, that was really cool because one of the guys I got to interview and I mean, a legend also is Burt Sugar, who is this, you know, he's, he's a walking encyclopedia or was, he's I'm passed away now, but, um, you know, always had this like fedora hat kind of half cocked on the back of his head cigar you know most time it wasn't lit but always right there character and, and yeah and just and just knew his stuff and you know just this great look about him he's I, he's been in a couple of the rocky movies oh I mean, yeah. like, like he's that big that like you know they want to you know for authenticity he's like you know yeah, in, yeah. in some of these he's and, the and meta commentary things. of yeah. like having him plugged into um, the movie because he is you know like the godfather when it comes to you know knowledge on all things boxing um now it's probably you know max kellerman but you know yep. burt sugar what was you know end all be all so being able to that was one of the times where like this is really cool. Like I'm loving right. what I'm doing because like this guy, you know, touching he history down. basically. And like we're sitting for partner having it and you know, he wanted to have a drink before we went up to shoot. And I was like, oh God. And I'm green, I'm young. I'm like, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If that's what you want, like I don't know what to do here. I'm also told not to tell you yeah, no. Yeah. So I was afraid to. I didn't know what was gonna happen. So we sit down and he has, you know, bourbon or whatever. And then we go upstairs and come back down. Um, 
I'm trying to think what hotel we were at. Because a lot of times back then, especially you're doing stuff in New York, you're renting a room in a hotel. Yeah, it's got yeah, a big yeah. room and you're looking for something that's like ornate. You don't want like the, the typical Marriott or Hilton where it's, you know, plain white walls. Hard corners. <laughs> so yeah. I th we found these, so it was like one of them was the, the Parker Meridian, I think was one of them. And the Essex house was another one where we do stuff at. Um, oh, it was like Victorian era. Yeah. yeah. And, and so infrastructure inside. Get a big suite. And, and like, yeah. I'd ask to go look for him with the manager and stuff. Or right. Yeah, yeah. You're and, scouting. And yeah, exactly. And I was like, I don't care about the bedroom. Like, I need yeah, this yeah. space. And you, yeah. and you let them know kind of what you're doing. And, you know, they're like, oh, okay. And, you know, we end up getting you know, these beautiful rooms. And then if we need to, we'll put like some tchotchkes or whatever in the background to, to spruce it up a little bit. And, and do these shoots. And uh, afterwards, it was really cool. We After we finished interviewing, which pff, was phenomenal. I mean, I could probably still be talking to him today just because just his, his knowledge and just listening to him tell a story is great. Uh, I remember also thinking as he's talking sometimes, I'm like, how are we going to cut this and edit? Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't want to cut like, any of where, this. Where, and, and like, where do we stop him at? Like, And you're trying to wait for it because I learned a lot else from this. Like, when do you try to cut him off and ask the next question? Because like, how much longer is this answer going to be? Because I already got what I need. Yeah, yeah. I got that like, I got, like three minutes yeah, ago. I was like, oh, God, what are we doing now? And so that, but it was fun. I learned a lot from that. And, uh, but we go back downstairs. And There's definitely finesse to the interview. Oh, like 100%. if you're a, a producer and you're on site, like you definitely got to figure out the ins and outs of threading mm -hmm. that needle. Cause otherwise you were going to get, you're going to be basically garbage collecting whenever you're going through to do your edit. Cause you're going to have to try to find the gold out of all the extra stuff that was said that you don't need. It really can't contextually use to tie into anything else. And it's the same thing when you're, doing that like you'll you want to convey that you're paying attention or like you like what they're saying or whatever's going on but without doing stuff like i remember you know this was literally four weeks ago during march madness i had you know i was letting um you know one of the kids on the team that we were covering was interested in what we we're doing so i let him like do they never like the entire time like, when something funny happened he's like laughing out loud and i'm like we can't use that because you're laughing and i'm like trying to like i was like I'm like off to the side yeah, trying yeah. to tell him what's going on. And, you know, we ended up getting what we needed, but like, you know, I had to talk with him afterwards, but I've, you know, seen the other things. And so, you know, when I'm sitting across from someone and they're telling a great story, I'm like smiling. Oh yeah. Or like, you know, depending on what it is, like you get somber and stuff. You're like, you have to like use like it's facial expression, at least for me to, no, to like to do it. Or if it's like something really good, I'm like, like, you know, I just give them like cues. Like this is awesome. Yeah. Keep going. Like, yeah, yeah, got, yeah. If there's more to this, then, or, and then you ask, you know, the follow up Cause you know, sometimes you can feel like there's more. I'm like, yeah, I don't want to have to ask a follow-up, just keep going. And, you know, give like just little cues and things like that. Just keep leading this information. But Bart and I go back downstairs. Um, I think we're at the Essex house, that one. And we're, uh, World Cup is going on. I can't remember which World Cup it was, but, you know, we're playing, or, or the game was going. I don't know if it was the U.S. or someone else. Well, we sit at the bar, and this ended up just being like a cool moment. And I had like five words with them, um, and maybe a high five after a goal. Robert Duvall was sitting there with a buddy. I'm like, and he's awesome. I love Robert Duvall. I mean, you know, love the smell of napalm in the morning. I mean, like he's got so many, you know, amazing roles. I was like, so here I am sitting next to like a boxing icon and now like an acting icon. And I'm like, this is a great day. Yeah. You know, like I hope the rest of my career is like this. Wasn't, but like, you know, <laughs> you, you have those moments every so often where those happen. Yeah. They're and, surreal. And, yeah. And you're just like, wow. All right. This, this was, this is definitely a good day. And, and you get back and, uh, you know, do stuff. So doing those and then. I'd heard uh, that that ESPN was starting this new magazine show called E60. Okay. And I was like, wow, this sounds like right up my alley. Like long form programming, you know, news magazine style, um, but with sports as the conduit. I'm right. Like this, this is great. This is what I'm looking for. And uh, do some research and find out that this guy uh, uh, Bob was going to be running the um, uh, this this new venture that that you know ESPN is doing. 
and do some research. Term turns out he used to be a former executive or, or senior producer or whatever at ABC. So I was like, Do you know oh. anybody in the same camp? Or I, well, that's it. I was like, so I reached out. It turns out that yeah, he knew my uncle. Nice. And all those other things. So I reached out to my uncle. I say, listen, there's this new show starting. Can you, you know, reach out to your buddy Bob um, and and see if because again, he's at ESPN, Uncle's ABC. It's all Disney. So yeah, yeah, people nah. find him in, in the in the director. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> shoot him an email. And so he does. And I go in and and meet with Bob at his office in New York. And like for 15, 20 minutes, we're sitting there and we're talking about like who we knew at EBS, at ABC and my uncle and all these other things and other people that we knew when I was there and telling stories. And I'm trying to get it back to like, tell me about this new show. Tell me about E60. Like, right, right, right. Yeah. And every time it's like, come back to this. I remember walking out of there and I was so deflated. It was almost kind of like, you know, when my uncle first made me try to fill out the stuff when I was, you know, a freshman in college. Um, I remember walking out going, okay, he just did his favor to my uncle yeah. and met with me. But like, there's no, like, he's got no desire to like hire me or do anything with that. I remember like just walking out, just being like deflated and walking down like Fifth Avenue or whatever it was, park and just being like, because I was really excited about just this opportunity. Just kicking rocks, yeah. fucking walking cliche. So yeah, I, I go back and it's like, I go up to Chicago to see my brother like a couple days later and end up shattering my elbow. Um, and that was no fun. And, uh, you know, go back to Nashville to get surgery and stuff and, you know, kind of stay at mom and dad's and, uh, you know, there's there's a real good orthopedic that uh, my family knew, so he was able to do everything. Um, and while I'm there, I get a phone call. You know, can you come in for an interview for E60? And I was like, and I'm back in Nashville. They want me to come in like that. I was like, yeah, sure, I'll figure it out. So I uh, had um, it was like a I'm now doing PT and I had this like soft cast on. Yeah, that, I could, that was removable. I was like, I'm not walking in with this thing on. Cause like I just want to give him a reason not to hire. Right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's fair. Like that's some of these fair. these execs and everything. It's unfortunate. That's fair, yeah. but you're like you're the last thing you want to do is put anything in the corner a box is getting yeah. checked and say not this guy. And I was supposed to just meet with this woman, Julie, who's one of the execs, and another exec whose name I've forgotten. And then so we have this, you know, it goes great. Like an hour, we're talking. I'm feeling confident. And then near the end, uh, Robert and Andy are the other two execs and, and both still friends. And Robert to this day is, you know, one of my closest friends and mentor done a lot of work with him, both at ESPN and with other projects. Um, you know, meet me for a few minutes is that. And then Robert, you know, Dan was like, Hey, you know, great stuff. Look forward to being in touch and chicks, man, and chicks, man, like you would like a man. And <laughs> I had to bite my lower lip cause it hurt so bad. Oh no. I you're was like, like, Oh, oh thank no. you, sir. Mm -hmm. you're the and I remember walking at that time and I was like, I got a tear coming out of mine. That's just cause my arm was in pain. Um, and you know, a few weeks later end up getting hired and, you know, was one of the original staff of E60, which, you know, is now, you know, it's, it's, I think probably the, the best sports, you know, news magazine shot. I think it, it's, you know, it's, it's unrivaled. I don't, I think it's surpassed what, what real sports and other has done, um, with, with the storytelling and, and, and what they've done with that show. But being a part of that for the first six or so years was, was, you know, phenomenal experience and the stories that I got to tell. I mean, the very first story I got to tell for them was Kimbo Slice. If you remember who oh, that is. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, here's this, you know, badass, you know, bare knuckle backyard brawler and stuff. And they already had this guy on the hook. Like they've already, Robert had like landed him and they were trying to figure out, I think, who to give the story to. And, you know, they're still learning their staff and stuff. And yeah, yeah. You don't know they, what you've gotten the recipe yet. Yeah. And they're, you know, I don't know what it was, but Robert, you know, through his instincts, I mean, it was like, Lofts would be good for this. Right. So they put me on it. So, you know. Because at that point, no offense, but you've probably set yourself up to be, you've teed yourself up to be the person who can make gold out of shit. So well, like. 
And I'm just an AP at the time. But I'm, if you're good at story, you if you're the storyteller seeker, then that's what they need. Yeah. They need somebody who can handle any of these situations. How was it? Was that oh, like it was a, like so? I had to do you know. You know, started doing a ton of research. And then the first shoot we did, Robert was out for that too because he'd set everything up. And so he comes for it, you know, introduces. And then from there on, I kind of took the reins and did all this stuff. And, and you know, Kimbo and I got along great. Um, he, and all his trainers, Boss Rutten and, and uh, Randy Boss Katami. Rutten. Boss Rutten was badass. He's a monster, yeah. dude. You ever watch his old highlight oh, yeah. clips? He's an absolute yeah. fucking beast. My, I, I found out about him through my uh, my bass player, Nick. He's like a huge well, he's, fan. He's like one of the OGs of the UFC. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, original champion and stuff like that back in the day. So, you know, these guys there and interviewing them and, and, and you know, being able to tell this, this phenomenal story. But what made his story unique and different and, you know, is also one of the things that makes my story unique and different compared to anyone else at least at ESPN and probably in sports broadcasting <laughs> in general is so Kimbo's manager and, and close friend is this guy, Icy Mike. I don't okay. know, like that's what you had to call him. Or if you texted him, it was Icy Mike. Like there was, that was it. Like, I don't, I don't know your last name. I didn't know why it was Icy Mike, but that was it. So, um, that's the Kimbo camp. Yeah. Well, Icy Mike runs and Kimbo works for it. Icy Mike, at least at the time, I'm not sure what it is now. the, the largest internet porn company in the U.S., Reality oh, Kings. Oh, wow. No and way. Kimbo was like his head of security for it. Of course he was. No so, wonder he's a nasty yeah. bare knuckle brawler. So, and these two guys go back to like high school or whatever. They've got, you know, a long-standing relationship. So Kimbo's doing, you know, security for these, you know, various shoots. And, you know, we can't just tell part of our story. You know, we got to tell the whole story. So we've got to tell right. that Kimbo also does this. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, if someone else finds it, like, oh, ESPN didn't report about, they you didn't, know, they, yeah, yeah, they didn't acknowledge this. So now they're like, all right, we need to show him at one of these shoots and we're not going to send a camera crew. And they're like, Loftus, you're going to go shoot this. I'm like, all right. And so I've got a camera pretty much like one of yours that's set up right here, little HD cam and thing. And, you know, meet up with Kimbo and he's, you know, the, the, I mean, the story opens with it and it's him opening this like, you know, Humvee limo and like a bevy of hot girls and tight dresses and barely nothing coming out and going up. And so they have all these different, you know, scenarios. And I don't know if these, this one still exists, but at the time, this one was called In the VIP. And so the scenario was like, if you're fortunate enough to get in the VIP, like crazy shit happens. Right, Girls right, get right. naked and like, you know, are doing all kinds of crazy shit to each that's other. That's the pitch. And like, you know, there's a few guys there. And if you're one of the guys there, you get to be with a bunch of these girls doing, you know, Whatever. crazy, yeah, stuff. And so um, I'm up there and I'm filming it. Well, I also have the exact same camera that they're using for like the shoots. Right, it's exactly. Like, so girls are all coming up going like, you know, doing their thing. Like I'm one of them, I'm like, all right. And uh, so at one point, I'm, like, uh, I'm with the other. Yeah. I'm no, no it's I a did, different I, thing. I, you know, we had to, yeah, I'm, I'm filming it and everything. And everyone always asks, like, what was like, it's funny, like, you know, you, you shoot too. When you're looking through the lens and you're doing it, you're concentrating on what you're doing. Yeah, some like, yes, there's naked literal, chicks literal and all this stuff there, but like, you're concentrating on what you're doing. When I set it down, you know, every so often to like, you know, grab a glass of water and hang out and just give it a break because, you know, I don't need to be shooting the entire time. Right, right. Then you're kind of like, holy shit, this is surreal. Like you're just looking yeah. at me like this is nuts. Where the hell am I right you know, now? And then How you pick I... it back up and it goes back into okay, I'm working mode. Yeah, yeah. And so it's easy uh, to go down that tunnel. Once you've got the camera picked up, you're like, okay, it's work. Yeah, yeah. And so uh there, there's, you know, Kimbo's there just looking like a badass. I mean, he's a big dude with this crazy long hair in the back, but nothing on the top, and these dark sunglasses, dark in there anyway. And I'm like filming him, and he's kind of like just there like this. Just looking hard. Yeah. And you know get back and going through the footage and, you know, have to do this. And obviously you're blurring out certain things, but like one of my, uh, you know, distinctions at ESPN is as far as I know, unless it's changed, I am the only person to 
be it a, a porn shoot and also film it for ESPN right. and have parts of it make air. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to actually make the final cut. Mm-hmm. You're like, yeah. Yeah. That was that was uh that was an an interesting one. Um and it's things like that that you love that you never know what's gonna happen, like not necessarily being that guy, but like someone I do and it was like, all right, uh, you know, I'll take that role. And that helped, you know, kind of because it did a good job and was professional about it and didn't, you know, not going in there like a scumbag. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and the story came out great, well received and everything. Um, you know, started to make my a name within, you know, E16, getting, you know, to do more and more. And then uh, you know, you realize the the respect you're getting for other people when, you know, certain things happen. So uh a year or two later, I'm doing a, a feature on DeMarcus Ware, uh, the li- uh, linebacker slash DN for the Cowboys, and then with the uh, won the world the the Super Bowl with the Broncos. Um, we're in Dallas and we're shooting, and it uh, it happens to be my birthday that we're doing the main interviews with them. We'd already shot all this other stuff. Michael Smith is my reporter, you know, and he's doing his thing, doing a great job. And I guess in between, like this was it was HD, but it'll still tape HD. It was those, yeah, yeah, you know, it wasn't digital yet. And so in between a tape change, you know, I think DeMarcus had like an event or something. He asked what we were up to and was invited to come to this. He's like, oh, it's, you know, it's Loftus' birthday. And I got a buddy that um, owns a couple bars up in Denton, Texas. So we were actually going up there, just okay. north of Dallas, where University of North Texas is, to hang out. And he's like, okay, you know, well, if, if things change, you guys let me know and you're welcome to come. You know, I got seats at my table or whatever. So that day was also, we're done shooting and um, we're hanging out in like the kitchen and, you know, kind of just, you know, People are kind of packing up. My cameraman's got a camera and he's filming. That's the day that Michael Jackson died. And so we're watching TV and no one knows if Michael Jackson's there alive. Like every station's reporting. I don't know if you remember, but that was June 25th. Yeah. So everyone's reporting on, you know, Michael Jackson and this and that. And I'm like, you know, I'm kind of, and the camera's like, you know, I'm good friends with the majority of my camera people. I'm like, dude, we've got so much. Like, we don't need to be filming this. And he's like, no, no, it's good. Let me, I was like, dude, put it away. He's like, no, no. I was like, all right, fine. You got 60 seconds. Then we're going to step outside and have a talk. 15 seconds later, DeMarcus Ware comes through like a swinging door holding a cake with candles and everyone starts singing happy birthday. Everyone knew but me, but DeMarcus sent his assistant out during the shoot to go get this cake. Uh, I mean, how stand up is that? That's like, pretty here's, amazing. Here's yeah. a guy, Lily just made it into the Hall of Fame. So I've, a Hall of Famer gave me, you know, a birthday cake That's and him and his sick. wife and daughter and other friends, you know, sung happy birthday. And everyone, and they did a great job giving me a secret because I was like living at my cameraman. But like, <laughs> so again, now on, in, in the VTL, the videotape library at ESPN, on one of the tapes, there's this great scene of DeMarcus bringing a, you know, That's cake cool. out singing happy birthday. Yeah. That's awesome. So th- those are moments that like, you know, you just, and they solidify that you're going to be doing it for a long time. You're yeah. like, cause they're not, they can't all be bangers, right? They can't all be those shoes. So some of them are like the ones that just get the bills covered. And but even beyond that, it's, I think it's more like, Hey, like it shows humanity. Yeah, like, yeah, like, you yeah. know, not everyone's going to do something like that. No, definitely, and it, it, show, it showed the character of someone like DeMarcus Ware. And, you know, there's, and there's, you know, for every DeMarcus Ware, there's someone that's, you know, the opposite side of the coin. Yep. Um, and I've dealt with my fair share of those as well. But, you know, um, it's funny. I actually remember the better moments than I do those. You know, everyone always says, like, it bleeds, it leads, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, Like, I don't remember the bad moments as much. There's, like, one or two. But I remember, you know, the the people that, like, go their way and do cool things and, and like, you know. It's hard not to remember that and have that stick out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like – so, okay. So, did you go to Penn State after E6? No, E6? so E60. So, E60 goes – I end up um, <clears throat> following my, my, my mentor, Robert um, – to this golf lifestyle um, channel that was starting up in Connecticut and had a kind of short-lived life, but, you know, saw an opportunity. Like, they actually had the, the idea and the concept was great. Unfortunately, the higher-up leadership, meaning the, the 
top two or three people, I don't think were the best at executing it. Okay. They had other things that I think were more important than trying to execute this vision. And if there was better leadership, I think they would have had a successful channel that probably would have like rivaled, you know, it would have been kind of like a, a, a cross between, I don't know, the golf channel and, and, um, food network and, and, and I don't know, HGTV. Yeah. Something <laughs> like, like that ETV and lifestyle. Cause it was, it wasn't just all about golf. It was golf. It was lifestyle. It was travel. It was food. It was all these different things. So the concept was there cause you know, more people play golf around the world than like, I think in any other sport. Um, and so there was, you know, a lot of, you know, great stories and things to be told around this, this, you know, environment. And, you know, I mean, you stick to just golf. You have to be a fan of golf to actually yeah. want to be in on that. As opposed to like, I might be, you, there are people that can get like, but there's strange people like me into yeah. golf by being like, oh, I kind of like the culture. Like they yeah. like to go, like, you don't think about part of travel is, is the food that you get to yeah. eat. You're like, oh, you want to travel. It's like, what do you want to do when you travel? I want to see things like, yeah, that's Not cool. Like experience food. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm trying to eat all the yeah. weirdest shit I can everywhere yeah. I can. I like that's probably got to be my favorite part is just the eating cuisine in a different a local area. I agree 100%. And, and I love to cook. So like when I'm out traveling, I also see things and how can I now incorporate this into like one of my dishes right. or do something or try to like replicate Oh, it. I'm taking this and, and I'm oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, did that. And after about eight, nine months, uh, you know, it just wasn't going the right direction and, and you know, parted ways. Um, and did some freelance for a little bit and then the SEC network was getting ready to launch, which is owned by ESPN and everything. Yep. Down Charlotte, being a Tennessee guy, I'm like, oh, cool, perfect fit. I'm right at home, yep. So, you know, uh, reach out to the people there. They end up hiring me to be their producer down there doing features and stuff for their shows. And I'm down there, moved to Charlotte, and I was there for the next, I don't know, year and a half or so, maybe a little longer. Um, I was on a contract and the uh, contract wasn't retained, which, you know, you know, I was disappointed about because uh, I really liked what I was doing. Um, but, you know, those things happen. And yeah. so, but the funny thing is Robert had also, you know, gone his, his own path and he'd started his own production company. And the first thing I ended up doing freelance was working with Robert and we're doing a 30 for 30, which is, you know, the probably one of the most story documentary series out there. Um, and we do it on uh, Bobby Knight called last days of night. Um, and so Robert, when he was, you know, at, at CNN SI before he came to ESPN, he was the original producer that um, you know uncovered uh, and and got the tape of Neil Reed being choked by Coach Bobby Knight. Oh wow! Uh, so like the one thing I love about that documentary did the most. Um, it's funny. I was actually before I get to that, I was actually nervous about doing this documentary because both my parents, half my aunts and uncles, and a bunch of other relatives went to IU. So I grew up watching Indiana basketball. I grew up, you know being a huge Bobby Knight fan. And I still am, you know, but like didn't know all these dark sides to him yeah. and all this. And, you know, these things started coming out more and more. And a lot of it was because of Robert's reporting when he was with CNN SI. So, you know, I was a little nervous about what the family was going to think about this. And I remember talking to them and my mom and dad were like, listen, you know, as long as you do like a hatchet job. Yeah. We know yeah, you're, you're, right, you're doing right. your job. They were, I was like, all right, cool. But I, I was nervous about that. And everyone in the family, um, for the most part, was very receptive and, and enjoyed it and, you know, gave me positive feedback. And that was great because that was one of the things that meant as much to me as whatever critics would think. Right. Um, Especially if people you know that you love and you care about oh yeah. know your work. And most of them still like, live in Indiana. So, like, yeah. you know, again, it's like, all right. So, um, but the thing I, I loved about being a part of that and, and sharing that, you know, journey with Robert and everything is if you go back and watch that documentary, it really showcases journalism and what it takes to 
you know, tell a story right. Like, you know, getting other people to corroborate things. Like nowadays, anyone with a damn cell phone feels like they can tell a story and they're they're putting news out there. Right. And they might, and then, you know, other people, you know, even even like, you know, news wires and stuff might pick it up and then they have to retract because, you know, there's no basis for it. Right. Like, they're seeing so, that out of context angle only yeah. from somebody that's on the boots on the ground kind of style. There's, like we talked about this last night a little bit, like there it's there are pluses and minuses to it. And it's just really like, that's why the, like the integrity of good journalism needs to make yeah. a comeback because we need to be able to trust our news sources and know that they're doing the source checking. And, and you know, like fact checking themselves and being diligent about the source pulls that they pull from it's, I don't know if we get back to I'm, I'm scared to say whether or not I think we ever get back to that when we have, you know, ratings and public media are kind of what it just depends on who it's coming from and, and how reputable they are. Like, so if it's someone with a, you know, you know, some blog or vlog or whatever, you know, yeah, they probably don't care how reputable they're, they're looking for their hits. Right. You know, ESPN, ABC, Fox Sports, you know, Fox News, CNN, you know, they're held to higher standards and they they've got be. and they've got, you know, whole divisions of people that also do, you know, fact checking other things to make sure things. And, and that was one of the things we did. Like when, when we were telling the story, like one of the parts of, of the story, you know, that we were telling is showcasing that, you know, Bobby Knight was, you know, had some, you know, interesting characteristics, I should say, you know, with, with his coaching styles and things like this. And at one point during a uh, halftime of a game, they were losing, I don't know, I think it was, it's probably their rival Purdue or someone, but um, you know, Coach Knight walks out, you know, wipes his ass pretty much in front of the team and holds up like the sole of toilet paper. Well, you know, we heard from one person, but like that's not enough. So we we end up having to get like two or three of the people on camera to say, yeah, no, I was a, I was there for that. I saw right, that. Right, right. So you're not just saying it because you're yeah, from one, one person because you never know if one person's got a vendetta. Oh yeah, you know, or anything like that. So you got to hear from all these other people, and that was just that's just one example. And that one just you know unfortunately sticks out. But there was a bunch of those in there, and I think you if you watch that that doc, you're gonna see what it takes. And also, I mean, not only what we did, you know, to to take that story further, but you also see all the research and everything that Robert did at CNNSI over the course of shoot, I don't know, eighteen months or more. Um, you know, before I think he even got the tape and everything. Right. Um, it's a long and, time to be yeah. data collecting. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I worked with him. So, you know, I was, I was honored when he asked me to, to produce this. He directed it. I produced it, uh, along with a few other people. Uh, and, um, you know, it was, it was, it was, I was honored because, you know, I think part of it was, you know, not only does he trust me and we work well together, but he also needs someone to, you know, that he knew would kind of call him on his shit or whatever. Right. And I would, and, you know, we'd have some, man, that, is, that accountability but nothing, is but yeah. fucking key in it. But never, never where it would affect our, our relationship or even right. more than, you know, a 30-second discussion. And so those were all great things. And it was, again, another great learning experience for me being a part of that and, and working so closely with, with him and, and doing this. But, you know, seeing, like, to this day, you know, that tape that came out, you know, I didn't even think about it. I never asked. I didn't ask where it came from, but I knew he wouldn't tell. But he he won't ever reveal who, who the source really? was. Really? Oh, yeah, of course. He's like. Yeah, but that's like, it's, it's you know, it's a smoking gun and no one knows where it came from. We were talking last night with uh, Justin mm -hmm. and, and him in this like very precarious situation where he like doesn't want to stay where he is and yeah. he's trying to find his way out of uh, that world of athletics. We still didn't get there. When did you make the jump to Penn okay, State? Okay, so so I leave. So I leave. <laughs> I leave. Uh, I leave. Uh, SEC Network. I, I'm now freelance. Next project to do is this Thirty for Thirty. Then I do a documentary for PGA. Actually, this was a crazy one because I had three different heads. I was for the Golf Channel, PGA of America. And I think NBC. 
And so it was this documentary on the road to the PGA Championship. So the PGA Championship is the only one that has no amateurs in it. Okay. It's all PGAs. Well, most every golf club um, and, and country club has a PGA pro. Right. Yeah, like yeah. when you think of a PGA pro, you think of, oh, you know, Tiger, Tiger Woods, Woods and right. Roy McIlroy and all these things. No, like you can get your card and, you know, you're a pro and you're yeah. the guy that's the head man at whatever club. So, you know, they have these, you know, tournaments, you know, to showcase. And then if you make it through these different regional tournaments, then you go play in this one national tournament and the top, I don't know, 10 or 15 get to go and play in the PGA championship against all the tour pros. Okay. Okay. So we were telling these stories on the road to that with these PGA pros at their local golf club. So I went to some of the best kind of like the courses. undercard. Oh yeah. And I was, but I was at some of the best golf courses in America, you know, <laughs> winged foot, in New York, Quaker Ridge, which is right across the street in New York. Um, uh, uh, Seminole down in Florida, which is probably one of the most exclusive in, in the U.S., um, and then you know a, a bevy of others, and told all these stories. And like the 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 one was the golf pro at uh, at Quaker Ridge. I wish I could remember his name off the top of my head. I can't. But great guy. He's no longer there. He's he's back in is another course now in Jersey. But um, he's also a race car driver. Like talk about having this cool like angle to him. So he has this little open wheel race race car in his garage. And that's where we did the interview with him, at least one nice. of them. And had him sitting there. But the guy, you know, five foot eight, 160 pounds soaking wet, looks like an accountant. <laughs> doesn't look like a golfer. You know, def definitely doesn't look like he hit the ball and he strikes it well. And then on top of it, like, he drives race cars, like all these things you just wouldn't expect. I mean, right. talk about like judging a book by its cover. But one of the nicest guys, funny, had a great time, you know, uh, spending, spending with him. But that ended up doing that and a few other, you know, independent things. Um, and uh that's what i'm saying like i'm like i don't want to see how you got the penn state like i don't yeah. know how you got no, what, so all, what, these other, all these other fun things are happening and so here. um did some stuff with barstool sports <laughs> did did their, their first uh like oh yeah yeah 24 right. 7 like where we followed one of the fighters for the rough and rowdy and did like four episodes for the web that were each like i don't know 10 12 minutes um i ended up living in like you know like the middle of nowhere west virginia i was uh was it um uh, da, 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 da. It was in a coal mining town, but covering the, this kid who was, you know, trying to, you know, get out through through fighting and stuff like that. Um, and that was, a, and then, you know, it's one of those things with freelance, you know, there's either a lot of me in the bone or little. Yeah. And so like when, when Penn State started recruiting me, because they reached out to me first, um, it was at one of those times where like things got a little slow and yeah, yeah, you're yeah. like, you're like, shit, you're like, all right, like, you this know, may that, be the new good opportunity. Yeah. And it, it'll when you're working full time somewhere, you know, every other week or, you know, however often you get paid, like money magically appears in your account. You're like, oh, cool. There's cool. money and I can pay bills and pay my rent. When you're doing freelance, it's not like that. Like it doesn't appear no. like you. And you, so every stuff, you're like, now you're, instead of watching your account and being able to pay stuff, you're like watching kind of dwindle. Cause you're like, wait, there's no more money coming in, but I'm still spending mine for rent for bills for, you know, my family, right. all these other things, food, beer. Um, <laughs> and you're like, oh God. So when this happened, it was, you know, at the right time. And I also liked the challenge and saw after watching the show, like where the five seasons, yeah, yeah, you know, multiple times, like, like there's work that can be done here. Yes, and certainly. Like we, you know, we can make this better. Um, and so that was like, uh, I think May, June of 2019, they started, you know, really recruiting me. And then I got here like two weeks before the first game, like August. Yeah. I remember you came in, you came in hot out of nowhere. Yeah. I was like, who is this guy? Yeah. I mean, and then, but Immediately, I can tell, like, we started working on features almost immediately, and you were, like, one of the most clear-minded individuals to work with when it comes to being able to receive, like, notes and edits and things like that in real time. Like, I work 
extremely well with clear direction. Otherwise, yeah. it's basically like trying to wrangle a fucking squirrel. But like you could sit in the room with me and be like, oh, yeah, yeah, all right, I see what you did there. Uh, try to shift it. I see what you did there. I, this works. And like that critique, it's like I think we would definitely have differing opinions on how we would handle exact cuts or something yeah. like that. But I, if then if you're not afraid to kill your babies and none of them are like so personal to you that you're like that's this was not what this was for me. So yeah. I was like, I just want to make this better. Yeah. And I can also see something that is different than what I wanted to do and be like, oh, yeah, that's definitely I see what you're going for now. And sometimes you're too close. Like, I, yeah, to definitely. this day, I still do this. Like, I've got pieces that I do and I get too close to it. And it's like, you know, you got the horse blinders on. And so I'm like, how can I know this can be better? But I can't see it. Like, you know, yeah. I can't see the, was it the trees of the woods? Is that the saying? You can't see the forest for the trees. Yeah, yeah you yeah, can't yeah. see the forest for the trees. So like, you know, you get lost in that and I'll send stuff to other mentors and, and friends and colleagues that I respect. I'm like, what am I missing? What, what is good and what's bad? What needs to go? Yeah. What do we, what do we need more? Because I know there's something here. I know it can be trimmed or I know this and that. And they, you know, give me, and that's why I love these guys. They give, and girls, they give me complete honest feedback. You said something to me yesterday that, uh, that, it seems like a no-brainer. You're like, I always treat everybody that I work with like I don't know where their trajectory is going to take them. Like they could be somewhere way further ahead of you in a very mm -hmm. short amount of time without you even yeah. realizing that it happened. Be nice to everyone. And, you never know going to be going up or down the ladder. Exactly. And, but to me, it's even like the what I like even one step further than that is that like if you treat everybody like that, then really what you're doing is expanding your network of, of influences 100%. that you have and people that you have the soundboard off of and – I like it's great to ricochet and edit off of a couple people that you know do amazing work if you're lucky enough to have built that up. And until you have, like, you should be working on doing that because you want to be able to have a, an accurate litmus test for like what you're putting out is still good. Because there's gonna, there's shifts and trends in the way videos get edited. Like, jump cuts were not a thing for a really long time. And now, like, socially, they seem to be like commonplace. Which that still bothers me. I, it is weird. It is weird. I've embraced it, but it's not, it's a reluctant embrace. Like, I just yeah. know that I'm like, okay, this. This that dissolves. I hate dissolves too. I mean, unless there's yeah. a, there's like very finite times to use a dissolve. It's got to be mind. real long, and it has to like and visually, <laughs> compositionally, what I need to see line up needs to make sense too. So I, if I ever do, it's like it was an artistic and tasteful choice that was made with much deliberation on whether or not I was going to do it in the first place. Now let me ask you this, because this is something my brother complains about a lot, and other friends too. When you're watching TV with your girlfriend, family, friends, whatever, right? Like, are you pointing out the shit that's wrong that you're seeing oh, and everything? And they're like. Like my brother gets fed just up. Shut like, the, yeah, just yeah, watch shut the movie. Just like, watch it. And um, I'll be like, that's the third time they showed the same photo. Like they're not doing their job. There's right. no feel like, why don't they get other photos? Or like, oh, they, that's, you know, they screwed that up or there's a, you know, whatever. When you get into content creation, they, nobody tells you that on the back end of things, you're going to pick apart everything you see from then yeah. on. It's like going to a, like, so as a musician, like being on stage, I basically killed the, what the fucking barrier looks like for me. Now it's not like watching a show. It's like homework. Yeah. So if I go to an, you know, a band, see a band play or a friend's band play, I'm like, this is homework for me, essentially. And then when I'm doing a, you know, you go to see a movie and I'm like, oh, okay, all right. Yeah. I see how they did that. I like that they did that. That's interesting. It's get the blur, the lines getting blurred a little bit more with like compositional shots and like transitioning using like multiple takes to get to what is otherwise like an impossible yeah. dolly zoom or whatever. But there's just something to be said for expanding that network of people you have to fucking sound things off of because you need to be able to get constructive criticism and also to some degree like deconstructive criticism yeah. some people like get stuck in like a, i do this one thing and it works really well and then they just fucking beat that horse like that's their game and that was the good thing and bad thing about you know that first season and only season that we had there at wpsu and, and what we're doing is you know they let me do what what needed to be done they needed somebody like you to come but in and do that though. i was also somewhat for the most part left alone i didn't get much feedback or notes from you know the other the people ups. that were that were above me which i liked and didn't like you know because 
I'm still trying to improve and get better, but so I do need notes. Yeah, but like for for things I for things I was concerned about, I'll send them to other people I respected anyway. Right. And I'm not saying I didn't respect the people I worked with, but if they they're not going to give you the yeah. you're looking so for, I'm, I'm the giving, yeah, I'm sending those off. And it, but it also gave me the chance to really, you know, discover my own leadership style. Cause yeah, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm now you're the kind of leader I deal well with. Cause you're like high and loose with like yeah. how we sit down and you're like, you, you could be in and out doing several edits with multiple editors well, and, and never felt like you weren't in the room with me. Like I was, oh, yeah. I knew where I was heading by the time you were going to leave and come back and have new notes or anything yeah. for me. So it was a different scenario for you. Cause I had, you know, just like sports, I had, you know, plenty of, of bosses and, and people above me and, you know, that, that I reported to that were either, you know, great or, or harsh or whatever, you know, we all had those coaches that, you know, you look back and you're like, that guy's a dick. Um, or, you know, it was just too hard for no reason or whatever, or yell just to yell. Yeah. Um, and I had, I had those same, you know, people in, in my professional world and I had others that, you know, would, you know, explain stuff or, you know, and don't get me wrong. I had my fair share of times where I fucked up and deserved to get reamed. And I, I had those and it depends on how you do it. And so literally early on, it was probably the first four weeks we're working on a story that like I was excited about. Like, it was like, this is an Emmy story, um, on this girl, you know, and, uh, who had, who had cancer that, you know, one of the other coaches wives just happened to meet and reach out. And then they brought her in. We do all these interviews and I'll, I'll leave the, the shooter editor's name off of this, but, um, the next day I'm going to start, you know, working on it and like 80% of it's gone. It's not on the system. I don't know what happened. He, yeah, their ingest process was he, a little weird for me he, too. I, I felt he, like there I, was room for, he's not really sure what happened. Cause he's, you know, swears he put it on and snap, but it wasn't there. We tried to restore it. There was nothing to restore. So in the copying process, something went awry and I lost my shit, but like internally I right, was right, livid. Right. I was like, all right, how do I convey this? And this was like one of my first tests. Like I, what kind of, leader, manager, boss, am I going to be? And I could also, you know, take this up the ladder and let other people know, but I didn't think that was necessary. Like I'm going to handle this myself and right. we're going to get through it. And so like, I'd rather be having that talk with him being like, well, I did run into this thing, I, but yeah, I was able I to mitigate it. I shut the door because the story's gone now. We can't yeah. shoot it. It's gone. Um, you know, there's always moments that you couldn't redo because, you know, this person was, this, this girl with cancer was a part of practice and these moments with coach Franklin and team, right. all these things like you can't do that. And then like, her interview was going, I think we had like the interview with like the mom and part of like the dad. And, you know, there was other, uh, the, the, um, the other coach's wife, assistant coach's wife who like, you know, kind of got the whole ball rolling. Her interview was gone. So always like great moments. Everything's gone. Uh, like, and, um, so, you know, I should throw her in, in that edit. For and, anybody listening know. that doesn't do any kind of content creation, that feeling is like uh, literally the opposite of having wind taken out from underneath your wings. It's literally like oh. that happens and the wing the wind in your lungs gets sucked out. Like you were literally destitute. I mean, I could have maybe tried to, you know, see if they could come back up for the interviews, but I'm not gonna get those moments again. Right. You're not like, gonna I don't expect that. Coach Franklin to come and do all that again. I'm, I'm you know, and also if I if I do this, I have to say what went wrong. And right. I've always been one, and I don't know if you ever had to experience it, but like I was basically the shield for everyone else. So I didn't let, you know, any higher ups or if they asked, I said I took care of it and I I wouldn't let it go past and let people find out what was going on. Right, right, right. So I shielded, you know, people from other things and I went and had, you know, a talk with them and, you know, let the person know exactly how disappointed I was and that, yeah, you know, trust me, I want to yell and cuss and scream and kick, but that's not going to do you any good. Yeah, it's not going to Just going to give me, yeah. you know, heart failure. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, high blood pressure. So I was like, no. And so like, you know, basically sat down. I was like, you know, what happened? I was like, you know, Learn from this. Don't let this happen yeah, again. Yeah, because like what we like, did have on our hands was a potential. Yeah, 
I thought it was great. I really did. Because the one that got nominated was a really good story. This one, if we got to tell it the way it. I was ready. Yeah. So I was, uh, you know, extremely disappointed and, 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 you know, but I found my leadership technique. He learned from it. I learned from it. Um, you know, and I also let him know. I was like, listen, I guarantee 60% of the other people that this happened with, A, you'd probably be fired. Right. B, they would be, you know, relentless yelling at you and cussing and screaming and, oh, yeah. you know, throwing your name up and down the ladder. Because it gets stressful. Like the, the deadlines and everything compiling, like there's so many different moving pieces to the machine that are happening in one in real time that like something like this, it, it just yeah. throws a big kink into everything in a way that you could not possibly recover from. And and the, the best you can do is talk and roll at this point yeah. and start moving on with how you're going to be able to assemble something. And it's uh, And it was one of those where, for me, I wanted to determine right there, right? How am I going to move forward with everyone else in this team? And that was that was my litmus test. Yeah, it sucked. It happened in that way. Right, right. Um, but you know, from there, I, and I, I, it kind of got around. People knew, you know, it because because oh, yeah. everyone heard, and you probably know exactly who it is. But like, it got around, and, and people knew, and um, you know, I think people also heard how I handled it, and you know, didn't let it go any further than me. Right. Um, and that was the same with last time. Like, and it wasn't just within WBZU, but also, you know, there are times where things happened, you know, over at Lash with, you know, and, and someone would be unhappy or something. And they'd want to know who shot or edit or whatever. I was like, doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, like, 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 it, develop, uh, like, at the end of the day, the show was, you know, in this now. I'm, I'm the one signing off on these segments as they go stuff. to you. Yeah, I'm responsible for things. So that's, that's on me. And so I'm not going to let, you know, shit keep rolling downhill. Just stop it and take it right you're gonna fuck up my team that has to get back yeah. to work oh now by the way they're still working and i think it also helps them because they see all right now i've got someone that's looking out for me yeah and so they respect that and now they you know want to work harder and make sure they don't make mistakes again and things like that and it's it's one of you know and being at a place like this is so much different for me because again you know dealing with union shop which i didn't know i was doing it was like a surprise when I got here. They didn't tell me that during the interview process. That's one of the few universities uh, that has a unit. I think there's two. Two? Yeah, I think. <laughs> this is the only one, because I've talked to all my other friends at like all these other, you know, Alabama, Tennessee, Notre Dame, Miami, you know, North Carolina, whatever. No one else. They're like, what? Union? No. Like you it, work until the job. It hurts them done. more than it helps them, certainly, oh. I think. And so learning, learning that process and all these things within that. <clears throat> but, you know, I'm used to having, you know, I'm used to hiring my own crews and us working until the job's done and hiring editors. Yeah, you inherited this and one. And so, yeah, this, you know, it was a learning curve for me having to, you know, work within the confines of what I have. Like other stories, I go out and I bring in the best crews possible. And that's also, it goes back to, you know, you talk about building relationships. You know, a bunch of, you know, even today when I'm doing freelance, you don't get the budget you want. I've yeah, almost plenty, never. I, I've got so many, you know, things that are, they're these, you know, just, just skeleton thin budgets. And, but I want to make it the best I can. Right. And luckily, because I've got this network of professional friends that are, you know, shooters, editors, you know, audio, whatever it is, I can go to them and, you know, I don't ever want to take money out of someone's pocket. So if they're got another gig, I'm like, do that. But I'll go to them. I'll say, hey, listen, this is what I got going on. This is what I can pay you. Like, I'm not, right, right, like, right. it's not like I'm trying to keep money in my pocket, but yeah, this man. is literally what I can pay you. And you want to talk I'll, about what kind of leader I'd you're going to be? I'd love for you to be a part of this with me. And, you know, 90% of the time, someone is, you know, answering the door and coming through. And I would say, hey, listen, if something like if it's a few weeks out, I was like, if something comes up for your full rate or longer days or whatever, I get it. I get it. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. Do, do what you got to do. It's some people have a hard time with that because they feel like, oh, that I, 
we talked and they said they were going to yeah. do it. I'm like, that is such an ass backwards way to look at it. Like you got to acknowledge at the fir- at the forefront of all that, they were mm-hmm. doing you a favor by agreeing to do it for less in the first yeah. place. You have to be like able to acknowledge when a better opportunity comes along that if they decide to go that route, you can't be mad no, at them for I'm it. Cause it's like, luckily it's only happened once. And I, you know, again, I was like, Hey, listen, you know, and it was like two weeks versus my three days and full right. rate. I'm like, yeah, of course. Yeah, I get it. But more times than not, you know, my, you know, the, the people I work with that, you know, they're not just colleagues, they're friends. Like all these people are friends of mine that they're right. like this, and then this Rolodex. And so, you know, part of it is, isn't just the work. They want to work with you and I want to work with them. And there's trust there. Like, there's a lot that, of yeah. good like components we have to good times. You talk about food and everything when you travel, like half the time when we're out doing these shoots, you know, afterwards we're going and having yeah. a drink or going and getting a good meal or doing whatever. And because you're you up know, earlier than everybody. Yeah. Like the shoot isn't when the shoot starts, the shoot's like Everything that takes you to prep to get up there and get set up, ready to roll, then the shoot, then there's the teardown period afterwards, and then there's like usually a fucking precursor period of time after everything where you're just like, all right, I just need a minute to like oh. detox from everything we just did today, and then I'll see you guys at dinner at well, six o'clock. Seven for those o'clock. that don't know, the one of the most important things for you to do for your crews is feed them. Yeah, like if you're gonna have a 10, 12 hour day, and you know it. First of all, I try to bring, you know, waters or snack bars or things like that, but make sure even if we can't stop down, like we've got to, you know, maybe we're resetting the the interview look or the shoot or whatever, like you send either I go out or I, you know, Uber eats or send someone out and bring in, you know, Jimmy John sandwiches or whatever yeah, it is just get it and there. Make, make these guys, you know, make sure the guys stop down for at least 15, 20 minutes eat, you know, get recharged. And then they know what they finish is, right? Like, you, you but know, like, if like you, I've, I've worked with people that like, you know, and I've had times where I don't skip the meal, but I'm like, we've got to work through this. And some yeah, people get yeah, upset. Yeah. I'm like, but this is how it has to be. I'm going to make sure we can take care of it. Sometimes you're and fighting heard, daylight. Sometimes you're fighting the amount of time you have at the town. And i somewhere they just don't do it. And I was like, if you, it's the simplest things. You you feed your crews, you're, you're polite and everything to them, and you're going to get the best out of it. And then afterwards, you break down everything. I always help, you know, I'm, you know, carrying sticks. I'm breaking down. Like, I might not know where everything goes in your cases. But I can get but it to the like, area yeah. where somebody who's going to pack I can, the I thing can pull the lights it. apart. I can, you know, get your C-stands broken down and do all these things. Yeah. And, and you know, pitch in and make life easier. And then, yeah, we're going to go get, you know, a decent dinner or a drink or both. <laughs> in a perfect world, fucking both. Yeah. So, like, the, like I'll say, like, the one of the most important things is make sure you feed your crews. So, post-pandemic, you start to duck out of Penn State. You're, mm-hmm. You got other opportunities to kind of pop up. Yep. and. You've been out and about. Like, what have you been up to since you? The thing with Deion Sanders, I like. I yeah. we've talked about it, yeah. and then I was. I remember being jazzed when you first told me about it, and then I was like, I don't remember what it is that is actually like going on. So he's got um, like a camp or a school. No, or like no, a, well, he's a coach. Okay, co- yeah, coach. he's coaching. Okay. So, um, so I, uh, you know, one of my good buddies from from ESPN, uh, was like the head of content at Barstool. So I did a bunch of different things for Barstool during the course of my career freelance. Um, and you know, all the stuff I did, you know, obviously I, I think they liked it cause they kept bringing me back. So a lot of stuff was like longer form things. So I did, uh, a Snapchat show for them where we went, uh, around to like college campuses and they did like some ridiculous, like fun stuff. I, you know, wasn't necessarily journalism, wasn't what I was doing, <laughs> yeah. but it was still, you know, kind of fun and different. Then, uh, did, uh, for like two, let's see here. It was two spring trainings and an all-star game. And then a Cy Young Award, uh, was with their group starting nine, which was Jared Carabas yeah. and um, uh, Dallas Braden, who are no longer with Barstool. They've both moved on. Uh, but great guys. I mean, Dallas, I mean, you know, he's one of however many people that has, you know, pitched a perfect game. Um, and so, you know, you can never take that away from him. <laughs> yeah, yep. Plus, he's funny as hell. Great dude. Awesome hair. Um, 
fun guy to hang out with and, and you know, everything. and then Jared, you know, again, just as fun, but like a walking encyclopedia of baseball and everything. Plus, you know, probably one of the biggest Red Sox fans you'll ever meet, if not the, but, uh, you know, just this walking encyclopedia of, of all things baseball. So we would go and do, um, spring training every year or for two years. So we did, uh, we go to Arizona first, uh, to the cactus league. And that was awesome because all the stadiums, and all the camps for all these teams in the Cactus League are like in a 45 minute to hour radius. Nice. You're not going, yeah, yeah, your drives aren't even that long. We had, well, we had like a big RV or bus. Nice. So we either had the bar stool bus or like a big RV we rented, and we would bring them on and do the interviews on the RV. Oh, okay. So, like, you know, and a lot of them was, you know, Barstool didn't have, you know, it doesn't always have the best name to it. You know, a lot of teams don't always want to work with Barstool. Yeah. Like, if you go through their PR people, they're just going to shut you down a lot of times because they feel like, you know, it's not ESPN, it's not journalism, or they do, you know, uh, not fair. Yeah. It's, you know, (laughs) their stuff isn't on brand with what the, you know, Milwaukee Brewers are or whatever. Right, right, right. Um, So, because of Dallas and Jared and all their connections, and then also like literally DMing guys on Instagram or Twitter or whatever, seeing if they're interested in doing this. That's how we got all our people in. And then we might set it up and, you know, use PR and be like, Hey, we've got these interviews and, you know, can we park in your lot? And if not, we, you know, have to find another place. But most time it was, you know, through that and things got better because once they saw the interview was coming out, because also Dallas and Jared love the game of baseball. They're not going to do anything to disrespect the game of baseball. Right. Right. Um, but they also aren't giving you these dry interviews. Like you get on ESPN or major league right, baseball, right, right. MLB TV or whatever. Like, yep. They're talking to these guys like we're talking and they're having a good time and they're shooting the shit. And like, you know, it is what it we're is. We're in that age where transparency of, of that is way more important now. We yeah. care. We, we like almost need to see that as well. And so it doesn't happen as often. And you need it because it's almost what helps support buying into the, any other narrative that you're trying to tell. Yeah. Like if I don't give a shit about this person because I don't really know who they are, all I see is the interview outtakes and then them on the field. Like I can't get the same connection as I can if I know like, oh, this is the philanthropy they do outside of that. This is the stuff that means something to them. This is how they spoke about you know, homelessness in their area and what they're doing to combat it. Like all that stuff is super tangible because it doesn't necessarily always tie tie into like the highlight reel that they're trying to showcase for like primetime or whatever. It's like, it just gets washed over and it's like, uh, I don't know. I don't know what that is, but the places that are more willing to adopt where and how traditional media is kind of shifting in that regard, those are the places that are going to be the quicker to to rise because they're going to be ideally you're tackling both you're getting like that traditional media feel but also you've got these like kind of off the cuff more transparent just more opaque versions of an interview with somebody where you can kind of get them to know more about them actually and that was the best part and then you're bringing them on rv we've got two or three cameras set up because so they you know barstool always sends out you know uh their producer editor um and the two hours were phenomenal people and we all you know had great times and then i'm there and I'm shooting with my cameras, and then we usually have like a third, just like a static, maybe like whether it's a GoPro or something else, just sitting there. And we're, you know, and they're just sitting on, again, whether it's the bus or the RV, like there and talking, you know, with mics and having a good time. And it might be one or it might be four. Like we've had, you know, times right. where there's like six guys and like the, the thing is cramped, but it, right. it makes for so much fun. And all these guys are just, you know, shooting the shit and having a good time. And they're talking about stuff they love, baseball and life and things like that. And so we, you know, being able to be a part of that, was awesome. We put out some amazing content and there's like, you know, again, there's certain moments you won't forget. Like we were down, um, you know, Arizona was easy for the most part because everything's in a 45 minute radius, hour radius. You can get around. Florida's a logistical nightmare because right. the Grapefruit League, they're up and down the entire yeah. and even across. And they're great. And like so, it's the like- thing. so like trying to plan that one out, like, and that was a lot of what I was doing, helping get, because Dallas and Jared had all these connections. They got, you know, majority of uh, the, 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 players that we interviewed and managers and former players and things like that. 
Um, I ended up, you know, uh, basically coming through with, with a few things. It's just one of those things. One of my buddies from Tennessee who played baseball, Tennessee is, uh, one of the heads of this company called old Hickory bats. And it's one of the top bat companies. Nice. So you got like Louisville Slugger, you yeah. got Marucci, and you got Old Hickory. Nice. So my buddies with Old Hickory and a bunch of like the, the pros use Old Hickory. So I reach out to him, tell him what we're doing. And, and he, you know, puts me in touch with some of their guys or reaches right, out to right, them and right. say, are you interested in doing this yeah. stuff with Dallas and Jared? And they're like, yeah. And so like, it was cool because, you know, because of that connection, I was then able to, you know, make myself even more useful to yeah, you add a value Dallas to and Jared. You being yep, a part exactly, of it. Yep, exactly. yep, yep, yep. And, you know, it was- That's the real move oh. is wherever you end up, you need to make yourself an asset because if you cannot- provide or at least showcase the way that you bring value to a team like it's hard to justify it be anybody being able to rise up in the ranks underneath that because it's like there's what laurels are you trying to rest on like i i need to see what you bring like you need to be able to showcase what value you're going to bring to this team we had i mean we had a blast we were down in florida and um you know one of the things we always do when we're doing these things is they call them live ab's and it's with football bats and the guys are like they, they'd maybe in Walmart and they're doing this stuff and playing, you know, with a ball in Walmart or whatever, but we'll go to bars and set up and do these different things. And they'll have other, you know, whether it's just regular patrons or pros, you know, try to hit them. And Jared is also calls himself or is known as the rocket. Um, <laughs> is, is he's a damn good wiffle ball thrower. I'll give him that. He's a damn good wiffle ball pitcher. Um, and Dallas is, I mean, he's Dallas. I mean, the guy was a professional pitcher, so he can do whatever he wants with the wiffle ball too. But, uh, the rocket always like, you know, taking people on. And so we're in Florida at uh, the Houston Astros camp and Bregman comes out to where we're at there. I think he's the third baseman. Great guy. First time meeting him. Funny as hell. And we decided to do the live ABs with him. So here we are and, you know, Jared's pitching to him. We're using the bus or the RV, whatever, as, as the, you know, backstop. <laughs> and I'm down there with my camera, like right below him. And, the, you know, he gets like two strikes on him or like a strike and a foul tip. And because one of the foul tips almost hits me in the head. And I was like, that may have concussed me. Yeah, the speed it's coming. It's a wiffle ball, but like I'm still six feet away. I'm like that could that would cause some damage. The whiplash alone of you trying yeah. to jerk yourself away from it. <laughs> and we're and like we're in like these rows of cars, like in a field. So like there's you know <laughs> rows of cars, and so and Dallas is playing like outfield in case he hits one. Oh, he didn't just hit one. He lit one like two rows of cars back. Um, put a dent in the ball, and then uh, there's one of the be- best things I've ever seen. Um, uh. I don't know if you put to Jared or put to the rocket, the rocket launcher. Cause he just <laughs> sent that ball so far. It was hilarious. But like, again, you know, the moments that you remember are, are, are some of those. And that, that one was great. Uh, we were with, um, you know, we ended up going to the all-star game and my buddy always brings his kids to every all-star game. So we we're in Cleveland this year doing the all-star game and we're doing the live ABs again. And <laughs> Dallas is pitching. Well, my buddy's got uh, two sons that are like, I don't know, at the time, they're probably 12 and eight. And so he's like having fun with them because he can put the ball wherever he wants. So like the one little one's up there and he like puts the ball like behind him. He's like, what is going on? Or like above him, just messing with him. And that time our, our backstop was a porta potty. But his older son got a hold of it and put it on the roof of the bar. Nice. So it was pretty cool to like, you know, have those moments and be able to share stuff like that with friends. Like it's cool. Cause like, I'm sure you hear it too. Like with what I do and, and the stories I tell and the people I meet, everyone thinks you got the coolest job in the world and they forget it's still a job. Yeah. 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 There's a lot that goes into the parts that get to be where you get to feel cool about it. Yeah. And so it's still a job and you know, you still have to do stuff and there are parts of the job that do suck, yeah. but there's also, you know, the, the good outweighs the bad. Um, and that's one of the things I love about it, is like doing this and being able to share moments with friends. Like, so we were just doing March Madness 
And we were at Madison Square Garden. And one of my closest friends is a lieutenant in, in the FDNY. So he's one of New York's bravest. Nice. Um, and, you know, great guy. And, you know, if I can share something with people that might not have this opportunity, I love doing that. So I brought my buddy uh, to uh, to MSG and was able to, you know, get him onto the the floor. And it was, you know, the, let's see here. So it was the Elite Eight game. So okay. they were yeah. now going on to the final four. Yeah. And so, and then my, my cameraman, uh, my buddy Greg was there. He put the camera up on, you know, my buddy's shoulder and like let him, you know, pregame, let him see what it was like and, you know, kind of film some, you know, warm ups and see what that was like. And it was cool just to see him experience that and taking that in. Yeah. Cause otherwise, you know, making pictures chance of him doing do that. that. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Exactly. And then we get to watch the game from like, you know, the sidelines and everything or, you know, uh, up close. And then afterwards, when the game's over and the team that we're covering wins, like, we're right there on center court with everyone else and confetti and everything falling. Yep. And, you know, to, to see him and like, you know, uh, you know, be a part of that and, you know, be able to take some pictures and have fun, like being able to share those moments and do those with other people. That's one of the bonuses of this job. Do you keep, uh, do you have like a camera that you keep on you? Like for just whenever you're running around beyond my phone. I mean, I used to like, but before cameras, we're on these things. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I had, I mean, and I was like a, almost like a nerd about it. I even had like, I had a little digital 35 millimeter or whatever. Oh, all right. Um, you know, with zoom and everything, but it had, um, I had a case for it and it would go on my belt. <laughs> so like, I knew, I was, yeah. You. So like if I need it, cause like trying to find like, I don't, I don't like carrying crap if I don't have to. Right. But like, you know, I want to have like a camera in my pocket and this and that. And I wanted to be kind of safe. Cause you know, you spend a couple hundred dollars on the damn thing. Yeah, yeah. And so I had this like little pouch and like, yeah, I was like, you know, I wasn't as cool as, you know, the rock with his fanny pack. Right. But um, I had like that, that little camera. And so I like, it's funny. I actually found that recently and went through it and found all these like amazing photos. And I've got two different ones and like cards and stuff. And then even before that I had, you know, when you had to take stuff to actually get it developed. Yeah. yeah and yeah. I got moments from, from those things and uh, between photos and I have, you know, a, a, a like a milk box full of credentials. From you know various events I've been a part yeah, of, yeah, yeah, and, <laughs> the lanyards and, and, and everything, yeah, and all these different things. And you know, you go through them in summer, like you're like, why did I keep that one? And you're like, I don't know, but it did. And then yeah, others, yeah. you're like, you're like, oh, that was really cool. Like, all right, you know, that's from you know World yeah, Series. Yeah, take you back. Yeah, it's hard to think about it, but like these little pieces of paper covered in plastic end up being like, oh shit. Like you think about all the things you went through that day, what it was like. And I want to do something with them to showcase them. Like, yeah, I'm trying to figure right? out how, like, like you know, if line a fucking wall, it's yeah, wallpaper. exactly. But, <laughs> But then, like, if you move, it's gone. Right, so right. I got to figure out a way to, like, frame it or do something right. cool and create, like, you know, some kind of awesome montage with, like, some of these, at least at least the ones that are really special and also the ones that are really cheesy. So that yeah, way yeah, when yeah. people are looking, they're like, got a category. Wait, what? Like, yeah. yeah, like, yeah, no, I've got that one for that. Yeah, I was there. Yeah, man. I, I feel like I do the gift and the curse of being a photographer, videographer, content creator in general is I don't dislike the process of doing it even when it's not supposed to be work and I'm not getting paid for it. Like yeah. I was at a gun range earlier today and I, I was like out with a bunch of friends and I'm like, was this for fun or work for fun? Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're just going out and shooting. And, uh, I took my, I like almost religiously always had my camera bag on me. Yeah. So I, I took it out and like, you know, when you you're shooting, you like to have pictures of you shooting your gun. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, like I'll, I'll take it out and I'll get like a nice, you know, long prime lens shot of you doing that and you look kind of isolated and, the, you know, the background behind you just melts away. And uh, I've had this like weird thing that I've noticed. I, I have a, a couple people that have passed away in the last few years of my life that uh, randomly I would see them and I'd have my camera with me and I'd take photos of them. And they would use that as like their blow up, like big picture of them at their few, like, cause I, 
I capture moments. So yeah. if I see them and they're out in their element and they just and have you show up at the wake and that's a photo you smile took. on their face. Yeah. And I'm like, oh man. And that takes you right back to that moment. Yeah. Yeah. I remember like uh my buddy Josh Rhodes, he passed away about uh I want to say about a year and a half or two years ago. And I was talking to him about starting a podcast for him. It was yeah. like him and uh another buddy of ours in town, Gary, uh both like guitar aficionados and like like the talk gear. And they had talked about like, you know, just getting together and having a podcast talking about gear. I was like, yeah, there's a, there's a market for that. Certainly. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, like you should also think about, uh, and so the producer brain to me was like, you know, what you should also do is be looking at the talent and the roster people that are coming into the Bryce Jordan center or playing into the venues locally, yeah. reach out to their publicists and see if you can catch them for an hour to, you know, this guitar player or this guy or whatever, and get them to come in and talk about their gear. Cause nine times out of 10, if you're a musician and you're a guitar player, you are either an extreme gearhead or you don't care at all. You plug into what you plug into and you got a thing that works for you and you're happy about it. But if you're one of the gearheads and you want to talk about it, it's like there's a lot of value in that. So we started talking about setting that off and um, I'd snapped the photo probably in in the fall before we'd had this conversation. He was out with his son, uh, Orion, and they were walking around this park. And Wait, was, Orion? Yeah. Like like Orion's belt? That's yeah, a cool yeah, name. It's a That's really a really cool, cool name. name. Uh, Orion Joshua. Yeah. So I, I took this picture of him when I was doing a, a senior, like a fall portrait shoot, Ooh. uh, with a friend and he just happened to be there with his kid. I was like, Hey, let me get this picture real quick. And I like leaned down it's from the ground. It's on a, I have like a hundred millimeter macro I like to do for certain portraits. So it's like a God shot up. Yeah. Nice. And, uh, and it's just him crouched down behind his son. And it's like one of my, it was one of my favorite pictures of him. And that was one of the ones that they had at the, at his service, uh, not that long after that. And then going to his his service actually, I reconnected with some other friends from high school that are like doing all kinds of different things all over the world now. And it's just like weird that they were like, Oh, that's a really good picture. We knew that we knew that was your picture. Cause we'd seen it from you posting or whatever. And I love it, but I'm also like, damn, like now I'm mindful. I, it's like a weird tick that I have that whenever I'm taking photos, I'm like, this better not fucking be the one. <laughs> like, I, I, I don't want this to be a part of that. Right. It's, exactly. I'm like, this can, can this just yeah. be literally anything else? So I figured like if I do more of it, it's less likely that, that one picture is going to be the, the one that ends up being somebody's like obituary photo, but What's the good the, pictures too. At the same time, it was a really prominent tattoo artist in Denver that did amazing, like hardline, dark floral black work. And his, I thought his work was amazing. I wanted to get a piece from him. And, uh, I can't even remember the name of the studio that we were in that he was operating out of, but, um, I was out getting a tattoo and and doing some tattoo documentary work and he just happened to pop by and I caught him as he was coming in the room and he's looking over at my buddy uh, Gecko and he's just smiling and I got this picture. He's got his hat on. It's just like this perfect picture and that was the one that they used like for all of his stuff and I was like, that's it was cool because like we didn't really know each other yeah. that well but I, I think that that's – I enjoy knowing that there's a gift that you can give even yeah. though you're not really being I mean, paid for. It shows the eye you have and like you know, yeah, what, yeah, yeah. your craft. It's always practicing, man. Like I, I feel like it's just like um, – so I have two interns that are going to be starting over the summer, uh, and we're doing a lot of talking about, you know, how important how you it like is. How you like your burger and your lunch and yeah. stuff. Like, <laughs> yeah. We're, only we're four the, cubes of ice the, in my yeah, diet. Yeah, and if that coffee isn't hot, yeah. I will slap it out of yeah, your hands. No, but like just telling them like the importance of – I'm finding that in this leadership position of like wanting to – uh, coach and mentor people that are trying to break into this and trying mm -hmm. to figure out what freelance is going to mean for them. And it's always changing. So it's like, it's an evolving ground that you got to kind of help them and navigate pitfalls as best as you can. But this idea of like getting in your reps, just like the athletes, like you got to get out there and just get your reps in. Cause they're not all going to be bangers. Sometimes you're not going to be, you're not going to, if you're not eating well and you're like a little shaky and you're holding the camera, it's oh, like, yeah. there's all kinds of different little nuanced aspects of what are going to make you realize it's an art form. What you, it is. Man. I tell and everyone like, that, like, you're an artist. Like, that's like, same with editing. I think it's it, those two things are art forms. Like, I don't want to, 
you know, I'm not going to nitpick. I'm not going to look over your shoulder. Now, if you're really green, yeah, I'm going to look over your shoulder. I'm going to like right. you know, help you with shots. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, I um, excelled at during my time here at Penn State with Unrivaled and everything was making everyone around me better. Now, do I know how to sit on a keyboard and edit? No, my phalanges can't do that. <laughs> but because of the experience- These fingers of, right yeah, here? Exactly. <laughs> but because of the experience I've had with so many other great editors yeah. and, you know, the number you of stories to I've told, I, yeah, I can help you, you know, without sitting there and doing it. I mean, like, you know, open that up, let that breathe or close that up. Yeah, or, you yeah, know yeah. what? Like, no, we need to lay down our thing. Then we're going to lay down the music. Then we're going to edit the beats and all these kind of things. Yeah. And so, and then when it comes to shooting, I'm like- don't just give me wides. Give me, you know, think think of it like a sequence. Oh, give yeah, me a wide, medium tight. Like, like I want you, especially here, because you guys are shooter editors, I want you, as you're shooting, thinking about how you're going to edit this. Later. Yeah. You've got, so you're you're going to be spending time with this later. Are you going to be pulling your hair out or think, are you going to yeah. be enjoying yourself? Think like, about the cutaways you want. Like, do you want to get like, you know, those shots of like the cleats coming off the grass, the ball being hiked? Yep. Or just, you know, a static of the ball and like a rack to like the Penn State logo, all these kind of things that we can use for like transitional shots. Yep. Establish your you know, and, and, you know, you're uh, building a catalog for yeah. every video that you're making essentially. And that catalog is what you have to pull from later when you're doing the edit. So you're like, if you're mindful, I forget there's an editor that I will not name that Penn State was uh, – he was not doing much editing, but he was doing a lot of shooting. And his shooting the first year I was in there was not very wonderful. It was hard to work with, and but it was still somehow the best of the ones that I was working with. So it was like, okay I, – so I started making notes to the senior director there at the time, and I was like, look, like – This is pre-me. Pre-you, yeah. Okay. This is probably like two, two, three years before – two years before you. And I was, I was just like, like – I hope like, you would have come to me and be like, dude, you need to go have a talk with that guy. Well, I was like, yeah, like – I was like, it's not – like I get that that you have to some, especially with like football, you're you're like you're moving around a little bit when you're shooting, so it's like you got to be able to be in a place where you can get the shot you need. Mm -hmm. But like, uh, I will name drop like Matt Stevens, like him shooting the scoreboard uh, right before it. I was like, oh hell yeah! yeah. And we're also doing this with his hand after yeah, a great yeah, shot. Yeah, I just yeah, got yeah, yeah. Like those little clips, yeah. like that little tag I see at the beginning yeah. of that. I'm like, I need to look at this one. I need to look at mm -hmm. this one. I need to look at this one. Yeah, yeah, and and it's weird because you get all these little weird workarounds. But the the person I was working with was just like not editing his own stuff, so he didn't see where he was slacking. And I was like, we, or we just need lazy. It. We need maybe, but like ultimately, it looked like a it it felt like an ignorance of knowing where this house was going to be used. And so it was like a, I need you to make him sit down and edit his footage so he can see what he's doing to people that he's sending this footage to and saying, signing off on it. Cause it's easy to just be like, Oh, all right, I went and I shot it, whatever, blah. Especially if you're not one of like the better shooters. Yeah. And, uh, like Stevens, like he got, I don't know how many Emmys he got off the backs of some of my edits, but there were my edits of his footage and his footage was fucking good. Yeah. Like he's really good at get, setting me up to really create a mood or a feeling for something. And I, I loved working with him because of that. No, he was, there was yeah, a couple that stood out and, and did a great job. And Matt was always great uh, to do that with. And again, it was good to see people like, you know, even with him, like there are certain things with some of his, you know, the way he filmed and shot stuff that I was able to help because again, I've worked with some of the best you <laughs> yeah. know, cinematographers in the country. Yeah. And so I'm not trying to tell you what you're doing wrong. Like, and that's the I'm one not thing, even telling you how to do your job. That I'm was just... actually one of the things like as a leader and, and one of the things I would always do is when I'd sit down and talk to you to about, you know, improvement, I always start off by saying, here's what you're doing right. You're doing X, Y, and Z really good. The compliment good. sandwich. Bro. You know, and like <laughs> no one wants just to be shit on. Right. Like, exactly. So I want you to know that you're still doing a good job, but here's what you need to work on. So I'm all, I'll sit you down and be like, you know, hey, you know, this, this, and this are going really good. And I'll provide and context I'll, too. I'll, I'll be like, this in. is why this is, and the only reason I'm saying that is because of this. And but, I, if I, I try not to do anything if I can't show examples. That's yeah. the thing I, I'll, I'll sit about. down. I'll be like, cause I like doing <laughs> post -mortems. I'm like, we're going to sit down, we're going to see where this is messed up or what, how you did stuff. And so then I'll, you know, 
I'll do that. I'll be like, all right, this is what we need to work on. And here's why I'll be like, you know, pull this up. Let's look at this or, you yep. know, that. And it was that, that, you know, and again, it, it helped with, with the whole leadership style because, you know, the, these being able to have those moments and say, all right, because I know what it's like when someone just comes and shits on you. Shits on your attic. Yeah. yeah or just you head. in general. Like, yeah. that, and you're like, am I doing anything right? Like, what the fuck? And, you know, I, mean, so I was I want, a little bit late today. Yeah. But damn, I want like, people to yeah, know good. that, like, like, you know, you're still doing good work. Yeah. yeah but yeah. it can be better. Like, and here's, here's, here's what you're, so here's what, here's where you're, I'm you're challenging seeing. you to do better. Not yeah, because, it's not because this is impossible. It's not like this doesn't oh. work. It's like, this is functional. This, this gets the edit out the door. You're totally right. And I still need that. Like, I want that. I want people to tell me where I need to improve. Yeah. You know, I want people to look at my work and, you know, I've, I've had people, you know, see stuff, whether it's in the early process or even after it airs Yeah. and they ask me something. I mean, the worst is like, so for me, if my mom gets it, I'm happy. Like, yeah. I, but when my mom, the asks mom me questions, test is second yeah. to none. Like if I can send her that, I, she, and there, I, I don't even Dropbox them. I like, I actually, I airdrop it to my phone and then send it to them. So they actually get it instead of like them trying to watch it. Oh no, I, the my mom Dropbox doesn't see it, my mom doesn't see it, it airs. Oh, okay. So right, like, right, yeah, right. I'm like, you know, then I'll get like a text or a phone call. Oh, I really liked it. But what about this? I'm like, oh shit, she asked a question. Like that means I didn't do something right. Yeah, didn't catch she's something. curious about this and you know. 70% of the time, it's like something that's like really fringe. And I'm like, okay. But then there's a story. That's a style I'm like, choice, mom. Yeah. Or, or, and I'm, I'm like, all right, damn, I, I may have, yeah, I missed that. Like I should have told that part better. But again, so mom didn't have that question. That tunnel vision, you get too close to it sometimes. Yeah, it's hard to pick no, those. Is. Sometimes it's hard to pick some of those little. In- sometimes I'm like, hey, that's also his fault. He didn't pick up on that either. Like, <laughs> boss is like you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. because a lot of the stuff, especially ESPN, it goes through layers of people. Yep. You know, and legal and, and, everything. and everything. Yeah. And then like, you know, all your executive producer, senior producer, all these other people. And, and, you know, like, and then I, you get the phone call from mom. I'm like, I didn't quite understand or what happened there. And I'm like, Oh shit. Yeah. Contact. So yeah. But you know, when, when, if, if mom gets it and is happy, then I'm happy. Um, and then, you know, there's those stories that mom really likes that are good. Like, you know, she loves it when I tell the, the heartwarming and, uh, you know, pull your heartstrings and, and, you know, human interest stories. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. She, you know, she'll. Cause it humanizes about, the project oh, that you're working on. She'll brag about those all day long. And then like, you know, there's the other ones there. She's like, I don't want you doing that again. So you like, what's so fitting about this? We're hyping up our moms right before mom, Mother's, Mother's Day. Day. Exactly. Yeah, that's so great. Yeah. This is going to be the Mother's Look, Day episode. I love ma, it. Ma, like, um, <laughs> I, uh, so I did, I did a story where I had to go undercover. Um, and, and. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I wanted you to tell this story. So, um, you know, I was in, you know, Texas going undercover for, for, and I had a confidential informant, a CI. It's funny. Cause like you learn these things. I'm like, oh yeah, me and my CI, I'm like, what's a CI? I'm like confidential informant. Like I feel cool now that I can. I'm going to tag. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and so, um, we're doing this story and I don't want to give too much of it away because, you know, I was undercover and I was in, you know, uh, uh, you know, a precarious situation. Um, and I'm wearing a hidden camera. That's like a button on my shirt. Okay. Uh, so I practiced with this for like a few days and then like the receiver was like the size of your cell phone and it's going down my leg. Like the wire's going down my leg and the receiver's in my boot. I'm wearing, you know, my cowboy boots. Let's get those up there. Showcase those bad boys. Where are they at? There we go. Right. So, um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, rocking those. And I'll tell you, 10 hours of wearing a damn cell phone in your boot. That's uncomfortable. Yeah. 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 Wrapping against your ankles. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, we end up getting like some phenomenal footage um, of of this illegal event that's going on, and you know both audio and, and video and Are you stuff. Working for Vice? 
No, this was for ESPN. Okay. Holy yeah. shit. And ESPN, like, that's the thing. Like, I've done plenty of stories with ESPN where I've gone to other countries and Disney security is all over it. And I, like, I went to Haiti right after the earthquake and I had four armed guards with me. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, me and my reporter were in, you know, an armored vehicle. My crew wasn't. Um, they were just in a regular van. But, like, you know, we've got- <laughs> Sorry, guys. Well, yeah, exactly. uh, budget cuts, yeah. you know. Well, they've, they've got, and they've got the, you know, half million to million dollars worth of equipment in their vans. Right. I'm like, all right, well. But, you know, here we are doing this and, uh, you know- I remember thinking at times, like, I wonder if legal knows we're doing this. Because I wonder if they'd even sign off on this. Right. And I don't know if they did. I never asked that question because I was kind of amped. So a buddy of mine who was the lead producer on this um, reached out to me and said, hey, do you want to, you know, co-produce with me and be a part of this? And by the way, will you go undercover? <laughs> I think it's basically like most everyone knew, like, it was just like, hell yeah. Like I'm, I'm all for, like, I'm all in, like, let's do something. Yeah. And they're like, it's, it's almost, it's almost like, remember the old life commercials? Yeah. You know, yeah. Let Mikey try it. Try it. Mikey likes Mikey it. Mikey likes yep. it. Yep. It was kind of like that. Mikey will do anything. Let's, let's give that story to Mikey. And so, uh, you know, they asked me to do that and I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? And, you know, um, gotten to this, you know, uh, event, uh, that was illegal and, you know, was filming it. And, uh, there was some, you know, definitely nefarious characters there as well as illegal activities from drugs, guns, alcohol, um, you know, as well as the the main event that was going on. Is this like underground cockfighting or like, like dog fighting or something like that? Or it was, it was along those lines. Okay. Right. Um, you know, similar to, to that, that forum. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, we, uh, it was, I don't know, 10, 12 hours. Uh, so originally me and my CI were supposed to follow this other person to the event. And, uh, they were like, no, just get in the vehicle with us and just come. And my other producer and camera crew were like in a minivan, like across the parking lot, at like a, you know, uh, a strip mall and they're shooting like long <laughs> lens. lens. Yeah, yeah. They're shooting long lens with the video and everything. And I had to make a decision right then. Like, do I go through this? Yeah. And now we don't have a vehicle yeah. or do I cancel right now? And I was like, fuck it, I'm going. And I remember thinking, I'm glad I sent that email to my brother because I sent my brother an email the night before because uh, he's already like my benefactor for everything. But I had like, you know, two other like slush fund accounts. And I was like, it said like, don't open unless you hear, if you don't hear from me in 24 hours. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course he opens it right away. <laughs> um, and, you know, tell I tell him what I'm doing, all this stuff. And he can't get a hold of me because my phone's kind of off and this and that. And so, uh end up going to this, this, you know, illegal event and, you know, 10, 12 hours later after, you know, some, you know, it was a hairy situations, um, get back and meet up with my crew and everything. And I'm trying to describe this to them. And they were all like busting balls. They're like, ah, oh, whatever. It wasn't that bad. It's not, no, no, this and that and blah, blah. I was like, <laughs> well, here's right, the SD card. I was like, trust me. Oh they, yeah. They saw it. But like, um, you know, the other stuff I was describing, like not everything was videoed. Right. right, right. Um, and so, I, uh, we find out they're doing another one, uh, and end up, you know, they end up busting it and, oh. and they're there for those, but I can't be there because, you know, I was the undercover guy. Right. So I'm not there and the camera crew and my buddies go in and do it. <sighs> After they bust everyone, I'm getting, you know, phone calls and texts from the two or three guys in the crew. And they're like, so sorry, dude, you're a badass. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that was saying, I can't like words can't describe. And like, it was, I was like, yeah, thanks. And like, and it was a great story and, you know, ended up, you know, doing, doing, you know, really well. But that was, uh, that was, you know, one of those experiences that, um, you know, I don't know, I, I probably would do it again. 
I uh, just wouldn't tell my mom until after, just like this one. I didn't tell her until after it came out, right? you know, and until she watched it on, on TV and she was, you know, please don't do that again. And there, there's been a couple of those like that, but, uh, you know, go, going undercover and doing stuff like that was different. Again, it's one of those things you don't expect to happen at, you know, a major network you yeah. know, or a sports network. Well, you definitely, you, you strike me as a kind of like coming up in the broadcast journalism realm. I think it's definitely what contributes to the, the aspect of storytelling that matters to you, because I think, you know, when somebody's trying to feed you a narrative and it's like, you're, you're trying to tell me this thing because you think you're helping me tell yeah. the story here. Yeah. And really what tells the story is so many things that you yeah. are clearly not going to be capable of seeing. Cause you're, you're in the story. Like you're a part of it. So it's like, I think that you have that eye geared towards storytelling in that regard is one of the things that I think always shined out about you to me too. Cause I, I love, I love a good story. I think like yeah. we as people are still tribal in that regard. We love a good story being told. The problem is we don't agree on what makes good storytelling necessarily. You see tenets of things that are like, these are the pillars of good storytelling, yeah. but there's all that flavor, that artistic flavor you get to kind of use to influence it. And uh, I think that your means of doing it, I've always enjoyed. Like, I'm like, I'm definitely, I, I fuck with your camp of how you tell a story. And that's not for, it's probably not for everybody, but it's because it's so, I think you do it in a way that's very like visceral and real while still getting the visuals of like the cinematic kind of feel and look to things. When I got to give credit to like a lot of other people, I mean, it starts with my uncle and, and, you know, you know, seeing him do his job from when I was 13 on. And then, you know, all these other people like Terry and, and then, you know, there's people at ESPN, you know, that I still look up to and, and friends with and colleagues with that, that, you know, I still share stuff with, but like help me along the way, you know, the Martin and Ben and, and, um, you know, uh, a, a bevy of others, um, most guys who have the last name. So I, you know, don't want to throw those out here, <laughs> but, um, in case they don't want to be known, you know, or have Loftus, you know, talking about them. But, um, you know, to this day, you know, I still look up to them and like, I've got friends, you know, that. I mean, I love what I do and I'm, I like to think I'm pretty damn good at it. And I think one of the things that makes me successful at it is the connections I can make very quickly with yeah. others. It doesn't matter if you're a multimillionaire, you know, professional yeah. athlete I, it's or like if you're a six-year-old kid and we're doing a story on, you know, you and your tricycle or whatever, um, you know, being able to make those connections is, is where, you know, is, is what sets me apart from others, I think. Now I've got other friends that like when it comes to to writing these these narratives and and putting, you know, the their, their story together, they outshine me. And I'm still, you know, I look at what they do and I I try to emulate it. And I, I you know, they're they're the ones I looked up. And then there's other friends that are visually just, you know, head and shoulders above me. Yeah. I mean, they should be Spielberg or, right. or, or you know, <laughs> right. George Lucas, that the way they're doing some of these things. And, and again, I, I still look up to them and see what they do. And part of the reason I watch all these other, you know, documentaries and films is to get other ideas for when I'm shooting my next thing. It's funny, you're talking about the, the Qadar stuff. There was a documentary I saw recently and, you know, there was a cu couple moments in there that had nothing to do with anything I do, but it was all about, uh, I think drumming and the drums and everything. Yeah. And so they had a, a couple like high profile drums, but they ended up having like five or six drummers, both professional and like. I guess more, I don't know if the right word is amateur, but not on the same level as, you know, they had like drummers from like, you know, big time bands. Like one of them was uh, the, the drummer from Foo Fighters who, who passed away, but he was part of this. And then there was this guy known as like the drum king out in LA and like helped set up, you know, people with their drum kits and tuning them and stuff. And I had no idea how much went into, right, right, you know, right. that kind of stuff. I thought, I, drums, I didn't know you had to tune them on these things. I thought, you know, you, you set them down and you bang them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it goes to show what I know about music because I'm tone deaf. I still like the karaoke and stuff, but it's awful. Um, and there's like two songs I 
somewhat think I can get away with, one being Rocky Top, you know, Tennessee's theme song. The other, you know, I'll try to pull off suspicious minds. But <laughs> yeah, it's got you gotta yeah. have the one vague yeah. one. I got, you know, but um like I, I, I am tone deaf. I know nothing about like I love music. My ears, I, I love music. Yeah. But I don't know because I've never been able to play an instrument. So yeah, like yeah. seeing this doc and learning about, you know, drums that in depth and learning yep. about this guy who's known as like the drum doctor was so cool. And then like all these other docs I watch, like I've been watching a lot of music docs lately because I'm kind of working on my own for the last two years. Or three I really years. like, do you watch Get Back at all on HBO? The, not the Beatles one? Oh, that one I want to. I've not seen that. The it's it's di very different. It's very long, very slow. Okay. Uh, but if you're interested in music and you're interested is in- Is it a multi-part series or is it just- Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a multi-part series. Yeah. But it's, it's good in that it really kind of, like you're watching like the underpinnings of these songs, like the births of some of the biggest Beatles songs as they're happening in real time. Just like, Fucking around, just strumming yeah. a thing, getting a chord, maybe shifting this chord to this chord, humming this melody, just kind of get back. And like you start to see, you hear it the first time, you're like, oh, fuck, that's yeah. it. And that's, there's something really powerful in seeing that. And in the documentary world, when you get to document something that's occurring in real time and really being created in real time, yeah. I, I definitely enjoy doing a lot of, of that style of work. And tattoos falls into that category for me. You watch like something from like, uh, conception conception to yeah. like yeah i i know a lot of artists that they they do uh these biomechanical pieces and they're actually like they're sketching the tattoo out on the person's arm so they can kind of fluidly have it curving with their body in the way that their body works and okay. you wouldn't think like i until doing it didn't think that that was really a big deal and then you're like oh yeah shit everybody does kind of different arm shapes and like yeah. sizes and curves to their bodies and you get something on yourself that's going to be you're worried about when you're old and wrinkly and is like you know going to droop right 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 yeah exactly and so they, i mean they're super mindful of it because they're mindful of like what i like about documentaries is i feel like you you're constantly learning more about something you don't know maybe you're never going to apply it again but you're basically at the forefront of learning what this documentary is about yeah. and so with tattooing it's it's been really great to see like oh that's why they don't want to go too too deep into the skin it's not like it, hold, it makes you hold color more it just causes scarring which can like lighten the tattoo and cause it to fade sooner and you know why they're really adamant about like not being out in the sun for a long time after or a little while after you get your tattoo initially and i'm going through a tattoo laser removal process right now and so you're not supposed to have any sun exposure for it for like you know the first like couple days for sure afterward and then if you can avoid it for the next couple weeks definitely do and just like knowing that there's all these nuanced aspects of what goes on to every industry, every story that can oh, yeah. be told, unearthing and uncovering those is is fun. And then the added fun part to that is being able to dive deep and finding a way to capture that nuance. Because like, like you said, when you're recreating something and you have to go back and explain something, it's like – you can't just have it be the conversation of the, of the interview the whole time. Yeah. You can't rely on just like generic kind of like scenic B-roll only. Like to some degree, you want to be able to dive into seeing what this little thing that they're talking about is. It really can't be explained unless it can be seen. And when you contextualize it for people, you kind of open up this floodgate for them for everything. So, yeah, I, I'm definitely big into documentaries too. I've actually started to think about um, – True crime, like I'm not into it at all, but my girlfriend absolutely like loves yeah, like, it's, it's like thing, and I I'm like it's the biggest man. thing for the last couple of years, and it's and not like, going anywhere. And I'm like, I guess like the, there's preliminary research that goes into it, right? Like you get the the research part of it done, and then there's the storytelling side of it that you can accompany with it. There's so many different ways to handle it. I'm like, I wonder if I would enjoy doing a true crime thing, but then also you see some of the true crime shit that's out there, and you're like. I don't know that I could sit in the editing room and listen to this mother talk about this guy who killed her daughter and like 
real time, real emotion. And then imagine being the person who's in the, like, I would hire you to do the interview yeah. for that. Cause I was like, I know I'm going to get the interview I want, but I oh. don't want to sit in the room to get the interview. I will tell you this. There's nothing harder. Cause I learned this when I was ESPN, I had to do a story for, um, it was either Preakness or the third race in the triple crown, which is in long Island. Um, and, um, there was a, a trainer who, whose horse finally made it. And, you know, a few weeks before the race, uh, like has a widow maker, massive heart attack and dies. And, you know, we go and I go to interview his wife and I'm supposed to be doing, um, the story with, with, uh, Tom Rinaldi, who's one of the best in the business. Um, and for some reason he couldn't make the interview. So it was just me. And I knew there was going to be these like moments where you're gonna have to ask, like, you know, describe that moment when you, you know, try to you know, talk to your husband or whoever that morning, he's not responding. Yeah. And, you know, you realize he's, he's passed and, you know, I got through it, but just the once you're swallowing. And, and your it, was, it was too. hard. Cause yeah. like, you know what, like, you know, you watch all those things and you're like, you see those people. I said, how'd that make you feel? What, what do you mean? How you make like, that's the dumbest question. And I, I see that happen all the time, whether it's live sports or news or whatever. So you're trying to figure out a way to ask it and be, you know, to, to, with the get, utmost to, respect. Yeah, utmost respect, but also get in their headspace yeah. and see what they're feeling time and have them convey that emotion. And it was one of the first times I really had to do that and didn't exactly know what I was doing. Um, you know, meaning, you know, trying to be, and I didn't try to do it a second time. And so now we're, we're in the, the edit and I'm working with Tom and he's like, well, I'm sure you got it again. And I was like, yeah, I didn't. And he's like, oh, you see, you didn't ask again. I was like, no, I was like, it was just, I, Honestly, was nervous about that one, and you know this and yeah. that. And again, it's a learning experience because Tom's done this a bunch, and he walked me through how to, you know, handle these situations and what to do and and that kind of stuff. And I, I learned it, and so the next time it was easier. It's never going to be easy because it sucks talking to people about that, but <laughs> it was it was easier. And and you know, doing those um, kind kind of you know ha having to, you know, talk to people. I had to I've had to talk to you know the one of the stories I did you know was, uh, you know trying to have a family and they had, you know, a, a miscarriage followed by two stillbirths yeah. and having to like talk to both the husband and wife, but especially the wife who, you know, went through all of that, you know, not only emotionally, but physically, Yeah. um, you know, the, those, those were hard conversations, but like having them, you know, take you through that journey and then they ended up adopting and things like that. But it lets everyone else like, that's the one thing I love about, you know, some of these stories I tell, you know, and this was, you know, this one was also for ESPN. Um, you know, I'm never going to know what it's like to sack a quarterback or anything like that. <laughs> right. But try as I might. Right. Yeah. But, you know, we all know someone, whether, you know, mom, aunt, sister, cousin, whatever friend who's probably experienced, you know, a, a miscarriage or, you know, un hopefully not, but a stillbirth, but like been in those situations and, you know, being able to tell those and let other people see like, you know, this also happens to others and here's how you can cope with it or here's yeah. how you can overcome it. Or, you know, there's other opportunities out there if, you know, un, you know, unwilling, you're not able to have your own. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, being able to tell those stories are, are what I love. Cause again, never going to know what it's like to, you know, pad up and, and, and go out there. But, you know, I know what it's like to have family members that have been through similar situations and, you know, uh, you know, for them to hear those stories, I, I think is impactful. Yeah, it's it's a sort of a, a form of catharsis too, because it's like sometimes they're not going to give themselves that that platform to give that give voice to the thing that they're feeling or experiencing, and so it's like a lot of people can internalize, and if you can't get it out, 
sometimes I think that's why media is so popular, right? Because yeah. it's like it's a, it is kind of escapism to a degree. And it is weird that it is like probably I, would, I bet the statistics skew heavily towards true crime that it's mostly predominantly like women that are watching oh. it. But for whatever reason that ends up being, it's like it's they it does seem to be like a pretty compelling case to be studied here. Like why why is there this like influx of users watching this type of content specifically like if you break it down to like just the brass tacks of what it is i did an interview with um a kid before a music video he was a marine as he was nick greisiger he's a really great dude and uh we were doing this video and the stream uh, revenue from it we were donating to mission 22 for okay. veteran suicide and so he told the story of like the day that he had this experience and like so but i started by having him talk about like how they met, like what their relationship was like. Yeah. And like, I mean, I, everybody, I think at this point has to go through having a friend that loses, you know, their life to suicide. And if they don't awesome for them, but for the people that do, I think it kind of like touches you in a very different way that kind of lingers and sticks with you for a long time. And and with this particular one, I had had one that I had been kind of carrying with me for probably the past eight years prior to that. And then when we did this shoot, you know, he was having the conversation with me and the second he started to tear up, I started tearing up. I was mm -hmm. like, this is rough, but it was like, I wanted to be diligent in telling the story the right way so that it, it makes its way to the audience the right way. Yeah. And, and it's- Did a, you stop down and kind of recompose or did you let that be a part of it? No, I let it be a part of it. <laughs> we let yeah. it run in one long form, like, you know, 30, 40 minute interview. And, uh, I mean, the whole thing was really, really, it's hard, right? Cause like, that's the, you, you look at like veteran suicide and, and that aspect, it's like, there's so many stories to be told there. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I guess because of my friend who had passed away, I kind of like relinquished myself that if, a, an opportunity to do something that works towards suicide prevention or suicide awareness, I, I kind of, those are like the almost bar none, always the gimme projects that I sign on for to take just cause I'm like, it's like the least I can do, right? Like he can't continue on. And so like, at least if I can help other people through this media, get the message out. Yeah. Enjoy doing yeah. it that way. And but, it's just weird. Like that, that, it is funny to think that like you, in cultivating the, who you are as this producer, you know, storyteller, you know, just awesome all around like TV film you know, not editor because you're not an editor. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm not an editor. I can't do what you do on a computer. I can sit behind you and help you. Right, right, right. And yeah. that, like, that's where my benefit is. And, you know, but like, yeah, if, if you asked me to sit down and put something together, I probably could. It'd probably just take six months. Right. But like, so what's cool about it is that everybody kind of, each creative gets to sort of choose what oh, yeah. their sort of arc is and what their interests are and how they kind of dive into it. And sometimes you're relinquished by circumstance. That's the only way you can kind of get into a project and you need to do something to kind of push yourself out of your comfort zone and try a new thing. But, uh, I, I've definitely, I find that I, I gravitate towards the storytelling side of things. And you know, when a story feels weak and when a story feels like robust and like complete, and you do a good job of telling complete stories that really kind of bring in the extra bells and whistles around the edges that like the fringe details that maybe don't seem like they're as important. But if you can tie them into this main like underbelly of what is the entire actual narrative, you're like, yeah, all that stuff was important, actually. Well, that's one of the things when you were doing this story with with your buddy and you guys both broke down, did you know going into it that there was a good chance of that happening? I try not. It's hard for me sometimes when I'm doing something like that because I feel like I'm so fixated on I got to get the lights up and this has got to be running. I'm okay. thinking I'm thinking technically, and then when I sit down, and I'm starting to do it. Again, I, I I've given myself questions that I want to ask to kind of get elicit the responses I'm looking for. Yep. But I hadn't really sat down and given. I've started long since then to sit back and give myself a minute or two to be like, okay, these are the things we're going to be talking about. Like, am I 
mentally steeled to deal with the what we're going to hear here and how this is going to go and i i definitely did not so we we met, like muzzled through it we like got through the whole interview and it was it was definitely great but yeah that that aspect of like that little mental prep that i could have benefited from using before i did it i i did not and it was it was hard but also i think it kind of kept it real but those moments yeah they keep them real and i'll tell you this like the the one another learning aspect i had was when you when I'm with a reporter, like sometimes reporters are great and they get more stuff out and they're they're phenomenal what they do and they right. ask great follow up questions or whatever it is, but every so often, especially they're green, and you know I've learned now to have these talks if I know we're gonna have a moment where I think something could happen, whether it could be, you know, uh, emotional and they're gonna you know lose their shit and cry, or they're gonna lose their shit and get up and leave. Right, right. Like, yeah, that's yeah. also a possibility. Extremes, you, have to, yeah. you have to ask hard questions. Um, you know, be ready for those. And you have to, you know, plan your your questions out accordingly. Like, especially if you think this is like, this is gonna be contentious and there's a chance they- Do not pull, bury it they, at the they, front. <laughs> they pull, yeah, they pull this off and walk. Make sure you get 90% of your other stuff you need ahead of time. But I, was, I remember working with a reporter and, you know, we get to this, you know, we're talking to this guy and actually out of nowhere, I wasn't even expecting uh, the, the interview subject to, you know, kind of lose his shit and start crying. And it was a good moment. And instead of letting it breathe and happen and just taking a breath, the, you know, reporter who was kind of green was like, okay, no, no, it's okay. We can take it. I was like, you son of a bitch. Yeah. I'm like, like so it was like two seconds in, I could, I would have let it carry for another 15. Cause I would have been able I'm not, not going to let that air the entire time. Right. But I want this to breathe. You want the buffer. Thing, you know, and I want to see if he comes back and composes himself. Yeah. You know, do we Cause go that moment coming shot? back in is great. Yeah. And so we didn't like <sighs> it, 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 and I, I remember, and my cameraman and I, we both looked at it. We're like, motherfucker. Yeah. Like we were pissed. And like, so as soon as the next, you know, I can't remember if that was digital or tape. That was digital. But like after the interview, I pulled him aside. I was like, you need, you've got a lot to learn. Yeah. And like yeah. here I'm telling, you know, however this guy, you know, is accomplishing it. But I was like, you don't like, no, you got to let this stuff happen. And so like one of the ones for me, and again, when you know these are going to happen, um, when I went to, uh, I went to Haiti right after the earthquake in 2010 and did a story on the, uh, under 17 women's national team. Okay. So they, you know, are playing in the CONCACAF Cup to try to make the under 17 World Cup. So the CONCACAF Cup is like US, Panama, Costa Rica, like all these, you know, uh, North and Central America and, you know, Caribbean countries. And, you know, during the, the earthquake happened, you know, I don't know, 10 days, two weeks before, you know, they were supposed to be there. And coach dies, their head coach dies in the earthquake. He was at the, uh, at the um, Federation building. And the building collapses because I mean, they don't have OSHA there. Their, yeah, their, their yeah, laws yeah. for building stuff aren't quite the same as ours or standards. Um, and the girls happen to be in the stadium, which is open air. So even though everything's shaking and stuff is like breaking, there's nothing falling on them. On so them, they were yeah, safe. Yeah. A couple of the girls lost their entire families. A lot oh. lost their entire homes. This and that. And so and they're still competing. Mm -hmm. And they have to decide if they're going to go on and play in this tournament or if they're going to call it quits. They decide to go on. The assistant coach takes over. And then Panama comes out of nowhere, uh, another country that's playing the tournament, and invites them over, gives them like dorms to stay in and facilities to practice at, you know, food, clothing, like all the stuff. Hell yeah. So for like, I don't that's know. That's a great story, yeah, yeah, man. No, like, awesome. That's like, you, you and hope I, that you get a story that good to yeah. tell. And so like 10 days, two weeks before. So we were there for like four or five of the days. You know, we're, we don't need to be the entire time. We're there for like the last five days of their training in Panama when they were there. Um, and then we went with them to Costa Rica where the tournament was. Uh, and so, but like the, the 
seeing that camaraderie and seeing how sports can bring people together. And again, they don't speak the same language. Yeah. Haitian Creole, man, that stuff's confusing. Thank God I had a great translator. <laughs> um, and then you got, you know, Panama Costa Rica, it's mainly Spanish and everything. But, um, you know, you, you see them. And then like the last night before both teams went to Costa Rica for the actual tournament, they had a big like, almost like a banquet. Both teams got together. They, you know, ate together. They were, you know, having fun and this, that, and they knew they were going to most likely yeah. compete against each other in a couple of days. So go over to, to Costa Rica for the tournament and their first game for, for Haiti is against the United States and U S women just crush in soccer. I mean, we right. are, you know, we're the standard. Yeah. And the U S beats them like 11 to nothing. I mean, you know, and it's not like they're trying to put her on, but like, it's also hard to pull back. You, you play right, the way right, you play. Right. Like, and you don't want you know, that either. And, and, like, the, and the coach, you know, like I, I look at, and I've looked at it, like they weren't, you know, they were playing the game and that's yeah. it. Like, it's hard to pull back. And like, you know, you got an opportunity, you're going to shoot the ball. Yeah. Um, and so they went 11, nothing. And as both teams are doing the high fives, the goalkeeper Colby is like on her butt, like her knees up, you know, hands in her face and, and, you know, just sobbing. She yeah. feels like he let down the team, the coaches, her country, all these things. Right. And the U.S. goalkeeper, this girl, Brianne, sees this and comes over and lifts her up and hugs her. And then the entire U.S. team, you know, you know, 18 girls, whatever, it's 15, however many girls are on the team, you know, are embracing this girl. It is one of the most. You're tearing up. Oh, I'm yeah. tearing no, up no, no, right no. now. It is. It's one of the most emotional things I've ever shot. And like, and I'm filming it. My cameraman's filming it. And. Like it's, 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 it was one of the most emotional moments I think I've ever shot and been a part of in my career, but, and then it's hard to explain because you're not there. Right. And especially for people that if you haven't seen the story, you know, it's a, it's a great one. It's on YouTube, but, um, the best way to describe it is most people have seen the movie Rudy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the end of Rudy, Rudy gets carried off by Notre Dame. Right. Imagine if the other team carried Rudy off. Right, right, right. Like, that's the best way to describe it. Yeah. You know, and and then on top of that, this girl, Brianne, the, the goalkeeper, yes, she comes back to the States. She then sees the piece and, you know, learns that, you know, some of these girls now have no families. Right, and right, all right. this stuff, because we go back to Haiti with them. And so, actually, after they lose their third game, they're out of the tournament now. Yeah. And I'm interviewing the coach. And, you know, my transfer is behind me and it's just me. And like, we're at like a picnic table and I've, my hand's like a tripod and I'm yeah. holding the camera and everything and, and, you know, filming and, you know, talking to him and being translated, everything. And I said, where do the girls go now? And the coach loses his shit. He's crying and this and that. And it takes him like 30 or 40 seconds to compose himself. I just be quiet. Let it I, I look back at my guy and I'm giving him kind of like that. Didn't have to worry about another cameraman because I was the cameraman, um, you know, but didn't want my translator to you know, kind of mess up the moment. Right. And, you know, finally the coach composed himself. He's like, I don't know. I don't know. They've got nothing to go home to. And it was like one of the most powerful, again, probably the second most powerful moment. And then we go back to Haiti with them. We see where these girls are. Um, you know, one of them, uh, you know, m most of them had no homes to go home to or like the rubble and stuff. Right. Uh, one was, you know, in this uh, town called Cito Soleil, which is probably the, poorest town in in the the western hemisphere uh i mean literally raw sewage and stuff is running through the streets by it it was so unsafe that like my guards you know we had armed guards there like i said we had four armed yeah. guards after being there for like 15 20 minutes they were like we need to go they're like mounting up against us uh, like like they're gonna come because i also want to make sure like they i didn't want guys walking around like ars like so all my um security looked like photogs they had like the photog vest and i told them they're like listen 
whatever you have on you, conceal and carry as best you can. Like, but I don't want like have your have whatever you need in your vehicles. Right, right. So right. like your ARs, your shotguns, whatever else. But like they had handguns and stuff on them and clips. But like I didn't want because I didn't want to scare people. I wanted people to be comfortable. Or so right. the girls. Right, right, right. And so you know we had all these talks lead into it. You know with how we were going to handle these situations and I'm like. I'm like, all right, how much more time do we have? He, and like, we'd already been there like 15 minutes. He's like, we've been here 20 minutes too long. I'm like, wait, we've only been here. Okay, yeah, all right. Oh, I see what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah, I was yes, like, yes, right, yes, yes, so yes. we're uh, we're gonna we're gonna uh, mount up and go. So you know, we got our last shot and rolled out because I'm you know I'm not gonna yeah not trying to do the yeah, standoff. I'm, yeah, I'm, I listen to you. This is your 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 neighborhood. Um, and you know, one of the girls, you know, her her family was you know killed, and so we're there. Um, and we're interviewing her in front of her home. We're like, where are your parents? And she was actually able to speak, you know, decent English. And she's like, they're dead in the house. Um, and again, you know, the, you know, you finish that story. Um, and she was living in this like tent city, like inside another stadium or something. Like literally surrounded by like sheets, like yeah. stuff, stuff that is, you know, less fabric than this. And um you know, we got the shots over in there and then, you know, because we're humans, uh, we were like, we can't leave her here. Yeah. So we, we took her and, you know, uh, my, my translator, you know, knew people and put her in an apartment that, you know, was paid for by, uh, my reporter and, you know, the, um, the, my translator and stuff, uh, for, I don't know, a couple months or whatever until she was able to, you know, kind of find Smart some things, things a couple there. of girls. Yeah. And, and get, you know, into something else. But, and we got, you know, the the outcry we got from that and you know people how can we adopt or adopt other people in the stat and yeah you know, shut down on adoption and all that stuff but you know that that was one of the more you know powerful and what you know seeing that moment was extremely powerful what also got me was the back end so here we are after you know five six days with them in haiti and seeing everything going through and all this stuff i get on a plane and where do i go back home i gotta come to connecticut and i got a house yeah i got a bed i got a roof and I've, like got, good luck I've, I've, got, I've got food, I've got friends, I've got family, like no one's missing. And it was weird because like I, you know, developed like, you know, a connection with, with this whole group and everything. And, and I, you know, so did my report, so did our camera people and everyone. And, uh, you know, for me, I remember just being like, I felt guilty. Yeah, because you just, just because you came home. Yeah. And um, it was one of the times, it was, you know, funny, one of the, it was probably the first time that I'd ever been asked to to do something outside of ESPN. So um, I get a phone call from um, I don't know if this is the right name. I think it's like Richard Diedrich. Um, I have to look it up. Uh, but basically, uh, there's a guy at Sports Illustrated that kind of rates the best stuff out there in sports every month or whatever, and then an end of year thing. And so um, I get this phone call from this guy. He goes, "Hey, I'd like to talk to you about this." I was like, "Yeah, I can't." Because ESPN also had like a strict policy about not yeah. talking to others because someone messed up for everyone else, you know, a bunch of years ago when he said something off cuff or whatever. And, yeah. you know, it went, it went crazy. And this was before stuff went viral. So I was like, listen, uh, I, I can't speak to you about that. I was like, you know, um, if you need to talk to anyone, you know, please reach out to, you know, uh, Those channels. A Andy Tennant or whoever at yeah. you know, E60. And like two minutes later, I get a phone call from from Andy Tennant, who's like the EP of, of E60. And he's like, did you just tell so-and-so like to talk to me about this? I was like, yeah. I was like, I'm not, I know we're not allowed to talk. He's like, all right, you did your, yes, good job. You're allowed to talk to him. Like, this is a good thing for you and for us. I was like, all right. He's like, just answer his questions openly, honestly, and you're good to go. He's like, I appreciate you doing that. Demon Due diligence. He's like, I sure. didn't think, he's like, I didn't even think about you saying like, no, and turning it down. 
I was like, dude, I'm not going to be the one that gets up in the chopping block next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no, thank you know, you. so he's like, all right, he's going to call you back in a couple minutes. Please answer and answer his questions. So we sit down and, you know, he calls me and he's like, listen, I'd love to talk to you about the, the Haiti soccer story and this and that. He's like, I understand you're the producer for it. How did it come out? My next answer was, I was like, honestly, you should really be talking to Lisa Salters, the reporter. Yeah. She's the face of everything. Like she's, you know, the one that answers these questions. You know, he's like, actually, I'd really like to talk to the producer who put everything in motion. Right. I said, all right. So we ended up talking for, you know, 15, 20 minutes and never even knew when this th whole thing was coming out. And, um, I don't know, a month or two later, I start getting these texts from, from some buddies and my one buddy, uh, sends this and his dad saw it first on like SI.com. Okay. And he's reading this and he's like, Michael Loftus, ESPN, he's 60 and all this stuff. He's like, that can't be our Loftus. And so he then sends it to his sons. And then like, it starts going around everyone. And like, now I'm getting all these texts and like, you know, my one buddy's like, my dad saw, he's like, is that our Loftus? And he left to me, he's like, yeah, that's our Loftus. And then all my buddies are like, he sounds so like coherent and concise. Like that can't be him. Has he not been drinking lately? I don't yeah. understand. So it was, but it was, it was an honor to to be a part of that and for them to recognize that piece. Yeah, man. And, recognition and, is... and you know, from from someone you know at, at Sports Illustrated, and then at the end of the year, it ended up getting, uh, you know, it was part of his, it it was whatever it was for that month that he does. He recognizes like four or five things for that month, so it was part of that. And then he does the end of the year one. Yeah. Uh, for you know the impactful or moments or whatever stories in sports, and it also made that list. And like you know. For it to be recognized by someone else in the industry that you you know respect, yeah, uh, and, and to see that your work is respected and, and they like it, and um, it, it's you know it was it was gratifying. That's awesome, man. I'm excited to uh, see your foray into the music documentary world. Yeah. So speaking of Mother's Day, I mean, I, this would not be happening without mom. Yeah. So um, I'm I'm you know been working on for for like uh, two and a half years now or so this. Um, documentary uh thing with wu-tang clan so you know growing up i was a big wu-tang fan and you know mom used to always yell turn that shit down you know because i'm <laughs> blasting my room and you know she didn't want to hear about wu-tang clan ain't nothing to fuck with apparently um bring the motherfucking yeah ruckus. you know or, or check your neck and uh you know so she's always yelling me to turn it down so mom hits me up um and my parents live uh in uh in nashville and she, she's like hey uh did you know that Wu-Tang's come and play the Ryman Auditorium? And I was like, what? She's like, yeah, uh, they just announced that Wu-Tang's playing the Ryman. Uh, do you want me to try to get tickets or whatever? And I was like, first of all, it's cool as shit. You're offering to get tickets. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, secondly, I'm like, that can't be right. Cause like the Ryman is like the cathedral of country music. Right. You know, it, it literally was a tabernacle. It was a church 130 years ago. And it's become like, you know, the, this Mecca to country. Um, and I've, I, you know, there's, there's stars, like, you know, people, you know, like Garth Brooks or Kane Chesney or, or Faith Hill or whoever, Dolly Parton that, you know, have said like, they don't feel like they've made it until they've played the Ryman. Right. Um, and so, you know, it, it surpasses the Grand Ole it's Opry. It's like a legacy venue. Yeah. Cause it's older than the Grand Ole Opry. In fact, it used to house the Grand Ole Opry for like 30 years. It was the home of the Grand Ole Opry when whatever happened in the Grand Ole Opry happened. And then this was like, I don't know, the 60s, 70s kind of era that maybe, I don't know, but for like 25, 30 years, the Ryman was the home of the Grand Ole Opry. And so, um, you know, she tells me, and so I start doing my research and sure enough, Wu-Tang's playing the Ryman. I'm like, all right, that can't be like how, all right. So then I start like, well, how many other rap hip hop groups have done this? None. Like Nelly did it, like played a song with uh Florida Georgia line, but like came up for like one song. Right. Or, like he didn't right. headline it. 
Right. So Wu Tang is going to be like the headliner, and I remember thinking, "Wow, like that's the like, first like hip hop show." And you're and you're going all in. You're, yeah, you're yeah, yeah, you're not, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. you're not, you're not again. You're not bringing in Nelly or Will Smith, like you know, kind of bubblegummy. Like let's yeah, please all Wu-Tang. audiences. You're going Wu Tang again. Wu Tang laying out the fuck with like that does not always you know that doesn't go to every audience. I mean, I think it does and doesn't, but like you know, it's hardcore. Yeah, you know, that's like, wild. It'd be like you know if it was. You know, it'd be like bringing, you know, earlier on, like an NWA or a Tupac or something back Right, then. right. That's like, the, yeah, like, that's the Elks, certainly. Like, like they, they, you know, um, and so for the next, like, the show wasn't for like four or five months. So now I'm like, I'm excited about this. I'm like, this is historic. Wu-Tang is yeah. now going to basically make the rhyme all-inclusive. Because they've had blues, you know, it's not like right. the first black artists. Right, right, That's right. not, you know, that's not, you know, they, they've had blues, they've had jazz, they've had all these other things there. Um, you know, Thurgood Marshall spoke there. I mean, so there's always amazing events that happen there, but not until 2019 or whatever was their rap. Yeah. And so I was like, I want to document this. Yeah. I want to make this. And so I start, you know, hitting up. I mean, you know, it's funny. Like in today's society, I was like, you slide in their DMs. Like this is the first time I can say I tried to slide in on people's DMs. Right. I'm trying to like, like. Wu-Tang's Instagram, their Twitter, like RZA's, like, you know, whoever I can get up, Method Man. Anyone. I'm trying to hit up anyone, nothing. I'm reaching out for publicists, like going through, you know, all their things and trying to find publicists and people. I find out they're on tour in Europe. So I start reaching out to like their European publicist. I finally get all of someone that she basically says they're not interested. And I'm like, yeah, you're in Europe. You don't know anything. Um, and so basically didn't even listen to her and just kept searching. So now I'm doing another freelance project. I'm in LA. And... um it was uh, actually e-gaming, which is kind of interesting. And I'm sitting with this editor that, you know, my buddies is the uh, executive on this project. And so he sets us up and, you know, working with this editor and it's an hour doc and we're doing like a block of it. So we're in charge of, you know, 12, 15 minutes of it. So he and I are putting this block together and we're shooting the shit in between stuff. And I'm like, so, you know, where are you from? And it turns out he was from like back East. And so what brought you out here? He's like, actually, I was doing a lot of work with Bhutan Clan and I came out here <laughs> to like film and edit with him. I was like, are you shitting me? He's like, no, I was like, you know, I've been trying to get in touch with like Wu-Tang for like three and a half, four months now. He's like, no, he's like, yeah, he's like, uh, um, uh, I did, you know, these things with, uh, with them for, you know, different videos or other things they were doing at like the height of their popularity and like, you know, mid late nineties. So he's grandfathered in basically. Yeah. And, and knows a bunch of them and, um, ends up, uh, uh, I don't want to get this wrong. So, uh, he's like. He's buddies with Prodigal Son. So Prodigal Son is one of the outliers of Wu-Tang. Okay. All right. Uh, he's, he's got his own albums and stuff. He's, you know, I don't know, a cousin or something of RZA or one of the, I think it's RZA or one of the other members. So he puts me in touch and gives me Prodigal's number. I reach out to Prodigal. Prodigal happens to also be in LA. So we end up talking. I'm like, hey, I'm here. Can we meet? You know, can I love to take you to lunch or something? Right. Just, just go to lunch. Talk to your offer and, and yeah, let him know what I'm trying to do. Right. He's like, all right, yeah, he lo- he's, he's like, I'm digging it. He liked me. And, you know, he's like, yeah, you need to talk to his power. I was like, all right, who's power? Like, no one has a real name. No. And so, <laughs> so I was like, who's power? Power is like the unofficial head. Like, have you seen the Hulu document or like the Hulu series that Riz is doing? For, no, okay, no, so no. Three, I, I've seen it seasons. pop up. I haven't watched like, it. Like, power is a part of that. Like, you hear his name and you see how he's this figurehead with, okay. with Wu Tang. So he's like the business figurehead, like the money man. Like, he's not. On stage, doesn't rap or any of that, or at least not that I've seen. Just keeping it together. Yep. Um, and, and doing all these things, you know, behind the scenes for them. So 
he's going to put me in touch with power. He doesn't want to just give me power's number. And again, they're still on the European tour. Right. So he reached out. So now like, it's, it's annoying. I'm surprised prodigal didn't block me or, you know, tell me just to go to hell. But like I'm every five days or so shooting days, a follow up. I'm yeah, calling, texting, knocking on that door because we're getting closer and closer to this. To the deadline. Yeah, and yeah, it's, it's the like, show. It was like their third or fourth show in the U.S. And yeah, I need so to, like, it's early on in it too. Mm-hmm. And they're coming off a Euro tour, so in musician terms, like they've got their touring legs on them at that point. Oh, yeah. Like they're, it's going to yeah. be a great show. Yeah. And again, I, I, you know, I'm hoping they know they're the first ones there. So, I am. In California, it's the day before the show. I've got tickets to it. It's the day before the show. And I've already reached out to friends of mine that are um that are that have a production house in in uh in Nashville okay. and let them know what I'm trying to do. And they're like, all right, we will give you crews for this. And basically we like it and we're gonna do it kind of pro bono. Again, friendships. Right, right. They think it's a great idea. They're gonna be, and if, if things go yeah, well, it's gonna be a, they're gonna like end up also be in, documentary. We're, we're, we're partnering together. So they've they're they're now vested in it with me. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're contracted up and we're partnered together and we both own this material now. Cool. Um, and they supply, they gave me, you know, three Aries, you know, nice. camera guys. Um, I had a guy on the sandboard and then I had like my, what do I got? Like the, the A7 III. So, but I'm busy producing and doing that. They had another guy. He must've taken a thousand photos like <laughs> of, of the, the performance, the crowd, everything. I mean, Hell yeah. so Hell the, the yeah. two, two and a half hour show, we got covered. Two angles on stage, one high angle, and photos galore. Plus, I've got the the soundboard. Yeah. So I've got the clean of everything. Yep. Um, and so that's the day before the show. I'm in LA. No, no, I'm in I'm in San Jose. Um, doing a shoot with Brandy Chastain. Do you remember who she is? No. Oof. So uh 1999, the women win the World Cup. She kicks the final penny kick, rips her jersey off. She's in the sports bra. Oh, yeah. And she's yeah, got that yeah. famous shot of her in the sports bra, like on her knees, because they just won the World Cup. Yeah. So it was the 20th anniversary of that that I just did. A, I was doing a story for for my buddy at Fox Sports okay. for digital. And it was supposed to be like a two minute story. Well, Brain and I ended up having like a, a great rapport. So it ended up becoming like an eight minute thing. Peace. Now, yeah. now a little yeah. more time going yeah. into it. Um, but so right before I sit down to do the interview with, with uh, Brandy, uh, prodigal either calls me or texts me and says, you're going to get a call from this number. It's power. I was like, all right. So I'm sitting down to do the interview with Brandy. I got my phone out. Cause I told her we'd be, do a 10 minute interview and I stay true to my word. Like I put my phone out. I set the timer. If I tell you it's going to be three questions, it's going to be three questions. If I tell you it's going to be 10 minutes, I set a timer and at the 10 minutes or damn close to it, we're done. Like I'm yeah, not going yeah. over right. by 30 seconds or a minute unless you're answering. Right. 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 Um, and it's good. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, like Lily, my second question and my phone goes off and it's the, it's power. It's that number. I was like, oh, uh, I can't take it. You couldn't take it? No, I'm in interview. I'm not gonna tell Brandy to stop. Oh. Like, I'm in an interview. Oh. So I was like, all right, I let it go to voicemail. And like, I don't know if it was divine intervention or what, but like literally three minutes later, the we're, we're at a soccer field. She's coaching her youth team. We're at a soccer field at like a high school or something. The fire alarm starts going off at the school. It's like a Saturday. <laughs> and so like we can't we can't continue the interview anyway. Right, right. Uh, no, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So and she's got to start coaching in like another 10 minutes because they can play the game with that. Um, and she's like, hey, can you come meet me? Because she's also a coach at college. Can you come meet me at Santa Clara? I think is where she coaches. So, you know, I'm like, okay. I was like, now I can call power. So I yeah. get done. We pack everything up, figure out what time we're going to meet at Santa Clara. I call power back. We're talking. He's like, yeah, I think it's a great thing. We're all in, blah, blah, blah. Um, we'll meet you there tomorrow. 
I said, cool, I'm going to be flying in. I'll have my crew there. We'll stay in touch. We talk like one or two more times. Go and finish the interview with Brandy. Um, then I fly to... You in Nashville? No, I flew into Charlotte. Then I, then I had to go from Charlotte to Nashville. But I think I flew. I didn't drive. And I remember I went and slept at my parents' house for like two hours. Right. I was on a red eye. The, the camp. Oh, yeah. And, and then I went and met my crew at, at the Ryman. And I, here's the thing. I didn't even have a chance to call the Ryman yet. They had no idea we were coming or what was going oh, on. Oh, okay. Like, we just showed up. And the good thing is <clears throat> the guys I'm working with, they've done a lot of stuff there. So they knew what entrance to go in. So they, like, no one at the Ryman questioned us. Nothing disrupted. Yeah, it yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we, we weren't coming in the front door with a bunch of equipment. Like, they knew what door to go in. We have everything set up out of the way. Yep. And then, you know, as we're filming, like, someone was finally like, why are there video cameras here? So yeah. then I'd explain stuff and tell them what we're doing and that we're with Wu-Tang with and we're them, permission. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, them, and they're like, well, what about permission? I'm like, can we get that now? You know, yeah, yeah. and so so you glad know, you mentioned. Let me just slide yeah. this paper across so the desk. For I had to you. sign stuff for them. They had to sign stuff for me. But the other thing, this was during CMA Fest. Oh, so, so it's already fucking busy. So CMA Fest there. is like for people who don't know. It's again, it's a week long country music festival. Maybe two weeks now. But you know, all these people come in from all over the world to check out. You know, artists are playing at various venues all over. And like There's major artists, concert, yeah, and 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 smaller ones too. But yeah, major major artists. And every night at it's like the Nissan country South Stadium. by Southwest. Yes, and but. For some reason, on Saturday night, it's Wu Tang at the Ryman when it should be, you know, Leon, uh, yeah, like Leon Rhymes or, or or Kenny Chesney or, or Garth you know, Brooks. Yeah, right? it, should, it should be somewhere Eric Church. Right. But it's it's Wu Tang on the last Saturday, like the last night of CMA Fest is playing the Ryman. That's amazing. So we go down and we're getting all these all these shots on um, Broadway's the main strip there yep. in Nashville. Um, and so we're getting all these shots of like always like, you know, country music fans and stuff. And now the line's starting to form around the Ryman. Right. And, you know, it's this amazing mix of people. Right. You know, like old, young, black, white, whatever yep. it is. It's it's just this amazing mix. One that, you know, I was I remember thinking, like, I wonder when the last time the Ryman had this kind of mix at it. Right, right, right. In demographic oh, and yeah. people that are attending it, for sure. hundred percent. I mean, there was a woman that was probably 65, 70 years old. That like I, I we got her doing a local television interview where she's saying what a Wu Tang fan she is and even says Wu Tang Clan ain't nothing to fuck with. That's amazing. I mean, it was hilarious. And like we got her, you know, doing that uh, from from the from the side. Um, and I, you know, did Man on Street interviews with all these people about you know what this meant and all this stuff. And then you know Wu Tang arrives and you know finally meet Power and um, the rest of the band and the guys. And then we set up in the green room and I sit down and do interviews with the guys pre-show, like four or five of them. Right. Uh, and power. And then, you know, power and I sit down and do like a long one. And, and they basically had like a day to be briefed on like, hey, this is what's happening. We're going to be doing this thing. Or no, because no, like the thing, power forgot to tell everyone kind of. So they're getting <laughs> off the bus. We're there filming and Jizz is the first one on the bus and he was pissed. Oh, like, he's like, why no. you got the camera in my face? Isn't that and like, you know, get that camera out. Like. We were like, oh shit! Like I thought they knew, but they didn't know. They and then no Power idea. sees it, and he's like, "Yo, it's it's cool, it's cool." And you know, he's like, "You know," and and everything was cool. But like at first, like there was that there was a fifteen second of, oh shit, oh shit, yeah, like, yeah, this yeah. the happening. whole thing might just blow yeah, the fuck exactly. up right now. Yeah, and you know, oh, we took man. the camera down and did all that. If people understood the pressure that you get thrown under whenever you take some chances. And you almost have to, like, you don't get anything, I think, what noteworthy I, out of your your life's work of storytelling if you don't take those shots in the dark sometimes yeah. and and land in those spots where you're like, oh, shit. I, there was 10 seconds where I didn't, I thought this whole thing wasn't happening after everybody was already out here and we've been filming for. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, like, you know, and he's one of the founding members. 
I'm not going to piss him off. Oh, yeah, like, I look up to him. I love his music. Please don't and so hate me. I was like, oh, and we we're all good. And please don't hate me, Wu Dang. And I'm talking to him, and I don't know how much they knew that this was the first. And I'll, I got to give Riz a lot of credit, um, you know, because he is the backbone of Wu Tang. Um, and throughout the event, he's talking about what a historic night it is and this and that. And 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 piping, I'm like just as he says, giving you gold. yeah, soundbite after soundbite. I'm like nap pop, nap pop, soundbite. Like I'm loving life. I'm like, oh my god. And so then after the event, we get some more interviews with you know other members of of the group and everything. And you know, oh, I've, got, I've got gold. I'm like, oh, this is this is like, all right. So we've got an amazing base to build off of because right. I know we're going to do other interviews and all these other things. But I've got this amazing base to build off of, and. Then after those other interviews, I'm kind of talking to Power. I'm like, what's happening next? She's like, well, we're going to go to this recording studio and, you know, Riz is going to lay down some tracks. We're going to write some stuff. I'm like, seriously? He's like, yeah. I was like, it's like now like 1130 midnight. Right, right. I'm like, really? This is post-show. Like, yeah, it's post-show. I'm like, and it, we've already done, um, you know, all these other interviews. I'm like, all right, well, if you're going, again, you care if we tag along. He's like, no. And so I go and talk. And again, my buddies are like, this is all pro bono. Right, right, right. And I go to the the... DP. I don't know. I mean, you know, if you jump onto a project sometimes and things are a little like, you're like, I don't know what the, like the extent of this is going to be, but I know that what we're going to be doing here is like singular. It's going to be, it's going to stand oh. out on its own and stand the test of time. Like I want to be a part of that. And I don't want to miss something. Over. Yeah. And so I go to the DP. I'm like, Hey, they're going to go to this. He's like, are you sure this night? He's like, all right. And I was like, I don't think we need to take everyone, but I think it's important to have like you and an audio if we can. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, are you sure? He's like, you, he's like, and he was kind of like wishy-washy. Like, I don't think they're going to do anything. I was like, this is what I'm told. I was like, if, if they're not adapting, I'll, I'll we'll, we'll call, call it off. We'll yeah, we're there. But like, I don't want to miss this and have an opportunity to like, you know, maybe get some more interviews or just see what's happening. Like, again, we're invited. Let's, yeah, let's take yeah, advantage yeah. of it. So we let the, we let, so there was five of them, right? Yeah. So we let three of them go. I keep the DP and the audio and myself and I got my camera. And that's enough. And yeah, sure enough, you know, we walk in with power and stuff. I think we even gave him a ride. And, you know, here's Rizzo at this, I mean, studio that's close to this size. Uh, and then it had the glass where like you could do right, it facing this way. Yeah. yeah. And and Rizzo's at the, you know, kind of like the keyboard, like the editing station area. But he's got his little drum beat machine out and he's, you know, doing his thing and making beats. And over in the corner is Raycon, the chef with like a legal pad writing lyrics. And then, you know, sitting next to him. You know, with his, you know, drink or whatever he's having is YDB, young dirty bastard, ODB's son, who oh. looks just like him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And sounds like him. <laughs> and he's doing the same thing with that. And then you got like, you know, Ghostface Killer over there doing stuff and whatnot. And so we're just getting just to gold. be in that space. Yeah. <laughs> and they got they got food and, and drinks and everywhere. Of course, I make myself a cocktail. I'm gonna fit in and and hanging out and then i'm like hey can we peel guys off one at a time just to get some interviews with people and talk more about this moment this night and just you know wu-tang and stuff in general so we got like five more of them like some we now have twice right uh as well which as, is great yeah. you got that for the pre and post we got you know power and then uh tariq uh is the other kind of figurehead so sat him down and talked for a while you know <laughs> ydb was awesome and then we're back to shooting in the in the the studio and lo and behold, you know, here comes Method Man. And I mean, he's a big boy. I don't know what he is, 6'3", six, 6'4", six, but he's a big boy. He's and a big he, boy. And he's, he's just full of energy and life and fun. 
and he kind of comes dancing. He's got a little, you know, cigar thing or whatever. You know, who knows what he's smoking on. But, you know, I don't even think it was lit yet. But, like, that's in his mouth. And he kind of comes. He's, like, skipping and dancing in. And, you know, I'm actually in the fo- in the, in the uh, audio booth shooting out. But, like, I'm on my belly lane because I'm trying to get this, like, cool wide shot. Right. When he comes in, so I get the, the feet doing this. And that's why I see it first. And then I tilt up. It's just a beautiful reveal of, you know, <laughs> meth. And I was like, oh, shit. And so it was one of those things you just, you know, those moments and you know again so then of course you know the the pandemic happens and we lose stuff and we're trying to you know still finish this and with it being the the 50th anniversary wrap coming up i've been trying to get others interested to you know at least showcase part of this in another story yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Then, and then you know then have legs to do the full doc that i want yep. to do because you know i know i need to go and sit down with each one of those guys or, or majority of them more but i also want to hear from you know historians of Nashville, of the Ryman, of country music. And right. Like that, especially and like fits into the piece. Yeah. And how, and how, you know, how this makes, you know, music, you know, cause the one thing I feel about music is it is inclusive. Like music can bring people together. Yeah. I think music and food. I think music yeah. and food can really bring people together. Um, there's just something about both yeah. that, you know, it kind of doesn't matter, but like music and food, I think have those, those uh, traits. Um, They're but, visceral sense touchers, right? But, so like audio is the strongest thing that's, or smell is the strongest thing connected to memory. And when you're eating, it's like smell and taste uh, yeah. are getting cornered right out of the gate, right? And then with audio, it's like, you know, when you're put into a place by a song, it's like, it's almost always intentional. And like when you write and release something, it's like, it's not yours anymore. You put it out there to be interpreted however it's going to be. And so it, it is kind of great when you, you get to see this sort of like, macrocosm of an event of a show like that and you're looking at the the spread of people and the different types of you're like these do not fit into the eight the the typical categories that we would say this demographic should look like it's really cool to see that people connect with it in every camp of in every corner of the world and you basically were a part of seeing that in real time it was yeah it was it was unbelievable and the uh one of the one of the aspects that you know, made it, you know, so much, so much fun was just the access and how open these guys were. Like, I wasn't sure, like minus the initial with, with Jizza, um, <laughs> which threw me off guard. Um, everybody else pretty welcome. Yeah. And everything from that. And even he was great after that, but like Rizza, um, is, is, I mean, the guy has directed movies. Yeah. He's starred in movies. Did he like, do Ghost Dog? I think. But he just scored the ghost. Dog, he may have I scored think. it. Like, like, so he directed Iron Fist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and starred in that. And then, like, I was just watching, like, um, it was on, like, TBS as I was through. But he was, like, the hard master for G.I. Joe, where you see him with, like, a beard and, like, you know, kind of training Snake Eyes and and, uh, and Storm Shadow. Um, in the movies? Yeah, in the movies. Oh, so yeah, he was yeah. one of those. Uh, and he sat some of those roles because, like, you know, they they love that that culture. They right, love, they right, love right. the the the, the Wu-Tang. That's and, what and they the, grew up on as kids. Yeah, exactly. You know, watching all those old kung fu and everything. Um, and, and, but like, he knows how to turn it on. So yeah. like when the camera's on him, we're talking to him, it just comes on and he, the answers and everything he gives are great. And then, you know, even when he's talking with the guys and we're capturing some of these nap moments, it's just gold. Um, but being able to, to be, you know, a part of that, both in the shadows as well as in the forefront yeah, was so cool. Cause you know, again, this is stuff I grew up on. Yeah. And so, you know, the, I'm, I'm pretty much passionate about everything I do. I don't ever mail anything in. But, you know, when it's something that you're really into and that you're... There's certain things that yeah. are going to tick a little higher on the yeah. box of how excited you're going to be about to work yeah. on the project. You know, yeah, if definitely. it's a story that you find or that you're into, you, you, you know, now, now it, it, it breathes within you. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're going to tell a slightly different story that way, too, because you're going to be connected to it in a much more visceral way. Like, 
it's not like you don't like you said you're never phoning it in but there's something to be said for like when you're particularly passionate about a particular like subject or or a specific documentary that you get to do it's you're going to see different little nuanced glimmers of gold out of that that you don't get in everything because you can't get it in everything because espn like 90 percent of the stories i told probably give or take 80 90 percent were ones i found and like you right. pitch them and then your your bosses would either green light yeah, or, or say, yeah, or they'd say, hey, we need more. Like right. get us more and, let, and then we'll decide. And then it's, in, you know, green light or no, you know, go back to the drawing board. And then there's that, you know, 10 to 20% where they're like, okay, we've got this story. Who's the right producer for it? Or we don't have someone assigned to it. All right. We think Loftus would be good at that. <laughs> I feel like those, I get those too. I'm glad yeah. to see that that's not just me. It's no. good that that's, and some to of see the long-term ramifications like, oh. of how that p- pans out is good. Cause like. You've got some really killer stories under your belt, man. Yeah. Like, and it didn't happen by accident. It happened because you were clearly the capable oh. choice to go to. And like, so again, mom's responsible for finding Wu Tang. You know, Happy Mother's Day, mom. You know, all yeah. this good stuff. Um, and and I, I love that. And you know, I hope like another reason I want to make this come to fruition is you know to be able to to give like a thank you to my mom on like the end credits. Yeah, that's right. You know? Yeah, because like, yeah. I wouldn't have known about this without her. But it's also weird how you find certain stories. So. I was in Charleston, South Carolina for a bachelor party for a buddy of mine from UT. Um, and it was, I think it was the first time I was nominated for an Emmy. And so uh, like that, t- I was flying from Charleston to New York City to go to the Emmys okay. right after the bachelor party. So I got my suit and everything with me. Why well, show up a few hours before? Because I flew in and they're all driving in from Knoxville. So we're at this like killer Airbnb um, you know, in downtown Charleston and across the street is like, like, like men's boutique, like, like Southern men's boutique. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I was like, you know, I'm a gold Southern boy. And, but like, you know, I was like, I see this like beige seersucker suit in the window. I was like, I'm gonna treat myself. Yeah. You know, it's like, what, what was that show? Um, Parks, Parks and Rec. Rec. Yeah. Treat, treat yourself. yourself. Yeah. I was like, I'm gonna treat myself. And this is before Parks and Rec, but I was like, I'm gonna treat myself. So I walk in there. Yeah, treat yourself as more of like a, a state of mind. Yeah. Oh, I was in full on state of mind for that. Plus, I'm also alone. Like, it's either yeah. I go, I either go spend three hundred dollars or more on a, a custom suit, or I'm drinking by myself. Probably spend the same amount of money. Right, right. So with no suit to show. Exactly. For it. No exactly. suit sucker suit. To I, show I, for yeah, I, that'll go away. I can have this forever. So I, I go into this this men's boutique, and I'm you know walking around, and there's this other couple in there, guys probably in his you know mid sixties, um, and he's got like every person in there helping him. I'm like, well, he's somebody, right? You know, like, and I'm in, you know, the draw of the room is on him oh, over there. Yeah. And you know, he and his wife and they're picking out all these things and I can just see like just racks and racks of stuff. And, um, I'm wearing, and like, again, you never know where the story's going to come up. I'm wearing like cut off khaki shorts and an Elvis t-shirt from a performance he was supposed to play in Hartford, but he died like right before it. Oh, so it's like the bill. It's like, the bill of yeah, the show. That's yeah, awesome. Of that, and you know, but he never performed it. So I'm kind of walking through looking at stuff. No one's paying attention to me. Like usually they just be like, uh, sir, you're in the right place. Um, but like not even none of that. This guy's so important. He just tries, turns around and sees me. He's like, you an Elvis fan? I said, yes, I am. He said, you ever see him alive? I said, no, sir. He uh, died about, you know, three months before I was born. <laughs> Um, you know, or so. And he's like, Oh, okay. He's like, uh, where are you from? I said, you know, I, I grew up in Maryland's dad's like, but you know, went to school in Tennessee. He's like, oh, he's from Memphis. He's like, we ends up talking. He's like, what do you do? I said, I, I work for ESPN. I work with a show called E60. It's a news magazine show. You know, so we produce all these news magazine features that are sports related and this that. He goes, Oh, that's cool. He's like, Do you know what Penny Hardaway is up to? I said, No, what's Penny Hardaway up to? He's like, he's coaching junior high basketball. 
really? <laughs> why, why is Penny Hardaway? Because as far as I heard, he hadn't wasted his money. Like there's those athletes that like, you know, blow their hundreds of millions. Right, right, right. But I didn't hear anything about Penny doing that. So I was like, why is he coaching? And why do you know this? And so it turns out this guy is like, you know, remember like the sausage king of Chicago? This guy's like the sausage and meat processing king of like Memphis and West, like that, that, that whole area. <laughs> yeah, so, no wonder and, he's the who's who getting attention yeah. in this suit spot. Yeah. And so Penny's one of his like influencers kind of thing. Like, oh. you know, part, he's part of his, you know, group for whatever. And uh, he's telling me that uh, apparently uh, Penny's good buddy, who was the head coach of the junior high team, uh, was dealing with, uh, with cancer. And Penny came in to take over the team while his buddy's recovery. Okay. I was like, oh, that's really cool. I was like, holy shit. So I was like, can I get your card, your name, right, your yeah, number, yeah, immediately. Like, you know, social security number, like, you know, all this stuff. So we exchanged all this information. I was like, we're going to be in, in touch, you know, in a couple of days. I've got this going in the next few days. Then I'm going to be in New York. So have an awesome time with the bachelor party. Get it, get an awesome custom made, you know, suit out yeah, of base seersucker suit. Um, you know, meet some very cool people from, from Memphis that I still stay in touch with and find a potential story. But it still has to be approved. So I get up to uh, to New York, and we have, you know, all of us for, from E60 and some other ESP people are uh, having, you know, pre-cocktails before the, the Emmys. Yeah. And I uh, I go up to, I don't know if it was Andy or Robert, but I was like, I got my next story. And I just lay out, like, the groundwork. And then he's like, all right, make a call on that thing first thing tomorrow. Afternoon or the next day when you're feeling better. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so, Realistically yeah. tomorrow. So, you know, sure enough, you know, that was all they had to hear. Make the call, get, you know, contact for like Penny's people and everything. And, you know, a week or two later, I'm on the ground in Memphis and I'm filming them and then they end up winning the state championship and stuff. Oh, and hell yeah. So the story yeah. goes on. Oh, the story goes, we ended up doing like multiple parts on it because then, you know, uh, you know, on, on, uh, you've already started, times. you've already started riding the yeah. wave with it. So they win the state championship that year and, you know, uh, coach Des comes back, the, the coach who, you know, was diagnosed with colon cancer. And he comes back and, you know, is helping, but like still going through chemo and all these things, doesn't have the strength, can't Ugh. fully coach, but he's there. So in fact, while we're doing, I go with him when he ends just to go get chemo treatment. It's just me filming because I want to have a whole crew in there. Right. And, you know, shoot some of that, ask him a couple questions. Then he like, the, it starts going in the system. He kind of pulls his hood down, pulls the blankets up and goes to sleep and I yeah. leave. Um, next day we're doing the interview and Lisa Salters is conducting the interview. Again, another one of these moments where it just stands out. And while we're filming... Uh, Coach Des is like, can we stop down? And she's, he's like, yeah, yeah. So he pulls his microphone, gets up, walks away, comes back like five minutes later, kind of like wiping his mouth, you know, puts his mic back on. We're like, can you clap in front, you know, to sync everything? So we yeah. do that. And Lisa goes, are you okay? He goes, yeah. He goes, did you just get sick? He goes, yeah. He goes, why do you do this? It takes so much out of you. He goes, but it puts so much into me. Oh. <laughs> I mean, you can't, you can't write that shit. You can't write it. You, and if like, you do, it's and like, never going to be The guy just got done way. being sick from chemo. Yeah. He was his brains out, whatever he was doing. And he comes back and like, you know, always thinking about still with these kids. Yeah. And, what, and how, and how they help him. And, you know, we knowing, you know, what he can also do for them. It's uh, like, those moments are what make this job special. Yeah. I think that what's funny about this as like a, as a growing career and this in the realm that where like digital media has been a lot more, the barrier for entry has been lowered. So it's a lot easier for people to get into documentary filmmaking at almost any level, whether it's you're, you're digging real pro at like your, your aspirations for it, or yep. if you're just kind of hobbying through it. Um, I mean, the end result is still always the same. Like you have to chase the story and I think it's good to be very passionate like you are about that storytelling aspect. And 
there's something to be said for just being present and out in certain areas. Like if you're a comedian and, and you don't go out and, and experience things, you don't have things to write about then. So you're writing almost out of like conjecture and yeah. not like, and, and so in the same regard that you could be doing that for video production or, or you know, even just like it's something as simple as photography, like uninspired work really kind of screams that it's uninspired. And so I think the the thing that is like that key to immortality in that world of staying like vibrant and active and doing it is to continue to chase and to continue to allow yourself to be curious and passionate about things that are otherwise maybe not things that you're very knowledgeable in. And it seems like every step of the way that you've had to stumble into something that maybe you weren't as acclimated to the yeah. world of, you were willing to kind of like take that leap. And that leap of faith is like the one you have to keep making repeatedly it, it, people think it's a one-time thing no, and then you're done. No. It's like, no, you just, it's like. Leaving ESPN was the hardest decision I made. You get, but like, you only get moments to make these decisions to do that. And, and going to a startup and leaving ESPN was one of the hardest decisions I made because here I am at ESPN and I'm doing well. Like I'm never, I was never worried. Like we had our first layoffs when I was there. I wasn't worried I was going to get laid off. Like I was good at my job. Again, was I the best producer? No. Was I the worst? No. But like I had. You know where you are in the I, yeah, I, I, Yeah, I, I had the, 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 some, some intangibles and things that, you know, I wasn't worried about, you know, going away. Um, and you know, when, when Robert came to me with this opportunity to go to the startup and everything, I mean, the number of people I talked to and, and the, you know, lists of pros and cons and all these things. And literally even, even when I was writing like my resignation letter, I had like a pit in my stomach. Like, I can't like, believe I'm you know, doing this. And cause yeah, I mean, it's ESPN and like we, we, we have. Yeah. You know, you know that household name that yeah. everyone knows it's, unanimously, I mean, I, if you bring it up. I never, you know, had to worry too much about budgets. Right. Like, you know, yes, there, there are budgets there, but like. Going into stories, we never really got like a, okay, you've got X to spend. It was like, use good judgment. If you don't use good, good, use good judgment, then we're going to start really reeling you in. Yeah, because they're not looking at it from a return on investment perspective. They're looking at it like, this is a not, you have to invest to be yeah. able to get this in the first place. But some place. people will just blow money to blow money. Like, oh, I need five cameras or I need right, this, that. Right, and you're right. like, that's whoa. Your, that's and your, now you're getting like, you know, a 10-minute story that costs 200 grand. And you're right, like, whoa. right, right. I never did that kind of stuff. Um, and- you know, and if I did think I needed that, I was going and talking to someone else saying, Hey, here's what I'd like to do for this. Can we add, you know, is this okay? Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, before I start spending throwing, your money, yeah, yeah. yeah, throwing cash around. Um, so leaving there that, I, you know, it was tough. And, you know, talking to my brother, talking to friends, talking to other people about, you know, pros and cons. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things, you know, I'd be lying if I didn't say I had, you know, what ifs. Yeah, you know, yeah, if, yeah. I, if I never left and all these things. There but have was, to be by course of you making a choice. There's always going to be the other option could have happened. But right? there's so many other people I, you know, stories I would have told, people I wouldn't have met, colleagues, friendships, all these other things that wouldn't have happened if I stayed in Connecticut. So, you know, it it it, it was great. But it's funny, you talk about, um, you know, being in places that are, that are unfamiliar. So to get back to where we were probably 30 minutes ago, Deion Sanders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, an hour. So yeah, I'm here. I'm here at I'm here at Penn State, and um, you know, we're not doing stories anymore. We're not storytelling. The show's gone. Yeah, you know, it's all this digital stuff. Um, it's these small things, but like, it was like, I think I told three or four stories in the last six months I was there, and one was actually one I'm really proud of. And now Justin was a big part, and so was Matt. Both shot and edited on it. Justin did all the edits, actually, I believe. Um, but both were, were shooters on this one. And it was um, Micah Parsons leaving, yeah, you know, be, yeah, yeah. Be, being drafted and all that. Like, yeah. I ended up getting an interview with him before the draft and after the draft. And we had all the stuff with him at yeah, the draft. There, the Justin shot. pictures of like uh, his son with yeah, Coach Franklin his and sons with like them that. and yeah, Franklin's that's... there. Like Justin was on the plane with Coach Franklin and Coach Pry going to the draft. So I gave them questions to ask them on the way. So we got all these great, like if you watch that piece, 
it's really cool because you've got all these different sound bites from people in different environments. Like, right. you know, they're, they're on the plane. Going Instead of showing that, the environment that they're traveling through, you're basically being like, yeah, yeah, that's kind of plane. a given. You're yeah. there with them. Yeah. yeah, yeah like yeah. you're seeing like, oh, you know, and then we have them at the draft and Justin, you know, they get a, did a great job of kind of, he shouldn't have been backstage and he got backstage. Oh. He, was with, he was with Micah and his family and Coach Franklin, all these people. He didn't have the right pass to be back of there. Of course, yeah. I mean, he just kind of, you know, he, he, and we talked about how to do that a little bit. And, you know, some of it was us talking, but also him using his own, you know, ingenuity yeah. and, and making his way back there and capturing these moments that we had. It's guerrilla documentary oh. filmmaking, bro. And it, ended up being, it. Yeah, it ended up being a great, like, six-minute piece. But I think it's, like, the last story that we told. And, again, it was one of maybe, like, four or five you know, during the last six months I was there and I was just not happy professionally, personally, you know, right. and all these things. And, um, need, needed to change. Uh, I need to get back what I do. And my, my buddy at Barstool, um, reached out and said, Hey, we're doing, you know, another season of coach prime at Jackson state where he's the head coach. Uh, would you be interested in going down and, you know, kind of field and story producing this? I said, yeah, yeah I'd love to. That's great. Let's, let's talk there. more about it. And so, you know, learn more about this and talk with the showrunner. And, you know, get on board and, you know, again, talk about not knowing your environment. I mean, here I'm in Jackson, Mississippi, an HBCU, historically black college and university that I've been at like one or two for like a day shoot. Right. But now right. I'm immersed in it for five months living in a hotel. Uh, I think I was a hotel with like a kitchen suite. Yeah. So I had like a refrigerator and uh and a- little... You lived there for all intents yeah, and purposes. I did. I did. Yeah. I, but I had, I was able to have, you know- food. Like I wasn't just eating out every night and getting fatter and fatter. Right. Um, I was able to, you know, to, you know, make my food cause I love cooking. It's a way to relax, but I had those, there was no oven, but it was like two burner stove, pretty full size refrigerators, almost full size, but you know, never, I was never, you know, worried about space in it and, you know, didn't trust any of their cutlery and all those other things. So I remember going to like Walmart and buying like my own <laughs> knives and forks and shit. Cause I was like, who used this shit before me? Right. You know, like, right. You There's know, always that like, slightly neurotic, like, yeah, mm, I don't know about yeah. And I'm not like a germaphobe or anything, but I'm just like, yeah, I'm not using any of this shit in here. Right. So I put like all of their crap, like in a bottom drawer or something under the sink and, you know, used all my own stuff. Um, but, you know, being a part of that and, you know, being around someone is, is, you know, polarizing as, as coach Deion Sanders, coach prime is, and, you know, seeing these young men, uh, and what they were building there, uh, trying to make and, and take HBCUs to where most division one teams are, right. cause they don't have the same funding. Like, I mean, no joke, the, the gym or the, 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 the weight room that they worked out in my high school weight room is nicer than theirs. Yeah, and that most people. And I'm talking about when I was in high school. Not even now, like my high school weight room is even nicer now. Yeah, but like yeah, yeah. But when I was then. in high school, you know, it was nicer than what they have now. And so, like, Dion did a lot. Coach Prime did a lot for for that university for HPCUs in general, and seeing you know those and and being a part of, of of that process and telling those stories. And you know, it was it was a it was a great uh, you know program and, and and series to be a part of, uh, and you know looking to, to maybe do more with them in, in the future. Now he's at Colorado and stuff. Uh, but you know, it was one of those things where, all right, again, pros and cons and yeah. Penn state, when I, when I, when I let them know that I'm thinking about leaving, so I, I go to, I go to Jim and I say, Hey, and he's like, he kind of knew he was like, shit. He's like, what? And let him know about this opportunity. He's all right. So like pretty much told him what was going on. And then right from there, he walks me over to HR <laughs> yeah, I got all the old fucking classic HR conversation you want to have. And so they want to know what they can do to retain me. Yeah, of course. And I'd already thought this was going to happen. 
So I had, you know, pros and cons and I had my, all right, if you guys want to retain me, here's what's going to take. Here's the number. Because I'm not happy. Right. So there's right. going to be a number and some you other things. You want to keep daddy yeah. happy. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, there's a number, there's a title and there's also like more, you know, uh, we, we need a bigger team. Yeah. You're not bringing in other people. <laughs> so, you know, they took that into, you know, consideration, got back to me a couple of days later and said, you know, listen, this is what we can offer. We can't get to your number. I didn't think they would. I said, listen, first of all, I'm impressed that you tried this. <laughs> right. First of all, I'm already astonished to see that <laughs> this is the know, number you did get to. They're talking with like, yeah, the associate AD and a bunch of other people. I, I don't know if it, it It's a up. shame, man, because it's really what it comes down to. If they had seen something like that and been like, you know what? We've got this gift on our lap and we need to capitalize but they on were it. But they weren't utilized in the right way to begin with. You know, no, not they not were doing not. all these other small things. And, and part of it's probably because the show went away. But there's other ways to still tell stories, you know, through a digital aspect. And they just, you know, weren't, weren't doing that. And again, I wasn't happy professionally. And I need, right. I need to keep growing. I you got to keep stuff. growing and you got to be happy too. And so the uh, this opportunity came and I was like, all right, you know, let's go do, you know, long form five, six part series. And, you know, boots on the ground in Jackson, Mississippi for, you know, from mid-August to... I don't know, December 20th. Um, and, you know, I, I was, I was immersed with that team the entire time and, you know, made, uh, you know, to told some great stories and, and made some great friendships with, you know, other coaches, staff members, and, and people along the way that I still stay in touch with. Uh, it was, it was, it was a, a great project to be a part of. And like I said, hope, hopefully, you know, maybe do some more with them at, at Colorado. Well, I think it's awesome that you've been willing to like diversify yourself so much. I, I think like, that's the true mark of the creative is that you you do get to have these really great moments, but they almost always come at this idea of great sacrifice. And it's that big leap, man. Oh, if you yeah. can take that leap, if you you have to be able to develop the confidence in yourself to say like, yeah, this leap is going to be scary. But if you can pad yourself in the right ways, either financially or emotionally or what socially, however you need to individually to make that leap and take that jump, you can do some fucking damage for your real and just for your own personal development as a human being like the things that you've gotten to do like that specifically the one in haiti yeah like that's a, a life-changing experience oh, yeah. that you don't sign up for knowing it's going to be a life-changing no. experience so it's like it, it just being open and receptive to it you kind of create this opportunity for you to be the vessel for these amazing things to kind of come through and you get to function as the conduit for making them be seen and and, and able to be heard and understand by the masses it's really really inspiring and you were definitely one of the most inspiring people that I loved working with at Penn State because you were not cut from the same cloth in the no. <laughs> certainly. And in and in that regard, like we were both not cut from the same cloth when it comes to like our methods and practices. And and like I enjoy the the wealth of experience that you have that I've been able to like capitalize on just by being like a proxy to it and just around it. Well, that was the thing that blew my mind when I came in. And you know, I'm not gonna name names, but like there was the two other APs that were there. Or I think they actually technically had producer titles, but they were basically glorified PAs, APs. And seeing them, you know, go out and do a shoot and not, you know, not have question lists or, you know, they, you know, the way they would ask you questions. You had notebook, you had sticky notes. Your entire Binders, fucking cubicle yeah. was just fucking yeah. smattered with different yeah. notes and ideas and things you had going on. Story was, ideas, everything left and right. But it, I also, you know, before going into an interview, I'm writing down questions, rewrite them, this and that, and like, you know, putting them in order. And I'd see the other two go out and do something. And, you know, then I'd listen to some of their stuff. 
And the way they ask questions, or if someone gives them, they're, they're just reading off a thing. Yeah. I'm like, that's not how that's, you interview someone. Yeah. Like, you know, it's read off a pad. Like, it needs to be a conversation like this. Like, you ask a question, and then, you know, based off that question, you ask a follow-up. Or when you do it, you use part of maybe that answer to go in the next one. And you try to make it a conversation. One of the things I always do when I sit down with someone, prior to doing the interview with them, as like, you know, we're kind of tweaking lights and cameras. Yeah, and yeah, that's your time I, to kind of make things I talk to them about anything other than what we're gonna talk about. Right, right, right. Like if we're in your home, like, so this is happening multiple times. Like, I'm like, Get you like, comfortable you know, first. I'll see like a picture or a trophy or something else. And I talk to them about that moment. I'm like, hey, tell me about like, this is really cool. Like, what's that? And so I get them just getting comfortable You're building the rhythm of them yeah. already doing this thing that they're gonna be doing in five but minutes I don't want to talk about, about what we're about to talk about. I don't right. like, I want to talk about anything else. Like, I'll be like, oh, tell me about that book with the wolf. They can't kill us until they kill us. And so like, yeah. All right, cool. Let's. Uh, I learn about that, and yeah. we, you know, or find out something else that they're passionate. Oh, who did that artwork on your refrigerator? Oh, that's that's my niece. Yeah, yeah. And so you know, get get these things going. And now when we sit down, you and I kind of have a rapport. You're primed. Yeah, yeah. But I'd see them go out, and it would just be like reading off a list. And then I see them come back, and they hand you or Justin or Matt or whoever a tape, and they're like, uh, "I need you know ninety seconds or two minutes on this." Like, and there's no direction. No, like. Like, at least, hey, this is the what I'm going for, the theme, I want the story. No script. Like, I was blown away because I've never given anyone anything and been like, yeah, that hey, was, here's no script. That was my problem with, like, the, the, the work required. It was, like, when I was given the position to do AP work. They're asking I, you to be a producer. Exactly, and not for producer pay no. by a long shot. No. Uh, like, you've got to go through everything and then make it happen. It was uh, – it blew my mind, you know, that that, that was, you know, kind of – and trying to change that mentality was one of the things I was working towards. And that was the thing, like with, whether it was you, Matt, Justin, you know, Blake, others, you know, I remember like, when, like, wait, what's this? Like they were shocked when they got a script and had like time code and sound. Yeah. And you start noticing like, Oh shit, I'm getting all my edits done way faster yeah. because I've got clear direction with yeah. this. And yeah, man, that's the first thing I noticed I capitalized on with you. I was like, he can sit down and tell me exactly what he wants. And now there's no guesswork on my end. Yeah. And if anything, I would be like, Oh, it sucks. Cause I kind of had like a different yeah, like, idea there, but like I, it was not something I'm married to. So I'm like, he's got an idea. He's got people. He's got to answer to the same fucking people I got to answer to just one step below. So I'm like, okay, let's, but it's also let's do this thing. You know, like good. you're going to hear something. And if it doesn't like, I might look good to me on paper. Because I might be sitting right. out for transcripts and I'm reading through and going through it. But then if you I see like the shit delivery. on video, yeah. yeah, they deliver it, whatever. And like, you'll be like, ooh, but I found something similar or I found this or, right. I, you know, okay, great. Like, I, I want to give you guys editorial freedom. Yeah. And when you do that, you give us the opportunity to sing as editors. Yeah. Because it's, again, it's an art form for you guys. It's it's one of those things. But it's funny talking about, you know, the 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 one aspect, you know, being able to go out and do these things and, and the places I've been fortunate to go and, and live. There's like everything else, there's a flip side. So one of the flip sides this, and I don't know if you if, have experienced this at all, but especially for me, because I have moved around a good bit, is both personal relationships and like friendships and things like that do get affected by it. Cause yeah, yeah, you're yeah. going well, in so like proximity. You're not near the people that you've developed yeah, these relationships or, with. You know, like, you know, whether it's, you know, someone you're dating or whatever else, these yeah. things, you know, kind of come into play and it like, you know, can have effects on on all those things as well. You know, or, you know, you don't get to see your parents as much as you want because you're constantly on the road. You're living in a hotel in Jackson, Mississippi for five months. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I slept in van floors for, I can't even tell you how long on tours all across oh. the country, just because it was like, that's how you're going to generate money. Because if you're spending it on a bus or a bandwagon or this, that, and everything, you're not going to take anything home. And then it's like, and you're not really ever living the rock style lifestyle when you're out, you know, the rock star lifestyle when you're out there anyway, because you've got responsibilities. Like yeah. you've got, like if, if, for me as a singer, it's like, I've got to sing. So like, I can't be out 
getting shit you based, got to like, hear your voice. Yeah, like I I used to walk around Warped Tour with the sign on like can't talk, like don't talk to me, like I'm on vocal rest, like that kind of a thing because I'm like I just don't want to I will talk the fucking vice I have is I will talk to anyone about anything. That's how we ended up here. Yeah. But like I I can't. If, you know, if only you were better at it. Right, I know, I know, I know. But I I just feel like it's just so interesting that people are leery of taking these chances on themselves more often than anything. I feel like a lot of people that would break into the creative world in a really creative and interesting and brilliant way don't do it because of the uh, uncertainty of it. But for me, I think that there's always been a benefit to living your life for at least some period of time in a place where you're not at your most comfortable. Mm-hmm. You're not like that's where you change and adapt and grow. When you're being pushed and poked and prodded in different ways, you kind of shift your position on things and you you evolve a little bit. And then if you don't allow yourself the opportunity to do it, you're not going to as maybe as rapidly as you would if you did. Yeah. And uh, if you're not afraid to be uncomfortable, it's it's a really easy way to grow. It's just not fun. It's and like, okay. you learn? But exactly. But it will be fun on the back end whenever yeah. you've got these skills that make you second to none whenever people come to look at your work and revere it for what it is. Yeah. I mean, I'm, like I said, the day I produce the perfect piece and I'm done, it's a mic drop and I'm like retired. Right. Good luck finding yeah, that exactly, fucking day. Exactly. exactly. So <laughs> I say um, this all the time to people that like don't want to they don't want to work with other musicians that they're with if they've been with for years or whatever. They're like, ah, uh, it's like oh, I'm just I'm not going to do music anymore. I'm like, oh, you're not going to do music. You're not going to do this thing that I've literally watched you do for 15 yeah. years. Like, what are the odds that that happens? Like, maybe this is just like a temper tantrum and you need to think about it for a little bit. And nine times out of ten, you're like, yeah, you're right. Like. If I wasn't doing this, I would just be finding some other avenue to do it. So it's like, I'm never going to, nobody, I'm never going to write the, the fucking, I have a new single that we just finished and I'm getting the mixes for. Okay. And I'm super amped for it. Like now I'm like in the brainstorming for the music video phase of things. And with like some preemptive motives, kind of like already motifs that I have in mind that I want to weave into it. But I, there's, and as happy as I am, I'm never going to write this song or I'm never going to edit this video or produce this piece where I'm like. I did it. I won the game of yeah. songwriting and music mm-hmm. video editing and, uh, you know, producing this piece. Like I'm, I did it. That was the benchmark and now I'm done. I can do whatever the hell I want. It's like, it's well, going to look ingrained back at that song, to you. In, in, in a couple of years, you'll probably look back at that song and be like, Oh, it could have been this. Yeah. And yeah, like, yeah. I look back like, for instance, you know, that Haiti soccer piece still, you know, is, is one that, that will always be very close uh, to me. But I go back and watch it. I'm like, Oh my God. Like, I could have done that so much better. Right. Yeah, like yeah, I look yeah. at these With things, all these that skills I that I've acquired yeah. since then, and, I would have done I, this. I look at the things, and I'm like, oh, and that's why you know, constantly growing, constantly learning, and being challenged by friends, looking at other people's work, and not even my colleagues' work, but like part of the reason I love watching shows and other documentaries is to get ideas and you know, yeah, get, man, get get, get inspired, we're influencing dude. Yeah, we're borrowing these pieces of influences yeah. from the ether. Like we see shit constantly, and I'm like, oh, I love that. I had no idea I loved that. Yeah. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna find a way to integrate that. It's not going to be this because this is what it is, but like this idea or this concept is really, really like you were talking about. You're like, I like a, a lot of negative space we're at the very beginning yeah. of this. And it's like, yeah, if it's done right, there's, there is a well, balance to all you, got, you obviously don't have the same format that, you know, for, for li- like, cause you're, I don't think this goes out linear, right? Uh, in terms of like, like, how, like what, what platform is it going? Is this for phones or both it goes yeah, yeah so okay. it goes uh, yeah it's out on the it's distributed through so Spotify and so it's a video podcast on Spotify yep. and then it's also on YouTube and okay Facebook everywhere else you can. So I wasn't sure it. if you're worried more vertical or horizontal where you're like okay, I try to frame that. them just enough wide enough so that whenever I'm cutting the social clip out yeah. I've got the ability to have like at least this aspect yeah, of it exactly. in there so you can like see and 
be a part of the exchange in real time if it's if, if it's one of those moments. Which we learned when we were doing the Snapchat show. In fact, like one of the first episodes when we were doing that, we were trying to like just have the cameras tilted right at yeah. time. So, <laughs> so we didn't have to worry about the framing. Right. It was hilarious. Like learning some of these things and trying different techniques that we were doing this was a riot. My buddy Alex, he uh, he swears by the gaff tape, t- tape up the monitor method of yep. like being like, this I've is that. pretty close mm-hmm. to it. And I'm going to actually make it a little smaller so that you're mindful of that gap yep. that you're really recording in. And uh, yeah, I mean, little things like it, there's a uh, little adapters I've seen pop up that are now they they'll actually tilt your DSLR and not shift the balance of it so that you can actually shoot in the same direction as it just shoot it vertical. OK, but I almost don't love that more because you still have this uh, if you shoot it wide, you've got the ability to kind of scroll around in there inside that timeline that's 1080 by 1920 and be able to make something work out of it this is all basically uh you know speaking hieroglyphics to people do who I, don't yeah, do but, that's, yeah. but like that's, it's, that's the best part like one of the things i love when you're you're again as in when i tell everyone they get as many interns as you can ask questions if you yeah, don't know yeah, what yeah. a shotgun mic is right. ask about that like learn these things like you know get get behind the producer the director the cameraman guy the editor and you know again god gave us two ears one mouth you know listen twice as much as you talk don't always follow that. Yeah, yeah. Ah. I don't always follow that. But I, I try to absorb as much as I can. And I got a problem asking a dumb question. If I don't, yeah, and bro. I still do. <laughs> to this day, I still do. Especially like certain things. Because I'm not, you know, as technically inclined. And again, I'm, I'm good at storytelling. You know, when it comes to certain things like the newest camera equipment or editing software or this and that. Right. Like, yeah, teach me. Let's learn. Let's do this. Uh, and that's one of the things I tell them. Like, you know, again, it's all about making connections. Yeah, those fundamentals aren't yeah. changing. Asking questions if you're not sure. Yeah. You know, and but ask at the right time. Like, you know, if you're in the middle of a session and everyone's brainstorming, don't stop down. Like, find a time afterwards and pull someone aside and be like, hey, you know, write notes and ask, hey, what were these two or three things? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where were the moments in this? And that's actually, I don't, I actually enjoy getting the, mo- the time that I get to spend doing like the playback and watching through the podcast. And like, I listen to my own just as a personal critique to be like, was that as good as I thought it was? Because I leave like, I, I'm going to leave this one feeling like it's great. I left the one that I did with my buddy Sam Gilman like two or three weeks ago. I was like, that was fucking awesome. We just had so much fun interacting and, and literally just specifically diving down these rabbit holes of music industry speak that we have to kind of go through. And, you know, the parallels that you got to kind of the pitfalls you got to kind of avoid. And it's nice to go back and be like, oh, shit. Like my first couple episodes, I was like, oh, I say like way too much. I was going to ask, what's what's it like? You know, when you go back and watch, not only hearing your own voice, but seeing yourself. Because uh, right now I'm hearing myself, and it's different because sometimes you hear your own voice and you do I really sound like that? And you're kind of curious. So you're doing this on a regular basis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for you, when you go back and rewatch these, you know, describing hearing your voice and seeing yourself, and is it something you're conscious of or are you happy or? I, I think I am because I, I, I love myself enough to know that I'm I'm not perfect and never going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. I love my fucking mannerisms and my quirks and the things that I've noticed about myself whenever I'm in a room speaking with people and we're talking about things creatively. Like I tend to be in a situation or a position where whenever I start talking, it's not because I'm I'm talking louder or I'm talking too much that everybody else stops talking. Some people want to digest the things that you're saying and internalize and see for themselves whether or not they think they're real or it, it adheres as like a part of their truth to them. You know, like that, like oh yeah, I guess I could see that. And so I guess insofar as I've already got that like confidence in in mind that whenever uh, I'm going down a rabbit hole and we're kind of talking about something that's really niche or whatever and really specific, I, I'm passionate about it. If you're excited about it, talking about it, usually people are going to be 
passionate about listening to it. And if you can't bridge that gap, it's like you you got to be able to figure that out because the baseline of communication with getting people to be interested in what you're saying or showing them is, or, you know, or writing for them is writing something that is you want to be unique but you don't want to be so boutique that you're not able to be received. You know, like I was gonna say, one of the things that must be interesting for you guys is when you're doing this, not only, you know, yes, you've got an audience and I'm sure, you know, it's people that are in our industry and around our industry, but there's others, but going in these, you know, like you said, niche things, when I see or hear stuff like that, I then research it. If it's something yeah. I'm into, like if I don't follow, but I'm like, and I see how passionate you are. Yeah, I love that. Like, exactly. That's I, that's why I get out of the podcasts that I watch. Like I listen yeah. to tons of podcasts. So like I love Andrew Huberman's podcast. I would love to have him as a guest. I would love to be a guest on his. I'd love to do it just a study with him. Just the, the person who is, you know, very interested in analyzing the brains insofar as he can create protocols that help us kind of circumvent the weird little so habits. But you just turned me on to him recently. Oh man, he's yeah. so good. And like- there, he breaks it down in a way that's very digestible, which is, I think, truly profound in and of its own right. Like to be able to do that in the first place for me is like, that's a feat. So, but that it's got to be like not worrying too much about what the outcome of it's going to be. Like, I, I'm sure some people are like, I, I hope I've got people talking shit that I started a podcast. I hope that there are people that take things away from it that they like. And I hope that there are people that are like, oh man, I'd like to go on there that have no business wanting to do that in the first place. Well, and learn something from it. Yeah, but like, I just want people to just, it's it's a, just a, a platform, the ability to, like the conversations that you and I have always, I always fucking have a good time because I'm like, you see it with the same cutthroat, like no bullshit mentality that I do when it comes to, when it gets down to brass tacks on how you got to actually execute on pulling something off, mm -hmm. there are certain implements or, or protocols or practices that you just need to implement. And, and, and the, we said the art of the interview is an art. Like you cannot just go in there and read questions off a thing and have it be I'm good. still perfected it. Yeah. And, and that's and the best part yeah. about it is like, it's just like the songwriting or the yeah. producing or whatever. You're always learning. And if you can look at it in this way where you're always going to be engaged with it from a learner's mindset and uh, I don't know everything mindset, you're going to do great things. Like, And I believe that deep down, if you have that curiosity, you're going to continue to tap into that. I Yeah, uh, that's that's what I love about this job. Like I've always said, if I wasn't doing this, I'd be pumping gas in Jersey because that's where they have full service. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Still. Um, you know, there's there's stories are always happening, always coming out. Again, it doesn't matter if it's sports, music, you know, whatever. There's and like, you know, we're talking about the the um true crime docs. Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny. There's it's not really a true crime doc, but there's a country music band that I'm friends with, and they've got a backstory that is ridiculous. And again, going into my whole superstition. I don't want to get into it too much. Right, still working towards it. And I've sat down with the guys and talked to them about it on like, with like my GoPro and everything. Um, and, and have, you know, all this information and I'm, you know, trying to, you know, get them on board with, you know, let's, let's do this. And, you know, why don't we try to put this out with your next album release yeah. and have a song yeah. on the album about these moments, oh, man. See, this is where you're going to shine in the next decade because the way that we're digesting music media is beginning to be like, uh, we almost need the accompanying documentary and commentary to go along with it. And that's like this added thing that a lot of artists don't want to do. They don't want to pick up the extra skill of like picking up a camera and learning how to film themselves in those situations where they're together and they're writing. But it's going to be fundamentally a part of what everybody yeah. has to do moving forward because it's going to be this little dark corner in a room that we can't see that we want to see when we step into it. It's all about taking people behind the curtain. Think yeah, of it like yeah, Wizard man. of Oz. Like, you know, I've, you know, one of the things that, that Robert always said, and I picked up on 
was I want to take the viewer someplace they haven't been before. And that's the goal. So every time I go into a story and, you know, whatever it is I'm working on, I want to try to take the viewer someplace they haven't been before. It doesn't matter what it is. And so th those, those are, you know, the moments that I look for and trying to get that out of whoever you're talking to or interviewing or where the story is like, what are others going to take from this? Where, where are they, where are we going to take them? And like a lot of it comes down to access. It comes down to also who you're working with, who, you they, know, what they, your network they, is, they, they, you know, but like there's plenty of times where I've told stories and they, they give you, you know, one interview and you don't get any other access. And so therefore you're kind of stuck with what you got. Right. And that's that. So, but if you can massage it so that, that mm -hmm. in that one interview, you're able to get the real gems out of there because you cut through all of the, yeah. and tell me, uh, how did you guys get your band name? Like, there's just so much more to this discourse of like conversation and getting by and getting to go behind the curtain and see what's going on than we, uh, I think, really fully understand collectively as a society, which is great because it leaves the power in the hands of these creators that are, have that mindset and that weird little like, oh, but what if we just – what if I just kind of asked from this angle, like, have you thought about this? And in doing that, you sort of massage these new, robust and like very interesting stories that allow you to take a, you know, a listener or a viewer somewhere that they've never gotten to go before. And that's one of the things I don't like, I hate, I don't watch any reality TV. Yeah, me either. Like, I don't see the point. Like everyone, it's not reality. And it's scripted. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> if, it, if it's not scripted, there's it's a like, produ there's someone there. There's a producer here who's feeding shit. He's literally it's a puppet like. master. <laughs> And so like those things, you know, I don't, I don't understand. And, and I like to say like, it's escapism. I think, yeah. I think it's sure like you could turn your brain off and just be like, Oh, I guess these people really said that. I honestly think the only true form of reality television left is sports. Yeah. I mean, whether it's a live event, I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm still producing stuff. So I don't want to say what I'm doing is that, but like watching sports is the only thing of reality TV that's left. Or that there is. Yeah, yeah. And no even then, and even, scripted. And even then you can get away with like sort of like shifting the narrative. <laughs> It'll be a, you know, like we, like Penn State, super guilty of this. I'm sure other universities are. 70 but, and sunny. Yeah, 70 and sunny. Like it is not 70 and sunny whenever I watch this lose to Ohio State at yeah. home in the snow. Yeah. Like let me tell that story yeah. because the people here don't want the lip service that you're trying to give them yeah. of like, oh yeah, like that's all right. We'll get them next time. It's like you're essentially not allowing people to feel their collective community failures and rebound and the rebound is where things get better usually mm -hmm. so i feel like you preempt it by thinking that you have to tell the discourse in the 70 and sunny kind of mentality like it's a disservice to the fans i think and it's a disservice to the program which is essentially piggybacking off of uh this material that you they want to have produced for them to help with recruiting mm -hmm. it's like well then you might want to do the recruits the due diligence of showing them what it's going to look like if they lose and how they're going to be supported by their community all the same. Like there's more in that that I'm interested in than the, ah, uh, we walked off and we'll get them next yeah. game. And like being told not to do, uh, that for like one of the, I, I forget what year it was. I was so disappointed because I had already had a few edits under my belt and I was getting into a rhythm. I was like, Oh, I'm fucking killing it at this. Like I'm actually enjoying, it. I'm getting good notes from everybody. And then, it gets to the point where they're like, oh, well, we lost that game. So just show all the highlight clips from all the previous games we played up until then. I'm like, so the intro to the show for the game that we lost to Ohio State, oh, wow. we're not going to show that footage for. I kept my original edit for it because I don't remember what they actually went to air with. And the one that I did was better because yeah. at the end of it, you saw two players walking off stage and they're like, they're bummed. But like there's people reaching their hands down trying to get yeah. high fives and 
Uh, he reaches up and he's like high five, and you can tell he's bummed. And then one of his teammates comes up behind him, like yo, like arm around him. I'm like, yeah. that's the fucking. That's the ex- literally. It couldn't have been a more perfect scenario of explaining. Family. Yeah, like they're gonna be here for you. Everybody's gonna be here for you. We're gonna get through this. It's not the end of the road. One game in the middle of the season, like. And that's one of the things they, they always try to show, and not and it's not Penn State's not the only one going to do this. A lot of people are, you know. Here is, you know, us being great, right? But yeah, you're right. We you need to showcase what happens when you're not. And and one of the few times we actually got to do that was, I'm sure you remember, you know, going into the the Minnesota game in 2019. I think we were both seven and zero. Yep, yep, yep. And we lose, uh, you know, at Minnesota, first loss. And Coach Franklin gives a great speech in the locker room, and I had to, you know, kind of. There, there was some back and forth with me and, and you know, the higher ups at, at Lash with the football. The push you know, and pull back. About us using some, I was like, this this shows this what emotion. Be- this shows, you know, what, what this team needs. Like, if, if my kid is going to come play for someone, I want to see what this, what it's like after a loss like that and seeing him, yeah. what, what he did. And like, they finally, you know, agreed and we, we put that in. But it was, I think it was the first time that they had you know, a moment like that in the locker room after a loss where you get to see, you know, all the emotion, you know, and, 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 and coach Franklin's, you know, genuine heartfelt, you know, love for these kids, these young men and, and what it meant for them. Yeah. Um, and then that, 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 that was one of the ones that sticks out. Well, dude, we got to wrap this bad yeah. boy up because we were going at oh, yeah. 10 o'clock we're, right now. But, uh, so what, same time tomorrow? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll see you again. <laughs> Not going to be the last time I have two. you on, man. I, no, I no. look forward to seeing the things that you're doing with some of these upcoming projects and and just seeing where things get placed. I appreciate it. It was a pleasure being on it. This was fun. Like for my first time doing one of these, this was a blast. <laughs> well, I'm glad you had a good time, yeah. man. So I look forward to, to, to more of these. And obviously, you know, anything I can do to help you as we move forward and vice versa. Yeah, for Like, sure. I love collaborating with you. Always, brother, always. Dude, thank you so much. Oh, get out of here. Yeah, I yeah. love you. Always. I'm so glad to have you here. Uh, that's going to be a wrap for this one, man. We're always collaborating at all times with the universe.